Dumfries Licoiannis lo chiude poi Geco il tiro e gol e gol e gol e gol e gol il Cigno il Cigno quarto gol stagionale Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is season 2, episode 14, and we're your hosts, Matt and Jake, here to give you guys an entire rundown of this season's Serie A campaign so far, with the World Cup and winter break fast upon us. We're 15 games in, we've been interrupted by this bloody tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Are you excited for the World Cup, brother? Now I am. Now that it's this week and it's on Sunday, I'm definitely excited to have mm-hmm. a look because I'm very curious to see where the international teams stand at the mm-hmm. moment. And the World, the World Cup's always a spectacle. It's a shame that there's so much negativity and controversy around it, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess when it's on the TV, you just need to take it for what it is and yeah. enjoy the tournament. Are man. you rooting for anyone? I'm rooting for Serbia. Yes, bro. <laughs> Serbia, our national team, bro. Serbia. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to be rooting for them, guys. <laughs> we're going to be following them closely. They've got quite a few Serie A players in their starting 11. It's going to be fun to watch them. And some of the best Serie A players in the league, I mean, with the likes of Milinkovic, Savic and Vlahovic yeah. in the team, with Kostic out wide and Milenkovic at the back and yeah. Vanya in goal. And Lukic of Torino. And Lukic and Illic and so on and so forth. So many good guys. Yeah. Um, all the itches. All... All the itches, <laughs> every single itch you can think of is in this team. Except um, for the ones that are with Croatia, of course. <laughs> except for the ones that are with Croatia and except for the ones that are on my bows. Fantastic one. This time around, guys, for this episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So we're going to be going through the entire table and assessing team season so far and giving you guys our tops and flops as well. Something that's always quite entertaining. Um, we've also reached out to a few of our listeners to send us voice notes of their takes on their favorite teams so far, which will be featured in this episode. So when we talk about Roma, we're going to have a guest. When we talk about Napoli, we're going to have a guest engaging you guys and making it a bit different. Yeah, it's a bit of a switch up and you get to meet a few of the listeners, quite frankly. You've already met some of them. We have Grimon, who was there for the Olivier Twist episode. Exactly. Where Milan beat Inter. Giroud scored a fantastic goal. There is Mintoff, the Sassuolo fan. Um, quite a few people. Steve, yeah. the Juve Steve. fan, he's been on as well. Pablo as well, who yeah. you've heard from before. Luca. The pronunciation guy. Exactly. The Empoli fan, Matthias, is on. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Now I'm looking forward to this one. I- a lot of editing. A lot, yes. A lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's taken forever. Like, we've already been two hours. Like, I haven't even started. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got a fine bottle of Limoncello. Yes, yeah, straight from Sicily. Thank you, Uncle Anton. Yes, it's from Sicily. Yeah, they, they got That's so we good. I, looking after Julian. I went to Sorrento. And Sorrento are known to have the best lemons in Europe. Like, mm. And that is... In Campania next to Naples. It's, at, it's on the Amalfi coast. So that's quite close to Sicily. So that goes to show why it's, it's so fucking good. Nice. Before we get into it, guys, we just need to get that usual jibber-jabber out of the way. So as you heard from the intro, our goal of the week was Edin Zeko's in-step volley against Bologna and their 6-1 thrashing of the team. Um, what did you make of that goal, man? It was absolutely brilliant. The ball was... So high up, bro. The technique yeah. it took to fucking instep that fucking ball on the volley. Yeah. 
into the fucking corner of the net like wow bro yeah and he's been on hot form as well Zerko so I think he deserves yeah. to be in the intro of such a prestigious podcast sure. uh, fun fact I benched him on Fantacalcio in the place of Petania so, oh. <laughs> so big big mistake by me Petania played 12 minutes I got me a nice vote of 6 while Zerko was on the bench with a 13.5 how does he get you a voto when he I don't he know bro Fantacalcio plays fucked. 12 minutes I don't know bro that's I've, some... been, I've been fucking thinking about it non-stop that's some Jurgen Fennec shit <laughs> alright <laughs> some honourable mentions were Ferguson's goal uh, for Bologna there was Moise Keane's goal against um, Lazio, Lazio I, yeah, the chip. chip the keeper Elmas's goal against Udinese and Samardzic's goal Against Napoli, where it seemed like they were gonna get a, a point yeah, towards the, the end, the when they were three nil down. Just needed more time. Yeah. Say a spotlight slips, bro. Um, Lecce beat Atalanta. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, it fucked us. Uh, we had five euro left, and we decided to put it on Verona Spezia. Uh, yeah. Spezia win or draw, and um, I believe under, four, under, goals, four, goals, under yes. four goals. And yeah. we won, so we're still alive. We're still well. There's still plenty of games left. Let's turn this five euro into 1,000, brother. (laughs) (laughs) That's the goal, guys. That's the goal. Um, Follow us, guys, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Rate us wherever you're listening. And if you guys have any hot takes, any opinions, any jokes, feel free to send us a voice note. We accept them on Instagram. We accept them on Twitter. We accept them anywhere. You can even email them to us if you're over the age of 70. You can send us an email. Uh, it's spotlight at outlook.com. And we use Outlook as well because mm-hmm. we're horny teenagers. <laughs> we have Hotmail as well. Oh, that's, yeah. even, that's even hornier. Yeah. <laughs> so European of us. But anyway, before we get into it, Jake has, Jake being the stat man that he is, he's written down a couple of stats for us. Believe me. They are exciting. Yes. And he's going to be reading out all of them. Okay, guys, prepare yourselves. So, <laughs> in the Serie A this season, there have been 2.58 goals per game, 53% of them coming in the second half. There have been 28 shots per match. Crazy. Jesus. I would have thought there would be less with some of the games. Hey, hey, hey. Um, 34.9 minutes per goal. Ooh. There were 82 clean sheets in 150 games. 21% of all goals scored came in the last 15 minutes. Oy. 620 players have featured in the Serie A this season. My God. 182 of them have scored. Oh my God. Yeah. Ozyman is the top scorer of the league with nine goals. Sergei Milinkovic Savic leads the assists with seven. Provedel has the most clean sheets with nine. Nine is impressive as hell, man. Napoli are the top scorers with 37 goals scored. Verona have conceded the most goals with 29, and Juve have the most clean sheets with 10 that's incredible that, is, that actually uh, six is six in a row for you yeah, yeah six in a row and now. so they got up there it would have been tragic without yeah those. yeah yeah it's true they've only conceded um, seven, seven goals, goals. Yeah, seven the goals so far in the league by four yeah and, so and it's far. funny because virtually they've changed their back four or back three quite regularly throughout yeah. this campaign so it's clearly an allegri and a systematic yeah. Thing. Okay, they, they've changed their keeper too. Yeah, as well, as well. Perrin was starting in the beginning, obviously, because of Chesney's injury. But I think we can get started. Let's do um, this, bro. Let's enter. Let's begin this extravaganza. This fucking ooh, that's a good episode name. The Normally, we wouldn't have decided on a on a, an episode name when we would have started. I think an extravaganza, extravaganza is a is a good title for mm. this one. We'll see. You guys will see. Yeah. 
So clear at the top of the league by 8 points are Napoli, they are first on 41 points, they've played 15 matches, they won 13 of those, drew 2 and lost none. Some noteworthy results of theirs is uh, beating Lazio away from home with the score of 2-1, beating Milan away from home with the score of 2-1, beating Roma away from home with the score of 1-0, beating Atalanta away from home with the score of 2-1 and beating Sassuolo at home 4-0. Remember in the beginning we were saying, ah, but Napoli haven't really faced anyone. Brother, they've faced everyone. Bro, they haven't faced Inter and Juve as part of the top They teams. have been incredible. They have scored 23 open play goals so far this season, Not the most done, in man. the league. They have scored nine goals off of set pieces, also the most in the league. And they've only two of their goals have come from counter-attacks, which is crazy because <laughs> their team is so rapid. Like, they just dominate. They score free-flowing champagne football. So far, so good for Napoli. Yeah, and one thing I've noticed about Napoli is that they're so strong, it almost takes less preparation for them entering into a match because they're so strong in their assets that other teams are preparing for Napoli. It doesn't seem like Napoli need to prepare for anyone. They just need to play their own game. That might bite them in the ass in the Champions League moving forward because teams are so different. But I'm sure in that case that Spalletti is going to say, okay, we need to adapt to the opposition in front of us. Spalletti talked about how um, it's important to create space to attack. You shouldn't mm. just attack the space, but you have to create it and then you have to attack it, which is extremely interesting. Their press is top-notch. Their midfield retention is incredible. They can score goals in different ways through different players, bro. Um, we've seen, you know, I mentioned recently, I believe in the last episode or the one before, that no matter who's injured, yeah. the player who comes in not only does a great job in replacing them, but they're fucking scoring as well. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. crazy. 100%. Now we have um, our boy Pablo. Yes, sir. Pablo, take it away, my friend. Hi, guys. Um, I would be um, very happy to uh, give my thoughts on Napoli so far um, because, obviously, you know, it's kind of uh, hard to miss what they're doing. Um, it's incredibly impressive, of course. Yeah, let's start with the with their weaknesses because I, I don't think there has been any sign of a particular weakness so far. There just hasn't been a team that has been good enough to um yeah to ex to expose any real weaknesses in their side um maybe you know in their when they're defending in their own box or you know when when the opponent is really able to uh, establish a longer period of possession they're maybe not the strongest napoli um but then again um they don't have to be because their um, attacking power is so strong and they're prob- probably also um, happy to um, take a little bit more more uh, of a risk in defense uh, because they know if you know if we win the ball then uh, well nine times out of ten create a, a good um, attacking opportunity yeah you you can't really speak of a, a real weakness in this side. And um, then, so their 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 strengths. Um, I think their most important strength is um, their transi- transition from um, winning the ball to attack. I think um, the only thing we 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 can say is um, how not to play against Napoli right now. Um, and I think um, the most important, uh, the most you know striking example of that was. Um, the games against Ajax. Um, Ajax are obviously used to playing domin- dominating football, 
um, possession-based football in their own league and even even in the Champions League often. So, um, and I think maybe because they underestimated Napoli because they haven't been this good um, for a long time or because maybe their names aren't that famous, you know. Um, but they decided to just stick to their plan against Napoli. And, um, well, obviously there was a big mistake and they was mercilessly punished by them, um, by Napoli. So Ajax are obviously, they're, they're, they're a good team. They they can be good in possession. Um, and they can flow sometimes, even if they don't have the best players, you know, because their philosophy has always been possession-based. And um, so, yeah, they, they, they did sh- sh- show some impressive things on the ball. But um, when Napoli, Napoli really put pressure on them, they were forced to play the long ball. But then um, Ajax decided to... Um, still keep the formation that you have when you, you know, play possession-based football. So every time they played a long ball, they were still stretched and out of shape because they were still standing with low defenders and high attackers, you know, the way you play when you want to play around possession. So um, every time Ajax played a long ball, they were out of shape. And then, um, like I said, Napoli's biggest uh, biggest uh, strength is um, the transition from midfield to attack. When the ball came down from the long ball that Ajax played, Napoli was, um, like, they were on it, like like bees, you know. It, it sometimes seemed like each of them had, like, <laughs> drank three cans of Red Bull before the match, but Ajax absolutely didn't have a chance uh, on the second ball, and I think Napoli won it nine times out of ten. Um, and then in transition, they just... You know, absolutely killed Ajax. You know, um, I think every other team should be thankful for Ajax to, uh, you know, be the first to walk into that trap, because that was a display of what you cannot do against Napoli. Because um, yeah, Napoli were just like, if you if you want to play possession based football against us, if you want to play out against uh, our press, then you better be like Manchester City or uh, Bayern Munich or uh, PSG or whatever. Because you know we are on that level right now, and um, it's not it's not um, without reason that ninety five percent of the teams um, defend with eleven men, you know, behind the ball against teams like City or Bayern or you know PSG. Because yeah, if if you if you try to build out from the back and you're just not good enough and you're going to lose the ball in midfield, you're you're just inviting them to. Uh, exploit their uh, creativity so that is definitely not an option to uh, do against them i think uh, the games that were closest and that could have gone either way this season um especially in the last few few weeks last month were against atalanta and roma um obviously they're both very good in defense and i think maybe to to at least keep it you know maybe 50 50 or 40 60 um the game uh, you have to yeah you have to basically kill the game and um kill the f- the joy and the fun that um napoli have when they're attacking um and i think especially roma they well they did so perfectly right um the game could have ended in nil nil as well it took an absolute you know world class goal from osimhen to uh to decide that game but so i expect uh, teams to uh show more and more of that uh, to really commit to defending and um, yeah, just maybe 
play the long ball, try to skip, you know, the 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 midfield battle, um, prevent Napoli from getting a count, easy counterattacks. Um, because I think with Napoli, uh, the 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 little flicks, the tricks, the little chips, the the creative ideas they come up with, you can only do if if you're if you're in a in a in a creative headspace. You know, they all play like they've just scored a scored a brilliant goal. You know what I mean? If you've played football, you probably know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's it's like they play without pressure, and um, I think the only way to uh, to come up with these you know, sometimes really genius solutions to uh, defensive problems they have to face from the opponent can only be possible if you're in a in a in a very good headspace. You know, so they play like they're 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 on a high. Um, and yeah, like I said, the only way to uh, to stop them right now is uh, or to to make a chance to stop them is to do like uh, Roma did, namely to uh, you know kill the joy that they have while playing their football, you know? So I think we'll definitely see more of that in the second half of the season. I've noticed that I've talked for quite a long time, so um, just to round it off, um, I, I think they'll win the league. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, yeah, they've, they've, they've proven enough times that they uh, can do it and that they're, well, big favorites to do so. And I even think, yeah, they're they're... Outsiders for the Champions League, you know, they can definitely. Um, it, it wouldn't be weird if they if they said, you know, we want to try to win the Champions League. I mean, they can. They've won against Liverpool already. They've easily beaten the teams that are worse than them. So yeah, they'll most likely beat Frankfurt as well. That'll be a great match, by the way. And um, yeah, so they'll win the league, and they might even, you know, send a chance in the Champions League. Thank you very much, Pablo, for your insight. Amazing over there um, analysis, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, great, great points, particularly where he uses Ajax as a case study of how and how not to play true. against uh, against Napoli, taking Ajax and Roma as two different extremes, two clear styles of play, Ajax and their dominance with their free-flowing football, passing strategic. And then Roma, who kill the game and, and stop you from playing your game in order to dominate. Yes. Um, you have to play Catanaccio to beat the Snapple exactly. side, essentially. Uh, it's, it's all in the hands of Genoa four seasons ago, basically. That's the team that would destroy Napoli, right? Now. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, uh, Pablo is Dutch. So, in fact, um, you know, he knows the Ajax quite well. And mm. he, he noticed that Ajax went out with their style and they got annihilated basically 6-1 in that game. But he also focuses, bro, on their transition. He points out yeah. Napoli's transition as their strongest, their strongest asset. Um, and I think that that is absolutely spot on. They have mm. Lobotka and Anguissa in the midfield who can win possession back very quickly, who can change direction very quickly. There are two incredible <laughs> pivots over there. They can even beat their man to create space. And they're feeding the demons up front, bro. Yeah. They're feeding Gvaratskelia, they're feeding Ozyman, they're feeding Lozano. Not to forget Zielinski, who sits just in front of them. He's of a great point. When he decides to sit a little bit deeper and play the ball forward, he has that kind of KDB vision about him. And, yeah. and he's very, very important to how they change midfield into attack. And I think another strong point with that, like you mentioned, is Anguissa and Lobotka 
particularly in the way that Lobotka controls the game and then Anguissa's kind of box-to-box style. That balance that they have in the midfield is the reason they are so dominant. It's the key, the bro. firepower they have all round is obviously another huge percentage of it, but they couldn't do it without that balance and that control. For sure, bro. He also says that Napoli play in a creative headspace. And then he asks us if we know what we mean. Pablo, I know exactly what you mean. You're completely right. Um, when what you attempt works over and over again, mm-hmm. you're more likely to try something audacious. Exactly. And when you try something audacious with confidence, you're more likely to pull this audacious attempt off. Exactly. Hence these moves, these like Aussie men on the counter, one-on-one with, uh, I believe it was Smalling, and he absolutely destroyed them against nah, Roma. And the goal, and the goal. Gvaratskelia uh, is the perfect case study of this. Exactly. Because the first thing he did worked, and he's basically been snowballing since. From that goal from outside the area early on in the season, where he just cut inside and smacked it from long, long range. Like yeah. that goal unleashed, and made him believe in himself. He can do anything he wants. Exactly. And this is their mindset right now. They're, Try uh, the audacious, you'll pull it off. And that's exactly. what they've been doing. They have a lot of, and a lot of confidence about them. And mm-hmm. where does it come from? Does it come from a great mentality that they have within the camp and good leaders within the camp? Or are they just riding of confidence from one game to another? Because what would be interesting is, at the moment, it doesn't look like Napoli are going to lose a single fucking mm-hmm. game. What happens when they do? Mm-hmm. How do they react to that? Are they still going to play with the same creativity, with the same confidence that they do? Are they still going to try this one-touch play and swapping play from one side to another. I noticed that in the last game that we saw against Odinese, um, Kim tried something. He tried mm. dragging the ball forward and he got dispossessed and they conceded mm. a goal because of Kim. What happens to Kim now? Is he still going to have the same mentality? I think, yes. I mm. think it's the camp. I think it's it's Spalletti. I don't think they're just riding off of confidence, which simply mm. helps. But I think they are confident. Do you remember when Lazio started out the league incredibly and then COVID hit and they went into quarantine and then after quarantine they were completely fucked? When they were in the Champions League as well that Uh year and they had multiple COVID cases and multiple injuries Mm -hmm. and they were doing terribly after that. Yes, exactly. Granted, the Napoli are not going to be in isolation right now and they're going to be together bar the players that are going to the World Cup or to their national teams. But I think the break couldn't have come at the worst time for Napoli. For Napoli, yes. For Napoli, exactly. I, I think it, the break affects Napoli the worst out of everyone because they had momentum. They were winning game after game despite Gvaratskelia's injury, despite anyone. Like, recovering players wasn't a problem for Napoli. They didn't need a break. Mm-hmm. Napoli could mm-hmm. have kept going and they would have probably mm-hmm. increased the gap. The break helps those around Napoli. It helps Juventus. Granted, it you helps have everyone else. Everyone, everyone else literally. benefits except for Napoli. I think so. Juve... Sure, they're on a great yes, run right now. But they recover but they players. Need, exactly. They need to get those players back. back. Yeah. They need to get them. Same with Milan. Man, Milan need to clear their heads like and figure out what the fuck a they're going to do. Brilliant time like. for Milan, yeah. for Udinese, for Inter, for Roma, for Lazio, for Atalanta. Mm-hmm. All these guys fucking benefit, man. That's Every true. single one of them. I think we should head on over to our tops and flops. Yes, just uh, two points I want to mention before very of course, quickly. Of course, of um, course. Eight points clear right now. Napoli do look like they're league favourites, but I just want to point out that there are 69 points to play for. We're only 15 games in. A lot can happen. 
Juve can win the league, Lazio can win the league, Milan can win the league, Inter can win the league. Like, uh-huh. that's, that's where we stand right now. Yeah, yeah, that's just something sure. I want to point out. And Champions League dark horses, Napoli, do you agree? I, I personally think that, yes, they are the dark horses. They're playing with less pressure than Bayern Munich than City because the Napoli fans will just kind of be happy to be there and they're not going to be criticizing their team as harshly as Bayern or City will if they lose. There isn't that much fucking pressure on their shoulders, personally. I think they're definitely dark horses for the Champions League. Um, And dark horses is a great word because they don't have much Champions League experience within the camp. Mm -hmm. Now, Zielinski has played in the Champions League, Ozyman has played in the Champions League, all these guys have played in the Champions League. But just because you play in the Champions League doesn't mean you have too much Champions League experience. Spalletti has coached Roma in the Champions League, he's coached Inter in the Champions League, but he too doesn't have great experience in the on the bigger stage in the advanced rounds of the Champions League. So it would have to be their confidence, it would have to be their play style, it would strictly need to be Napoli. Mm-hmm. That wins Napoli the Champions League or to advance in yeah. the Champions League. They have no external factor that will help them. Fantastic, bro. Tops and flops. Now, who starts? I can go first with my top. Okay. Um, now, for my top, I'll start off with my two honorable mentions. Okay. My two honorable mentions are Lobotka and Mario Rui. Okay. They're, they've been outstanding, even Angusa, to be honest. You can put everyone as an honorable mention, but for me, Lobotka and Rui have been, have mm-hmm. been very good. Uh, my tops were between Ozyman and Gvaratskelia. Okay. Um, I opted for Ozyman at the end of the day. Okay. Simply because he's managed to get some consistency going. He's scoring important fucking goals at important times. He's even setting up his teammates. He's creating a lot of space by running in behind and creating space for Zielinski, for example, in the pocket. Um, I think Varadzkeli has been outstanding, but for me, Ozyman's been their top. What do you think? So to me, my top three, now Mario Rui is actually a good shout. Anguissa is a good shout. Everyone's a good shout for this (laughs) Napoli team. Now, to me, the top three were Gvara, Lobotka, and Ozyman. Mm-hmm. So Lobotka runs the entire game for Napoli and he's criminally underrated, not only in Italy, but around the world. I almost had him at number one. Gvara has come in and made everyone forget about Insigne. He has so many ways to beat his man and he utilizes them to perfection. He can knock the ball around one side, he can step over, he can put the ball through your legs, he can lob the ball over you, he can do anything. Aside from that, his output is incredible. Um, he's explosive, he's direct, his crosses, his long-range curlers, he's absolute magic. On the other hand, there's Ossiman, who's a reliable goal scorer. I'd always bet on Ossiman to score in every single game. Whether it's a chance, a half chance, or no chance at all, he always poses a threat. He was out injured for a month, and he's still top scorer with mm-hmm. nine goals. Him and Gvara both have contributed to 11 goals each. Ossiman has two assists to go with his nine goals. Gvara has six goals and five assists. My final decision over here goes to Gvara because of the situation that Gvara is in. It's his first season over there. He's come from Georgia. He's 21 years old. Um, and 10 million euros only. 10 million euros only. And he's turned strikers like Raspadori and Simeone into world-class strikers. He got them scoring goals every single match by putting the ball on a plate for them. Mm. It's very, very tight. Ossiman is by far at the moment the best striker in the league and the most mm. devastating player to face. But Gvara's unpredictability, Gvara's vision and Gvara's magic, to me, puts him at number one. Fair enough, my brother. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too tight. I don't think mm-hmm. like there's any disagreements or anything no, no, of the sort. It's just one opinion against the other, no? Yeah. 
who's your flop? Now this is this is one of now, the Now my flop ones. is harsh because they don't have anyone who's been playing particularly badly. Now the only mm. two I could think of were um, Indombele, okay. who's coming and to be honest looked decent. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's finding his feet. He's finding exactly. His feet. Granted, he hasn't displaced. Anguissa, he hasn't displaced Lobotka, but let's be real. They're, they're two great players. It's going to be tough mm-hmm. to displace them. He's He started out well, so he's not my flop. Mm-hmm. My flop was Oliveira because Mario Rui, granted this season, he's one of the best left-backs in the uh-huh. league. Uh-huh. Um, Oliveira was bought to replace him because Mario Rui wasn't this good before. Exactly. That's the only reason that Oliveira is yeah. my flop. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And I thought about Oliveira as well. Um I'll give it to as well very, very harsh. I'm going to give it to Demme <laughs> because, <laughs> because Indombele has come in and as a fourth choice midfielder, he's really, really finding his feet. And for that reason, Demme has only played 19 minutes of football. Mm. And Oof. if you watched his performances last year, when him and Lobotka were playing in a double pivot, when, when Napoli were struck by injuries and there was Afcon as well, Demme looked really good. He was playing really well. So with Spalletti's rotation going on as well, I thought that we'd see more of them. And him only getting 19 minutes is very disappointing. He doesn't have an incredibly high ceiling, which makes my hypothesis a bit a bit flawed. Because mm-hmm. flop is a very harsh word. Mm-hmm. But you choose one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know and Demme's 30. I thought he was like in his 20s. <laughs> He's not 24. Yeah, Demme. what the fuck? He's 30. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a good shout, bro. Fair enough. Thank you very much. So that's Napoli. Yes. This is fun. This is fun. Shall, Shall we move on to Milan? Milan. Okay, so Milan, second on 33 points, eight points behind Napoli. A fun fact is that this is very, very close to the start Milan had last year. Just two points worse. Exactly, just two points the worse. Cremonese <laughs> the Cremonese game. Literally the fucking bloody Cremonese game. Milan have played 15, they won 10, they drew 3, and they lost 2. Some noteworthy results. Now, most of them came in the Champions League, so there were the two embarrassing losses to Chelsea, the 4 0, sorry, the 3 0 and the 2 0. Those were devastating. Um, and the back to back 4 0 victories over Salzburg and Zagreb are Milan's biggest wins for sure. Yes. But for the pod, this is Serie A spotlight. Um, in hindsight, Milan for Udinese too is a great result, mm-hmm. considering that Udinese went on a complete streak after that. Obviously, the victory in the Derby della Madonnina, beating Inter 3-2, beating Juve 2-0, uh, beating Monza 4-1, beating, uh, losing to Torino 2-1 is devastating for Milan, and drawing to Cremonese 0-0 is devastating for Milan as well. So the, mm. those are... Milan's high points and Milan's low points this season. Do you agree? I agree completely, bro. Um, I'm wondering if we should jump into Flynn mm. right now, Flynn's voice note, or discuss what we want to discuss right now. Shall we jump into Flynn? Because the man is incredibly well-spoken. And yes. I think just listening back to him will make us sound better after that. <laughs> <laughs> so. You're absolutely right. This is Benji Flynn from the Milan special. Well, coming off last year's incredibly exhausting and dramatic, to say the least, ending to the season where we managed to thankfully win the league, um, I felt that this year was always going to be a very difficult year for us. Um, obviously, when you're the champions, teams want to play their best against you. You have to play up to having that scudetto on, on your chest, you know. And so far, I can say I think we've done it well. Um, if I had to give a Fantacalcio, Pagel, uh, voto out of 10. 
I'd give the season a 6.57, maybe being a little kind. Um, I'll say why. Um, I th- we have to compare, obviously, Europe and League. Um, Europe, we did what we wanted to do. You know, we set out what we wanted to achieve and that's get through to the last 16. Um, what was very encouraging for me was the final two games. You know, we had to win them. There, were, there was pressure. There was an element of, of great pressure. And, you know, back-to-back 4-0 wins. Looked very comfortable in both games. Um, especially after the disappointments of Chelsea. You now, whatever happened, we can go on and on and on and say, you know, reserve of reserves and Tomori should have been sent off. And I mean, whatever the case may be, but we're through to the last 16 and that's what's important. And that's a great improvement from last year. You know, teams took four years once they qualified back for the Champions League to get through and we managed to do it in two. So that's, that's, that was very good. And the league is where we need to do a bit of self-reflection, I would say, because even though we are only two points worse off than when we were last year, so we've drawn one more game in essence, um, I think there needs to be a bit of, um, I think uh, the word is reflection. We need to look back at the games that we played and say, you know, we haven't been performing as well as we could be. I think most people would agree. Um, <coughs> sorry, if you look at our league performances, I mean, we've won many games at the death. So Empoli, Fiorentina, Spezia, you know, all last minute winners. Verona last 10 minutes as well. So, you know, we've thankfully showed, I think, the spirit of champions to be able to win those games, you know, especially against Empoli where, you know, you can see the goal at the end, away from home, everyone's going crazy in the stadium, you know, and you go right up the other end and score with your reserve left back, you know. I, I, I mean, yeah, there's an element of luck, I guess, but at the same time, you know, there was that that, that sort of cattiveria that we, we will witness game. And, and I think that's, that's very encouraging. Scontri Diretti, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been very good in them. I, you know, you can't really complain. Inter were fantastic. Um, Juve, you know, they com- we completely outplayed them from beginning to end. Atalanta, you know, I, I felt that we, should have, we were better in that game, even though we came draw. Um, I would say, you know, at the beginning of the year, obviously the, the, it doesn't look as, as difficult now, but, you know, Udinese, we managed to be, you know, win and win well even though, right before they had gone on that sort of strong run they did at the beginning of the year. Um, even Napoli, you know, I'd say even the game we lost. I mean, I, 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 we did not deserve to lose that game. You know, if Kalulu's shot is just that little bit under the bar, we could be having a completely different conversation. Um, but that doesn't paper over the cracks of the fuck-ups that have been, unfortunately... Um, you know, coming Milan's way year after year. You know, there's always those two, three games saying, Madonna, that, that those points against, I don't know who, you know, the Neo Promosso. I mean, we always seem to scrub those games. Yeah? Away against the newly promoted team with the funniest name, you know, Benevento, Salernitana, now Cremonese. Um, Sassuolo, you know, the draw now looks disappointing when you consider the season they're having. 
Torino, you know, again, it's a game we should never be losing. Um, you know, these are the games which, unfortunately, the other teams around us, you know, Inter come to mind. You know, they lost all theirs contro Diretti, but all the other games they win. And that's why they're more or less still close to us. Um, Napoli, you know, they, they win them all. Um, so these are games which we cannot afford to drop points. And I think it's something we do need to address in this break. I think this break is a welcomed one. Um, and I think it's good that the team regroups, gets together. I think it's important that that a lot of players, I mean, I think seven we have who are going to the World Cup. Um, seven important players, you know, the likes of Teo, Giroud, I mean... Even the Catalar, who you, who you'd want, you know, to, to to settle down a bit more with the team, but we can't really do anything on that, can we? Um, but but it's good, like you know, that Tomori, I think, stayed home. Manyan, I think, coming back from his injury, can 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 stay with the team and and get fit. Um, and and if we can come back fit and ready to go. I think we can reach Napoli. It would be very difficult. You know, eight points is no joke. But um, I think the team is more than capable. We've showed that fighting spirit before last year. And we're going to have to do it again. Um, obviously, Napoli have been crazy, you know. I mean, they've. I think they haven't won only two games this year. So uh, it will be very, very difficult to catch up to them. But I think we can do it. One thing I think we need to sort out, the main priority has to be the defence. Um, again, you know, having Tata Rosano and Manian, there's an enormous difference. I mean, it goes without saying, everyone knows that. Um, I think we're missing Calabria a lot. I think we're missing the, even m- more than Calabria, I say Calabria and Florenzi together. You know, if one is out, the other one comes in. Because, I mean, we've had to sacrifice Kalulu as a centre-back and Kalulu and Tomori last year had formed, you know, an incredible partnership. And when we were winning many games, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, you know, now we're leaking goals left, right and centre. And that's something which, you know, needs needs to stop if we're going to make a push to try catch up with Napoli. Um, and I think the summer signings, you know, I mean, where people would probably say, that the Mercato has been disappointing, you know, Origi hasn't lived up yet to, to the hype, you know, the Premier League apologists who said he's going to come in and tear up the league. And they're learning, they've quickly learned that, you know, it takes time to settle in. And and and, and, I, and I believe in him. I, I think he can settle down, you know, it hasn't been easy, but um, I think his performances can pick up. I hope they do, at least, because... I think he can be a good player. He'll, he'll have to be an important player in the second part of the season. Um, the Catalar, you know, we've seen flashes. So that's encouraging. Now, is there the layout on Ali Syndrome where it would take him a year or two to find himself? You know, I mean, we need to remember this guy joined late in the Mercato. He's leaving, you know, a country he's lived in all his life, going to a completely new world, you know, in... In Milan, it's it, it's not easy, you know. If you if you look at it from just simply a life perspective, that this guy, you know, is a twenty one year old kid, completely leaving his family to go play football at one of the biggest clubs in the world. There's obviously going to be a lot of pressure, but he needs to handle it, you know. That's that's when you show you're truly a great player. If you're, despite all this adversity, you still manage to perform week in week out, and I I believe there's a player in there. 
you know, and, and hopefully um, he can gain a bit more confidence. I think it's important he plays because that's the only way he's going to, you know, get better and get used to the league. Um, so I'm hoping as well those can be a bit... Um, be a bit more useful in 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 the second part of the season. So I think that's that's more or less my my take on our season so far. I mean it's encouraging. We've been winning games, although we haven't been doing so convincingly. I think we just need to clean up those couple of 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 things we've been struggling with, which has mainly been you know um, leaking goals at the back and and getting getting some other players more involved. Um, in, into the team and hopefully if everyone can come back healthy and well um I think we can make a real push towards towards Napoli and um, will we catch them I don't know I mean it's it's like I said you know eight points is a big gap but there's still a lot of football to be played so I think we can we can go for it um Champions League you know Tottenham will be a very very difficult tie but um Again, I'm hoping we can show that we are not afraid of these games anymore and, and the team is matured and they're ready to, to compete. And um, yeah, I, I think we could be in for a good second half of the season. Thank you very much, Flynn. That was um, some great insight over there. I particularly um, loved your point that um, two years back into the Champions League, and Milan are out of the group stage um, when typically it takes four to five years for the average team to get back into the rhythm there. Perhaps it's in the DNA. Um, perhaps it's in the group, no? Yeah. I, I mean, we saw last season, from last season's performances in the Champions League, where Milan were subpar against the teams, which on paper they were much better than. At least this season we're seeing Milan beat the teams they should beat. And Salzburg aren't exactly... Mm -hmm although Milan have a way better side on paper, a team that Milan should beat because they are a, a very formidable team. Yeah. They're in the Champions League. They're competitive. They have they're European experience. wins week in, week out. Like, exactly. In their league. Exactly. So it was a tough test. And for Milan to get those two back-to-back 4-0 wins, coming back after that double loss against Chelsea in the space of two weeks, we got embarrassed twice. I mean, it says a lot about the group. Definitely. Too many close calls. Um, Flynn says Milan often leave it to the death. Is this the spirit of champions he ponders? Um, what do you think, bro? So I think the, the close calls is something that we saw last year as well with Milan. Mm -hmm. um, sure, in the first half of the season, Milan were able to kill games off a bit earlier. And then halfway through the season and towards the end, we started seeing Milan leaving it to the death that... You know, 60th minute, 70th minute, 80th, 80th minute. And blood pressure still, rises. Yeah, exactly. And it's still nil-nil. Um, I think a, a praising point for Milan is that we've seen them get them at the death, being it an own goal against Fiorentina through Milenkovic or through a Giroud fucking, what was it, a scissor kick. Milan do manage to get it done at the end. However, mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. And we mm -hmm. saw that against Cremonese. We saw that against Torino. We saw that against Sassuolo. Milan do need to learn how to kill mm -hmm. the game off in the first half. Now, much. the thing about Milan, man, I, I don't know if it's just me who, who sees this, but when I watch Milan play, man, they always seem to be in a hurry. Mm. Like... Rushing to get the ball forward, everyone playing hero ball. 
Mm. Like, you know, everyone trying to to go for the ball over the top that would lead to an assist, or everyone mm. trying to take the shot, everyone trying to, to take on his man and cross it in promptly instead of just playing the ball sideways. They're kind of like the, the spectral opposite of Fiorentina right now. Fiorentina are super intricate and they overcomplicate uh-huh. everything and they never actually go for that killer touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Milan just are always playing with haste, man, always. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes you just need to take a breath, especially early on, man. Play the ball around, create some space on that flank, man. Play, mm. remember that goal against um, against Spezia, the Theo Hernandez goal? Ah, that was a perfect example of, a, true, of waiting of for, ball. exactly, Benacer ball over the top after fucking playing it around a bit. Mm-hmm. And and that's it, you, you execute on that. Um, so yeah, I feel like Milan need to be a bit more patient. They play like it's the 80th minute from the get-go sometimes. It's true, it's true. And it's it's a bit contradicting. Why? Because when Milan are patient, like they were against Dynamo Zagreb and Salzburg, mm-hmm. where we saw that in, in one of the games, I forgot which one, it was still in the last halftime, and we're like, okay, what is this performance? Mm-hmm. And then the second half come out and score four goals. That's because... There's patience, there's feeling out the game, and then Pioli knew what to do, made the right changes, the team knew what to do, adapted and trashed their mm. opponents. With that being said, when Milan are very patient, it could lead to that situation where it's nil-nil nearing the death. Mm-hmm. Like the game against Cremonese, but like then, the game against But then Sassuolo. you amp it up, you know, you amp it up in the fucking 70th minute, that's fine. But mm. to be playing... So fucking, they're rushed. so rushed. Exactly from the get go, mm. it's just not not the that way. That is to probably do it. the pressure from leaving it to the death mm. and turning it could up be. there. They're like, let's go get that first goal in the first half. It could be a vicious. Circle. So it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure over there. Benevento, Salernitana, Cremonese, Sassuolo. The funny teams that get promoted tend to take points from Milan. Flynn compares this to um, Inter, who have lost. Their direct encounters against um, their direct rivals, quite frankly, but have beaten the teams below them and therefore are still relevant. Mm. Um, why do you think it is that Milan tend to stumble at least once a year to one of these teams, bro? I don't quite know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think it's a certain approach that the smaller teams take against mm. Milan that, that simply make them harder to play against the more intricate teams. I think sometimes Milan would rather face Napoli who pile men forward and Milan can catch them on the break rather than play a Cremonese or play with 10 men mm-hmm. at the back essentially. We saw that on the low block, against the low block, Milan tend to suffer mm-hmm. quite a bit. And I think the smaller teams take that approach because it's Milan and because they know no better because it's mm-hmm. no longer this area burn. So I think it goes down to that. I think it goes down to it being the low block and Milan still not finding a way to penetrate that. Mm-hmm. So... I think the low block is a fantastic point because against the low block, Milan do struggle to penetrate in open play. Now, mm-hmm. Milan open play have the third most goals in the league, 20 goals, three goals less than Napoli and two goals less than Lazio. Um, however, Milan's greatest weakness, and this has been the case for a while now, set pieces, bro, when mm-hmm. it comes to taking set pieces, when it comes to defending set pieces. Mm-hmm. Milan concedes so many goals to set pieces and these lower side teams focus so much effort and time on set pieces because it, you're going to get a set piece in a game and if your yeah. routine, if your drill is good, mm. you're bound to challenge the keeper, you're bound to get a uh-huh. goal. You know what think, I mean? Think about it. I mean, Napoli are fantastic at set plays and that's yes. part of the reason why they're so good. Roma 
All their goals no, come from fucking all set their goals. pieces, Roma. Italy won the Euros from fucking set, set plays. It's true. They had what? The infamous 250 different routines. They <laughs> can take from free kicks, <laughs> yes, some shit like that. that. You yeah. simply need to brush up in that area. And, and I don't think, I genuinely don't think it's not having the personnel to take the free kicks and to mm. take the corners. Because what? Milan it's, it's had Chalanoglu. Milan I'm... had Chalanoglu and they still struggled from set pieces, bro. Yeah, Flynn, right now, just stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Milan, bro, have scored one set piece this year. Mm. That's a the couple lowest of in weeks the league. ago. Like. Yes, exactly. Bologna have scored one, Torino have scored one, Sassuolo have scored one, Empoli have scored one, and Sampdoria have scored one. Everyone else has scored more than Milan set pieces. Now, I don't know why Milan... Uh, there was a video there with Semper oh. Milan recently. He mentioned the outswinging corners. Why the fuck in 2022 are Milan taking outswinging corners when everyone's taking in-swinging corners to the far post, in-swinging corners to the front post with a flick onto the back post? Everyone's doing that, and everyone's doing that with success, and Milan are here taking outswinging corners, oh. and they can't even beat the first man and, in the box. And not only that, but the zonal marking that Milan show when defending set oh pieces my God. is also the, abysmal. The Chelsea game, my it's like... Corner, corner after corner after corner after, after corner and, and they're mistakes almost same scoring mistakes. every time like and on the third one they scored like, fucking hell yeah. man I, I don't get it I I honestly don't get it the, Flynn says that the defense is the most concerning thing for me is the set pieces and honestly um I think that Milan if they don't sort this out it'll be a big problem and they'll continue to struggle to to um, unlock these low yeah. block teams yeah quite frankly fair enough shall we jump to our tops and flops. Um, yes, there's just one point, one thing I want to point out first, uh, literally deja vu. Um, <laughs> so Tata Rusano has, or is going to get surgery. In his he's, eyes. He's got, no? a, yeah, he's got an astigmatism. Uh, that's the same thing I have, bro. Yeah. You, know, you know how mm-hmm. um, when I'm stressed or when, when, I'm, when I'm tired, <laughs> I'm a god awful goalkeeper, I'm scared of the ball. Like. Um, when I watch football at the end of a day, like I get home at the end of a very fucking tough day, I sit down, I'm like, all right, time to watch the game. I see double. Mm. That, that's what an astigmatism does. It, help, it, it fucks your focus. Mm-hmm. So I, Jake Fennec, I'm seeing double, it fucks me. I can't watch the game properly on my TV. Mm. I can't even imagine playing in goal for Milan. Ma. And you have this problem. He, had this, he said that he had to learn how to focus. You know, no one is Tom, always shouting. I think he probably mm. hasn't even realized. He probably can't even see him. No like. wonder he stays on the line and doesn't Yeah, <laughs> doesn't leave because he can't see anything. <laughs> Am I gonna bump into something and break my fucking skull if I jump out? He sees two balls coming at him every time. Now it's a shame he's getting the surgery now because he might not even feature for Milan again. You know, there are rumors that Terracciano will be coming in as a second keeper next season mm. and Manian's coming back from injury. So we might never see Tatarzano on goal again for Milan. Respect to Tata because he played, he played his part. Well. He played well. He yes. played his part last year in particular. Even now, I mean, he pulled off big saves. You know, granted, he's not as commanding. Um, the defense looks a bit shakier without money on uh, commanding it. You know, Flynn made a good point as well, by the way, about the defense with Calabria and Florenzi. People often forget about them. But right uh-huh. now, Kalulu is a makeshift right back. And it's he's disrupting. great there. He's, he's great there. Great, but, but he but formed the great disrupts center back. the flow yeah. that Tomori and Kalulu have together as a formidable center back duo. Now, exactly. Tomori is either playing aside Gabia or, or Franks or Kier. Mm. And how long is that going to go on for? Some continuity is needed. Last Mm. year, it was the same back four, except when Calabria was injured and there was Florenzi, who at times last season was even better than than Calabria, especially going forward. 
Yes, um, Flynn says that the break is a welcomed one. I completely agree. One hundred percent. Now, yeah. tops, bro. So, with me, that's a bit difficult because I don't think there has been one man in particular that has stood out head and shoulders mm-hmm. above the rest. So, I mean, you could talk about Tomori, you could talk about Teo, you could talk about Benasser, Tonali, Leao, Giroud. These can all be in your short list, but you can't give it to the defenders because the defense has been very shaky. Mm-hmm. So you can forget uh, Fick and Teo, even though. Both of them have been very good on their day. Um, when you think of the midfield, the pair have been great as always, solid, fluid, and they each grabbed a goal as well in Ben Nasser and uh, Tonali. Leao and Giroud are Milan's most dangerous players. Leao can beat any right back in the world, but his finishing still needs a lot of work and he often needs grounding. Um, but still, he has six goals and four assists this season. Giroud takes it for me. Yes. Because he's maintained his spot over Origi on his arrival. He's playing two matches a week at 35 years old and scoring in the important moments. Mm-hmm. He has three contributions less than Leao only. Leao is in his physical prime and Giroud is 35 years old. And he's still getting five goals and three assists, along mm-hmm. with being the silent captain on the, on the pitch, making everyone better and encouraging everyone and being a real leader. So... Mm-hmm. For his performances, for his goals, and for the contribution he gives, aside from direct contributions, I would say Giroud has been the hero of Milan so far. Fair enough. The hero, I do agree. Um, And all the points you mentioned were correct. Uh, He's 36, by the way. 36, 36, okay. All the shit. God bless. Um, For me, the top bro is Benasser. Fair enough. I think that nothing ticks without Benasser in the midfield. Fair enough. I think he's he's the key to Milan right now. And probably, you know, I mean, Leao is obviously the most talented player. He's obviously the, the main offensive outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have seen Leao this season, for example, get subbed off in the, at the beginning Those of the second half. Yeah, the two big misses against Cremonese. I can't give my top to that guy. And Benasser is flawless, man. Benasser is absolutely flawless. Everything Benasser does is the correct thing to do in that situation. It's true. And, it's and, true. He's just an incredible player, man. He should be renewing for four million. Sources are saying Milan are very good at getting, getting close to renewing. Um, very good at that, but uh-huh. not particularly good at actually renewing. So we'll see mm. what happens over there. Now, when it comes to the flop, bro, it was between two men for me. Renato Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, of course, um, Deke Talare, who I mm-hmm. personally don't think is a flop, but... Mm-hmm. You have to put him out there, no? Yeah, he, he has to be a part he of the has, conversation. He has to be a sure. part of the conversation. Flynn put it perfectly, the human perspective of it. Mm-hmm. Massive transfer fee, 21 years old, coming into a new league, doesn't speak the language, you know, so many things. Like he has to adapt. And now we've seen the adaptation period. It, it took long mm-hmm. for Leo, it took long for Tonali, it took, it took long for Benasser. Benasser in his first few games was getting a yellow card every single game. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? And yeah, yeah, Leo yeah. would slap him in the head. Mm-hmm. For me, the flop has been Origi. Yeah. Because he has been brought in to relieve the pressure of, of Giroud. And Giroud has never had to be as involved as he is now, it's quite true. frankly. It's true. It's so true. for me, Origi is the flop. He hasn't looked terrible. Mm. But it's just, you know, he hasn't made himself available. He hasn't um, played for the team. He's been yeah. eager to score to the point that he's looked a bit selfish at times. Mm-hmm. So mm. for me, Origi is the, the flop for me yeah. so far. I agree with you. Origi is the flop for me as well. I think when he came in, his ceiling was incredibly high. Champions League experience, and he's going to play his part in the Champions League. He's been shit in the Champions League. Um, 
Decatelare is definitely, definitely part of the conversation when you consider that Origi was brought in on a free and it's his first season versus Decatelare's first season and Milan spent 40 million on him. So I think it's very, very close, but I'd give it to Origi um, for the simple fact that his ceiling was higher because he's more experienced. Decatelare coming from... But the expectations the expectations like mean, yeah. the expectations the Lare, it's true because then the Ketelare has a higher season the yes, yes. Lare coming in at 21 years old from Club Bruges and before he even joined we're saying he looks very raw he looks very mm-hmm. raw mm-hmm. so we all knew that the Ketelare will need more work when you would see Brahim feature quite a bit so yeah Origi is also my flop very good shall we move on to Juventus Juventus yes Third place, 31 points, slow start, but they've kind of picked it up now. They played 15 matches, they won nine of them, drew four and lost two. Some noteworthy results of theirs throughout this campaign was their uh, victory in the Derby della Mole, beating Torino 1-0. There was the 2-0 recent victory over Inter in the Derby d'Italia. There was a 3-0 victory over Lazio recently as well. They also dismantled Empoli 4-0 and Bologna 3-0. But then they also lost to Monza 1-0 and they drew 0-0 to Sampdoria, who are in the bottom mm-hmm. three. Yes. So it's been a bit, a very slow start, a very negative start. People calling for Allegri's head. But now they've turned things around and they're suddenly, after a couple of solid wins, in third place, sniffing down Milan's backs. They're only two points behind Milan now. Yes, bro, they've gone from third, from sorry, they've gone from mid-table to third. Mm. Allegri went from Allegri out to 10 clean sheets and only seven goals conceded with, se- with six wins in a row. Rabiot went from flop to their main offensive outlet, mm-hmm. making his 10 million euro request seem somewhat <laughs> reasonable somehow. Um Juve right now have gone from zero to hero in and every single like, aspect possible. Like I they were tenth. I blinked on their third. Yes, like, man, that's it. They've that's really, it. they've really and the narrative. When needed. The narrative has been turned upside down quite frankly, mm. completely flipped on its head, and it's crazy to see. Goes to show football, man. Football, mm-hmm. Time in football is is very different yeah. to time in real life. And you know it's I mean? it's very good. It's a very good sign for Juve because Juve had this shift in January last year. Now they've got it a bit earlier. They started their run now, I mean, six matches ago. You know what I mean? They would have started their run in three matches' time Mm -hmm. last year. And they managed to get third last year. Uh So now that they've kind of nipped it at the bud and they've turned things around, we could literally see them fight for that top spot. Definitely, bro. Definitely. And we have our boy Steve to cover the details on that. You all know him from the Juve special. Hey guys, I'm Steve. I'm a Juventus fan. I'm super happy you guys asked me to give you guys some feedback from a Juventus point of view of how the season is going so far and what to expect in the future. So with regards to expectations after the really strong summer Mercato we had, I believe it was only natural to assume a top four finish. And me being the optimistic that I am, I was like, okay, we're going to destroy the league first place for sure. You know, we had Allegri coming into his second year. Vlahovic had his first full year. Chiesa's coming back. We signed 
Pogba, Kostic, Di Maria, who I thought was going to be fundamental. So I felt like it's only natural to assume that we would win the league. I thought we had the strongest team on paper by far. But that was before I saw this Napoli side who just don't seem to lose a game and they just seem to becoming stronger and stronger. I thought when Ozyman got injured, they were really going to struggle, but they just arguably became even stronger. Raspadori stepped up, Simeone stepped up. I mean, they look unstoppable right now. Now, the thing is, it was me being optimistic. Then I started seeing the injuries and stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe a top four finish will be more than acceptable. Inter and Milan will always remain Inter and Milan. They are strong contenders. However, I do feel like this year, Napoli are going to run away with it. If it's not this year, it's never, I'm afraid. Also, I was now expecting to definitely get, get out of the group stages of the Champions League. However, Benfica and Maccabi Haifa had different ideas. I was not expecting to beat PSG, but we weren't going to go any further in the Champions League given recent history. But I do, I did think that we'd get out of the group stages for sure. So that would be the roundup of my expectations. So with regards to the European tournament, safe to say, I'll keep this short and sweet. I expected to get out of the group stages of the Champions League, but whatever. I can use the usual excuses of injuries and all this, but that's not an excuse to lose to Maccabi Haifa. And the Benfica games, in my opinion, were almost lost single-handedly by, the, by our defense, specifically Bonucci, who needs to accept he's become a liability at this point. With regards to Europa League, I would be happy with a semi-final finish. I do not think we are the strongest team there because there's United, there's Barcelona. These are very strong teams. I mean, I'd be very surprised. But then again, as we've seen, Juve on their day are capable of going all the way. However, I think semi-final is a decent expectation. The thing is, with these constant injuries, it's a bit hard to really tell where where we're going to finish because gauging a finish really depends on your fully fit team. Now, we've been saying this as Juventus fans, we have something wrong in our fitness department because the amount of injuries we have, one injury after the next. I mean, Keza was coming back, he had to be stopped for an, another week. There's something in the fitness team which has to be changed. So that's something Juventus definitely need to work on the amount of injuries we've had and repeat injuries is ridiculous. De Maria is another case in point. He comes, plays one game, he's out for three. It's ridiculous. You can't rely on this type of game plan. With regards to Juventus's strengths and weaknesses, I'm going to start with the strengths. I still believe we have a top two striker in the league in Vlahovic. I do think once he, he is supplied with Chiesa, Di Maria, even Fagioli behind him, Pogba throwing him balls, I feel like we're going to see really what Vlahovic is capable of. Chiesa, we know he's good. Another strength of Juventus is our youth system. I mean, we're seeing these players, Ilin Jr., Miretti, Fagioli, these are all youth players and they're more up to scratch. Di Maria, when he plays, I mean, we need to take him as a bonus at this point. When he plays, he offers a lot. Kostic has finally seemed to settle in and he looks fantastic. I mean, that game against Inter, you guys said yourself, Jake specifically said what a game he had and he, he was super impressive, in my opinion. I mean, Barella couldn't keep up with him. He was gone. And what's, what's promising about this Juventus side is that we haven't even seen them at full capacity. Pogba still has to start. Now, is it going to be the same 2015 Pogba? Probably not, but I still do think he will be an upgrade in our midfield. Another strength is that we have Allegri who knows this area. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he receives a lot of stick, but at the end of the day, Allegri is Allegri. We can't deny all that he's won. 
our biggest strength has to be our defense. I mean, we have the least goals conceded. We have six clean sheets in a row. Bremer over Delict. I mean, who is Delict at this point? I mean, Bremer seems to have just fit in. He needed no time to adapt. He just looks fantastic. And Danilo on this newfound center back role has never looked better. In my opinion, he was he's giving me Barzali Barzali vibes. He's, he looks fantastic. With regards to our weaknesses, a player we used to rely on a lot, Quadrado, has completely fallen off this year. I mean, he can't skip his man, loses the ball, playing selfishly, shoots when he should cross, crosses when he should, when he should shoot. Everything is just not working out. My man needs to find a bit of form again. Bonucci, as I've mentioned, complete defensive liability. Our injuries are another weakness, which all stems from our fitness team, I believe. Uh, Juventus tend to struggle when we go behind first. We don't know how to fight for that 2-1. I mean, we're very good when when we're doing very well. We go even better. But when we're bad, we find it hard to get out of a slump and to fight back. The team doesn't have that grinta, doesn't have that Mandzukic mentality to just fight through the win. You see Vlahovic like clapping, trying, and it's sad when you see one of the youngest players on the team needing to motivate this whole team because everyone has their head down just because we conceded a goal. So once again, Juventus's major downfall is when the things are good, they're really good. But when things are going bad, I mean, the team just seems to give up with the coach inclu- included. Allegri tends to blame the players. So just to recap, basically, my personal predictions for the Scudetto, optimistically, top two, realistically, top four, because as I mentioned earlier, Inter are Inter, Milan are Milan. And in the Europa League, I think a semi, semi-finals is doable. Optimistically winning it, but realistically, I think semi-finals is where we should aim for. Final prediction, Zinedine Rabiot for Ballon d'Or. <laughs> Rabiot for the Ballon d'Or, indeed, <laughs> my brother. Um, when it comes to, yes, uh, thank you very much, Steve, first of all. Um, <coughs> Steve, ladies and gentlemen, one of my closest friends. The boy, we shaved matching moustaches for our recent Amsterdam <laughs> trip. That was great fun. We looked like a group of pedophiles. It was great. <laughs> um, expectations coming into the season. Um, Juve, uh, Steve said that Juve, that he thought that Juve were going to smash it up. And to be honest with you, I thought the same. Yeah. Their team on paper with Allegri coming back um, looked amazing. If you refer to episode 2.2, the Mercato catch-up we had recorded with Santi mm. and Mintoff, I had said that my... Prediction to win the league was Juve. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you said Milan. I said Juve back then. Um, no, you said Milan. You said you will have a snippet of you saying we'll go back to back. But that was um, later on. There was there was before the ah, market during and the, there was maybe after during the market. The Mercato during the yeah. Mercato catch-up, I thought Juve were going to win it. And mm. then when the season actually started, I changed my prediction to Milan. Um, yes, but uh, that was also the most fucked up we've ever been on a podcast before in our lives. <laughs> By far, oh, sure. Um, 2.2, guys, we have to go check it out. <laughs> yes, um, I did think so as well. So, bro, that, that Juve were going to win the league. And it must be said that they they underperformed coming into, into the season, as Steve said. The group stage elimination in the Champions League is the most detrimental thing of it because the league... Uh, it was early days and they have recovered and they, you know, they've gone over their slump. Unfortunately, mm. there's no room for error in the Champions League and now they're forced to play in the Europa League. So you said they can make it to the semifinals. Why not? Allegri is very good at knockout tournaments, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Um, Juve fans are also the only fan base who can pronounce Maccabi Haifa perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the trauma. You learn yeah. a lot from trauma. Yeah, everyone just calls them like that team. That you team. know, the other team, pretty much. Um, now, look at this, bro. So, Juve have a top defense. Yeah. Juve have a top two striker, as Juve mm-hmm. said. Top two striker, of course, Victor Ozymans, they're li- lingering, no? Mm-hmm. Now, the problem was connecting these two departments, right? Mm-hmm. The, the void that was their midfield. But now, out of nowhere, as Steve said, Zinedine Rabiot, no? Yeah. Rabiot yeah. has emerged as this incredible player who's so elegant on the ball and his output's amazing. These long balls over the top, these quick fucking passes, the shots, you know, his shot's amazing. Like, mm. he has... Be- well, yeah, he has become the gel between the midfield and the attack. Not mm. to mention, of course, Kostic and Illing Jr. Yeah. Yeah. On the wings Now how would it look With Rabio on the midfield With Paredes And Pogba Fully fit next to him We might see A fully rejuvenated Juve side We might see A formidable Juve side Let's not forget That there's Di Maria On this team as well Who I know people Are writing off Because he's old But let's not forget What old players can do In this fucking league First yeah. of all Yeah And let's not forget What this guy has done On the big stage I mean Two years ago Coppa Fucking America Final He's chipping the goalkeeper in the final against Brazil to win them the tournament. Yeah. You know, for Paris Saint-Germain, he's scoring in big games. You know what I mean? This guy is a yeah. big game player, Di Maria, and you can never write him off. No, he's he's fantastic. And you mentioned those three midfielders in uh, Paredes, Pogba and Rabiot. Didn't mention Locatelli. I didn't even mention didn't Locatelli. Didn't mention Miretti, yeah. didn't mention Fagioli. Didn't mention any of these guys. So suddenly they have a very versatile midfield as well. Um I think for both of us, I guess our tops would be Rabiot. Yes. No? Yes. The top the top has to be Rabiot. Now uncontested, right? No. Un- uncontested, a few points I'd like to bring up is that the two new guys that have managed to stay fit in Bremer and Kostic have been pivotal. Mm-hmm. Um Kostic being a very versatile outlet down the left and Bremer contributing heavily in making Juve the Serie A side with the least goals conceded with seven and fifteen. Yes. Fajoli and Miretti have looked incredibly promising in their young stretch in their young stature, but I can't yet consider them tops, um, although they've been very good. Um, Duzan has obviously been great, but he went out injured, and the Allegri system doesn't favor his strengths that much, so we don't really see um, the goal scoring side of him mm-hmm. as much as we'd have seen it with Fiorentina. Milik has also been good in partnering him and filling the void until he too got injured. Um, so with all that taken into account, I think they're all honorable mentions. But yeah, Rabiot 100% takes the cake. Yes, sir, bro. Uh... Especially just one more point on Rabiot. His summer and the beginning of the season was absolutely plagued with people wanting his head because he was linked to United. Yes. And he was very close to leaving and he must have been in the weirdest headspace ever. Now that he knows where his future lies and that it lies at Juve and that the coach, the coach has always shown faith in him. He mm. was starting him on the left. He was starting on the right. He was starting him everywhere. Now he's playing in his natural position. He knows where his future lies. He's found the confidence. We've been promised the ceiling from Rabiot. For ages, for years, he was known mm. as that up and coming guy with PSG. Now we're seeing his ceiling. Yes, finally, we're seeing what he can do. Um, Steve also mentioned, bro, the high highs and the low lows, which I find really interesting. Like when it's going well for Juve, mm. it goes very well. When it goes badly for Juve, it goes very badly. Um, I just want to point out that I don't think this would be the case anymore because 
they've gone six in a row without conceding a single game, meaning that if they concede a goal now, mm. you were going to be fucking hungry to, to get a result anyway. Um, they were sulking after every goal because things were going horribly. Mm. Now that things are going well, I don't think that they'll go these stretches, these long stretches um, of negativity. Quite frankly, uh-huh. I think I think they could start seeing sustainability in their mm. good performances. It's no joke that in 15 matches you only concede seven goals. It's, it's, it's no though. joke I mean, that you turn things around and from 10th you're in third. It's no joke that they wanted your manager's head and now he just won coach of mm. the month in, in Serie A. So they should keep their heads up and they should move forward. And to be honest, I think, like I said earlier, since they managed to pick it up a bit earlier than they did last year, we could really see Juve putting the past behind them. They've technically, not technically, they've only got two losses and four draws. I mean, if they lose two more games and they draw three more games, they're in the chance to win the league, man. Yeah, that's true. Um, For me, flop, bro, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for you, is Bonucci. He was meant to step up. He was meant to become the leader of this team. Instead, he has been displaced by the likes of Gatti, who was in Serie A two years ago. He made Brahim Diaz look like Lionel Messi and even <laughs> gave him the opportunity to celebrate like him. Um, he always seems one step behind. He's static. Allegri's style doesn't even allow him to play to his strengths, which is mm-hmm. these, these long balls over the top. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's just been made redundant, quite yeah. frankly. But he's, not, he's not useful anymore to them. Especially if they're playing a three in the back, mm-hmm. which they have been recently... Bremer, Alexandro, and um, Danilo, Danilo, or, or even good. or even Gatti. Mm-hmm. That is a much better three than the Bonucci, where we're even part of the picture. Um, Bonucci has become a symbol. No, he's become that locker room figure. Now, what's interesting about that is the fact that you know their main locker room figure a couple of years ago ditched them for Milan. No, with a, uh-huh, very, he's petty a, con- move. a very controversial figure. figure Bonucci. Yes. He's not a Rajel. He's not yeah, a, he's not a, a respectable individual. He I also, really like that story of him getting mugged mm-hmm. for someone trying to steal his Rolex when he was buying a Ferrari. Massive flex, by the way. Yeah. Guy points a gun at him in front of his wife and kids, and Bonucci just punches him in the fucking face and runs after him. He that's, probably fucked his wife so good after that's that. That's alpha. But then, um, <laughs> you know, he also has that thing where, you know, um, the fans were fucking chimping out to Moiskin, you know, scratching the uh-huh. armpits and all that uh-huh. shit. It was fucking terrible. He's like, Moiskin, yeah, relax, yeah, man. He's like, Mois, man, Mois. <laughs> Stop this, man. <laughs> Look what Stop. you're making them do. Stop being black, bro. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, 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 Awful. terrible. Yes. So Awful. at the end of the day, he is a locker room presence. He does represent that nine-time Scudetto reigning yeah, yeah, side yeah, yeah, in yeah. Juventus. Um, but yes, as a man, <laughs> he's questionable. Yeah, I think it's it's very disappointing and unlucky for Pogba not to have featured once yet through to injury. He's also missing the World Cup. It's always harsh to give someone a, a flop due to injury. So it's obvious mm-hmm. for that reason I haven't. And I've decided to give it to Bonucci instead. Yes, bro. Shall we move on to Lazio? Lazio. Oh, I can't wait to listen to Steve Grima oh, talk about Lazio. Yes, we He's actually we have a, the only Lazio fan we know um, actually mm-hmm. agreed to send us a voice note. So thank you very much, Steve Grima. Thank you, Steve. You're the man. Yeah. 
Um, Lazio are in fourth on 30 points. They've actually had a very, very good campaign thus far. I didn't even have them sniffing Europe. And here they are showcasing that they pretty much deserve to be there right now as it stands. Um, They played 15 matches. They won nine of them. They drew three and they lost three. Some noteworthy results is their beautiful 3-1 victory over Inter. Their away victory against Atalanta, winning 2-0, handing them their first defeat. Their away victory in the Derby della Capitale, beating Roma 1-0 through Latibania's mistake. Um, They also had those infamous three 4-0 wins in a row against Cremonese, Fiorentina and Spezia. That was quite some run. Then they've also had some disappointing results. They lost 3-1 at home to Salernitana. They've lost 3-0 most recently against Juve away from home. And they also drew 1-1 to Sampdoria, who are shit. So... (laughs) (laughs) Quite. I couldn't have said it better, bro. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, What are your takes? So before we get to Steve Green, what are your takes on Lazio so far? Very dangerous. So again, as you mentioned, um, people did write them off, but it would be foolish in hindsight to write off Sarri. Because Sarri on his second season is, is when he gets going, right? Great season so far. They managed to even beat Roma, a vital derby without Milinkovic Savic or Immobile. And, mm-hmm. you know, Sarri loves his players. Sarri doesn't really stray away from starting 11. So seeing them manage a victory in that manner yeah. was, was impressive. And um, with the team, he wants to play. He yeah. doesn't want to play Luis Alberto. He doesn't play Luis Alberto and he still gets the points. Yeah, he plays Vecino. He brought him from Inter and he fucking scores. Like, it's there you go. Crazy. There you go. Um, they're off to a good start. Not, Lazio often start well. The question is, can they keep it up? The break arrives at a good time for them too because they can recover the likes of Immobile. They can recover um, the likes of... Zakani as well. Not really Sergei because he's heading off with the Serie A11. Exactly. And the Serie A11 will probably make it to the final, right? So he'll be out <laughs> there the whole time. They have a very tough group, Serbia, bro. They I'm nervous, man. <laughs> We'll see, bro. We'll see. Come on, Serbia. We'll have to um, learn the anthem. Die, brate. Die, brate. <laughs> let's <laughs> jump. <laughs> let's, let's jump straight to the Serbian man himself, Steve Grima. Yo, yo, yo. Okay, Hanibda. So, thanks for having me on as the Lazio supporter, possibly the first one. I'll be discussing a bit the season so far for Lazio. So, I started the summer transfers. Um... Having brought in first two goalers, being Maximiano and Provedel, to replace Strakosha, who left on a free, and Reina, who also left on a free, but due to his age. Um, I believe Maximiano came off, he started unluckily. I believe he was unfortunate in the fact that he only played for five minutes, got sent off for a silly error, and was replaced by Provedel, who's been extremely positive so far. He's had a major change towards helping the defense keep those clean sheets for so long. He's stepped up to the plate and delivered as expected, but he's I think he's also surpassed expectations. I'm very, very happy for Provedel. And I believe Maximiano also has his place to fit into the team, but I think there's still a, a way to go, especially seeing that Provedel is performing so well. Then we have Marcos Antonio, who is still young and full of potential. Unfortunately, his size being small, um, does act as a bit of a detriment towards him but at the same time he's a very fast player on the ball I feel like he still needs to fit into the team but I I think it will take some more time but he has time he has time uh, the same thing can be said for Gila so far I feel like he's failed to impress the most 
But it's still, once again, very, very early to tell. I think he still has time where he needs to fit in. Casale, on the other hand, has been very, very positive. He's picked up later on towards the end of the of this calendar year, but he's been of great help and he's settling in taking the main centre-back place with Romagnoli, who has been the major leader and Laziale for the team. It's great having another Laziale on board. And he's also set up to the plate and delivered as expected of him. He's been what solidified the defence and has been giving us uh, great results at the back which is literally opposing the opposite of what happened last year, basically. Um, once the same can be said for Vecino, who has been a strong entry. To be honest, it was unexpectedly positive from my end. I did not expect him to have such an effect. I thought he would just be a, a supporting sub who would come in and give a shift. But honestly, he's, he's also surpassed my expectations. He's scored. He's... he's uh, given uh, he's collaborated with the team and his he's played his part. I could also uh, talk about Cancellieri, who has lots of potential, but once again, I feel like he still has a long way to go, to be honest, though he's, he's still young. And what's important now is that he gets his, his, time, his time and his match practice. Um, when it comes to the, to the sales, I'm glad to have gotten rid of uh, Moriki, Vavro, Unfortunately, yes, Strakosha was uh, left on a free. Luis Felipe, unfortunately, also left the team on a free. But I don't think he will be as missed when we see the uh, positive defenders that we've brought on board. Correa, who left for 23 million. Um, uh, and obviously, Acerbi, who was, in my opinion, a big loss. But I guess that chapter is now closed. When I see the results of Lato so far in the Serie A this season, I feel like we've ex surpassed the expectations. Um, we've only had three losses in Serie A. I mean, against Napoli and Juve, which I guess were expected. I mean, Napoli are currently first, and Juve, were, which was the most recent game, were at a high point in their season, while Lazio were at a low point with all the injuries. And I guess those were expected. Unfortunately, the upset was against Salernitana. But once again, I guess that's just one upset, so I can't really complain. When it comes to draws, I guess against Udinese was quite a fair draw. And we drew against Torino and Sampdoria, I guess, was also an upset due to their position in the standings. When I think about the players throughout the season who have stood out for me, I would obviously mention Savic. I would mention Provedel having a great season once again. I would mention Cataldi for his crucial importance and also another leader and the true Laziale of the team. He's really stepped up to the plate, taking the captain's armband at times also. And he plays his position perfectly. He plays the ball, he creates play, perfect free kicks, corners. I feel like he's, uh, he's, been, of, he's been a great leader in the team. I would also mention Pedro coming in clutch at 35. You know, whenever he's needed, he comes in, adds that extra spark to the team. Felipe Anderson, who's managed to take on any role required of him, including striker now, instead of immobile when needed. And he's performed as much as possible. He's also scored when needed. He scored in the derby, <laughs> of which I am eternally grateful. But to be honest, my... Uh, my most standout player, in my opinion, would be Zakani. 
at this point, I think he's more crucial than Immobile, even though obviously Immobile is injured. But he's scored, he's contributed to goals. Every time he's on the ball, he's a major, major threat. And I can't ask anything more of that. We were unlucky to have him also injured against Juventus. But I hope to see more of the same from him next uh, next year. When it comes to disappointing players, once again, I'd mentioned Marcos Antonio and Gila, but I feel like they still need to settle in. Um, Hisai, for example, has had another year with Lazio, who I believe he's not at the levels required of him to be part of this team. But at the same time, he has also given his his effort towards the team. He has also worked and he's been a good substitute so far. I think he's performed better than I expected of him. He's performed better than last year, for example. And finally, I'd mention Bazic too. I still don't think he, he can seem to fit into the team 100%. I still don't think he can find his footing yet, which is unfortunate. I still believe in him. I still don't think he should he should leave in January or the end of the season. But his his time is slowly running out. When it comes to the Luis Alberto situation, I, I'm honestly not sure what's going on exactly. Some say he's he's unhappy with the team and unhappy with Sarri and he's rebelling. Some say Sarri just doesn't like him, doesn't like the way he plays, doesn't like his attitude towards the team. There are a lot of expectations that he will leave in January, that his last games were behind him. I, I like Luis Alberto a lot. Unfortunately, I think this... This uh, is bad news if he leaves. I think he has a lot to give to the team. I think he he does love the team. But if his it is true that his attitude does not fit in with the team, then I think it's it's the right move for him to leave, unfortunately. Um when it comes to the to the cursed Europa League, I feel like there was also a mixture of Misfortune with the eight points, but also it was slightly deserved. I mean, it it was unlucky to to go out with eight points, but at the same time, it is inexcusable to lose to Midtjylland five one and to draw to Stormgratz twice. We we were expected to win all three of them. Obviously, it's you can't just say that you have to win all three and win them all. But at the same time, uh, the 5-1 loss to Midtjylland was, was disgraceful. Now, we can't, look, we can't look more back at the past. Um, we have to look forward towards the, the Conference League. We have to be in it to win it. Even if Sarri or Elitare says that uh, the Conference is a <laughs> loser's league or whatever, now we're in it and we should be in it to win it. Uh, even if Sarri also says that Lazio don't have the depth yet for three competitions, which I slightly agree with, um, uh, now that we're in the Conference League, we have no excuses. When it comes to depth, I think what we mainly need is a second striker at this point. We need a Vice Mobile. We can't keep banking on on Philip Anderson to play out of position and to to work miracles. I don't think that's going to be a long term solution. I feel like Immobile at his age will have more injuries, so we do need a second striker. If I had to give an overall rating for the season so far, I would give it a solid 8.5 on 10. I can only hope for more of the same. My <laughs> hopes are also towards Napoli and Milan dropping points in the Champions League. Same with Juve and Inter in the Europa League and Champions League respectively. Um, 
so that maybe we could uh, sneak up and steal some more points and and get ahead of them and maybe secure a Champions League spot, which is where I believe we should be at this point. So thank you. No, no, no. Thank you, Steve, brother. Thank you, brother. That's the second Steve we've had on in a row. Can we maintain? Listen and find out. And the first Grima. Will we have another one? Stay tuned. Exactly. Perhaps one that supports a worse team. We will see. <laughs> um, he mentioned, of course, let, let's begin to address the points. Thank you very much, Steve Grima. Amazing fucking points. Um, thank you for doing this. Agreed. Providel has been a revelation for, for Lazio. Yes. Um, Luis Maximiano came in, made a mistake, perhaps the harshest um, outcome to a mistake yeah. ever. Like, yeah. uh, he, he never saw the picture again, quite frankly. Uh-huh. Sarri has a big set of balls. If you fuck up with Sarri, then unfortunately, this is going to be the consequence. Mm-hmm. And it's paid off for him, though, because he's brought on a, a Providel who we all knew he was good from his Spezia days against the top teams, particularly had some great performances against Milan, which we were obviously mm-hmm. very exposed to. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it paid off. It was very harsh mm-hmm. and it paid off. Now, the thing is... Um... It's f- fair enough because, you know, Luis Maximiano makes a mistake and he's benched. Now, if Provedel makes a few mistakes that cost matches mm. or makes one mistake that cost a match, maybe he'll get another chance. Exactly. But so far, Provedel, maybe, okay, he made one mistake against Juve, but the game was already fucking done. He mm. came out quite badly. But other than that, he's been top and he's been saving Lazio more often than not. Yeah. Um, he also highlights the Chasale and Romagnoli partnership, which has been solid. Two new signings coming in, gelling together and playing as though they've been playing yeah. for ages. Fantastic there. Like losing Acerbi and Luis Felipe together. Mm-hmm. We all thought it was going to be detrimental for Lazio. Okay, Acerbi was off last year, which is why we're seeing um, more of Chasale. Mm-hmm. But Luis Felipe was fantastic for them. And losing him in the manner that they lost him made me think that they were going to be weaker in that area, mm-hmm. particularly by signing Romagnoli, who was off par, subpar. But they've come in, Cesale and Romagnoli, and two, one of the best partnerships in Serie A. Lazio have constantly, they've got nine clean sheets mm-hmm. to their name, and they are a massive part of it. It's not just Provedel. You mentioned Gila and Antonio have both come in. They're both 22 years old. It's an adaptation phase for them. Um, they will get there. I don't consider them to be flops right now, personally. No, no, not even me. Not even me. Vecino is probably the surprise of the season. I agree with him there. Agreed. Slotting in instead of in place of Luis Alberto. Very, very big yes. boots to fill, and he's filled them in nicely. Cancellari is 20 years old, showed some positives, especially towards the start of the season. Seems to have plateaued a little bit right now, but I am a fan of the guy. He's a big winger, and I do love a big winger, personally. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the pace that he has to go on with his size is fantastic. He has very good technique. Him coming off the bench is a great injection of power and pace that they bring on. And intelligence, he's a very Mm -hmm. smart player as well. Um, on loan from Hellas Verona So might see him in B <laughs> <laughs> Next year But he, he's so good I, I doubt we will Yeah uh, Luca Romero is a 17 year old player Who scored his first goal for Lazio At senior level, level against Monza He is the second ever youngest goal scorer For the club Promising things from this guy bro um, He plays 
his one thing I noticed about this guy is his posture when he plays. He's hunched over. Yeah. <laughs> his neck is exalted forward. You know, I, I was looking at him. I was like, Jesus Christ, bro, take care of your back. Like, he, he's a gamer he's, that made yeah. it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he's a 17 year old kid. He plays with this desire. You know, it's yeah. easy to see that this guy's special, you know? Yeah. And Steve highlighted the importance of having actual Laziales in the team. Mm-hmm. It's great to see that they do have Laziales in the team. Um, specifically, for example, Romagnoli coming and joining from Milan. It is a dream to mm. play for Lazio. Having a lot of people that play for the shirt is always going to make a massive difference. And that's what Lazio mm. have right now. Steve highlighted Zaccani as the best player of Lazio. Do you agree? So are we going to the tops and flops? Okay, let's get, to, let's get to that very okay. soon. I just want to mention, I do agree with him that they need a second striker desperately. Ever yes. since Murillo, they never quite replaced him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Luis Alberto, who knows? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know either, man. He <laughs> still has a lot to give. Yeah, he should be Lazio. starting. He should. I mean, he, sh- he should be, or maybe a bit of rotation. I mean, if they're playing in Conference League as well, it'd be good to see some rotation. And mm. he's come on and made a name for himself consistently. He's, he scores when he comes on. He mm. assists when he comes. He looks on. good. Yeah, I mean, he's a starter. But mm-hmm. they lose if, if if they lose Luis Alberto, they lose a lot of flexibility mm. in that midfield. Yes. So, Steve Grima's top was Zakanya. My top, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. I can't displace him. He's amazing. Yeah, Zakanya has been incredible. He has five goals and three assists. He has flair down the left, which is a refreshing asset for Lazio. Because last year, for example, when they had Felipe Anderson out wide, he started off really well. And then he kind of dipped. And obviously, people started talking about consistency. And then that became a thing. And then he started struggling. So it's good to see someone like Zakanya coming in on the left and contributing. Sergei is the best midfielder in the league and one of the best midfielders in the world. There is no one in the Lazio team that is on the caliber of Sergei Milinkovic Savic. They have Immobile, who's insane, top. Three top four strikers in, in the league, league yeah. I would say. Um, top, top three, four, top, top three. Top, ah, there's Lautaro as well, it's, bro. Uh, top four. Oziman, Vlaovic, Immobile are the top fair three. Enough, in my fair opinion, enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Prolific goal scorers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like you say, Zakani, who is superb, but then he's nowhere near the best left winger in the league. You know what mm. I mean? Sergei is just on a different level. And the man has two goals and seven assists this season. He takes the cake for me. He's Mr. Consistent. And the thing is, I talk about his his seven assists and two goals, like it's all he has in, in his locker. Yeah. But systematically, he's incredible. He's, he's, he's the amazing, best yeah. box-to-box, one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world. He's very strong. He can dispossess. He can go forward. He can score. He can assist. He can take set pieces. He can even head the ball. He's fucking fantastic, man. And he looks cool as hell as well. He definitely does. Yes, bro, definitely. So, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic is our top flop. The easiest one. Yes. The easiest one. For me, bro, flop. Now, it was between Hisai, who's 28 years old, but plays like he's 34. <laughs> um, and but, has since he's been 22. 
<laughs> exactly. Buzic, who has only had four starts, and for me, it has to be Luis Maximiano. It's who obviously was, who was Luis brought o- brought in to start. Um, fucking fucked up within the third minute of his debut. Mm-hmm. Got sent off and never featured again. That's a flop. I've ever it's seen it's one. very harsh, yes. and I feel bad for him because he shouldn't be judged of that one mistake that he makes. But then again, Sari reacted in a harsh way, but it's worked out. Like we've already said. However, I've never seen anyone fuck up everything as quickly as Luis Maximiano. <laughs> so for that reason, he's the clear flop yes. over here. Moving on to Inter, my brother, who are fifth in the table. Yep, fifth on 30 points. They played 15 matches. They won 10. They haven't drawn a single match yet, and they lost five. Some noteworthy results are their away victory against Atalanta, winning 3-2 most recently. Beating Bologna 6-1, beating Fiorentina 4-3 away from home in a thrilling match with a last-minute goal. However, and then they've had many a slip-up. They've lost away to Lazio 3 goals to 1. They've lost away to Milan in the Derby della Madonnina 3 goals to 2. They've lost away against Udinese 3 goals to 1. And they've lost at home against Roma 2 goals to 1. So they're clearly struggling against teams on their level and a little bit worse as well, bro. Yes, sir. They definitely look more beatable than they did last season. They are looking human. As you mentioned, five losses, Milan, Inter, Roma, Udinese and Juventus. They lose against their direct competitors, but they smashed the guys below them. Um, They still have a great team, fully fit. I think it's one of the best teams on paper in the league. And lately they've been without Brozovic. The break came against a good time. The Break came for them at a good time, sorry, because they need to recover Brozovic and they need to recover Lukaku and they need to get Lukaku as match fit as possible. Um, The risk that they face is Lukaku being called up by Belgium, which he has been being absolutely abused by Martinez and played (laughs) to the point of aggravating his injury and being sent back to Milan injured again. Uh That's a possibility, right? And they also have, out out of the top seven teams, I believe the second most... Players that have been called up for the World yes. Cup. First being seven Juve. with Milan. Exactly. And then alongside Milan with seven. And they do have a lot of players that I see progressing in the World yeah. Cup. Namely, Lautaro Martinez. Who, yes, you know, Argentina are tipped to win the fucking tournament. Yes, so, I have them to win. Yeah, same here. Same here. Really? Uh-huh. I hate that we agree. T- today they asked me at work on, um, uh, on a three hour story segment and they said who do you don't think don't mention them bro they never mention us <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> and they said who do you who's who will your outstanding performer be and I said Emiliano Martinez their goalkeeper because they have mm. a very leaky defense Argentina and he's gonna need to step up to the plate quite a bit and he will because he's a top goalkeeper so it's a fucking hipster reply I'm a hipster bro you know you're, you're not a hipster if you say you're a hipster brother fuck shit I'm not a hipster <laughs> Anyways, Luke Grima. Luke fucking Grima, let's go! So, Internationale de fucking Milan. So, uh, I think we can just start by looking back at the views of most Inter fans at the beginning of the season. I mean, Inter had just uh, come off, some would say, a bit of a disappointing season, but maybe uh, we'll look into some of the issues that we had. I mean, they had just come second to City Rivals Milan, obviously. I mean, most people would look at it kind of would look at Radu and think of that Bologna game but I mean the main downfall was the fixture congestion 
and the fatigue that was setting into the players, especially between January, February, March. Um, so I think the issue started with the loss in the derby to Milan back in February. Um, and especially the thing that you could see set in from last year was Inter trying to keep compete, compete on all fronts just after having changed their coach, lost two of their most influential players in Lukaku and Hakimi. Um, so although you could say it was a disappointment in not being able to go back to back and win the 20th Scudetto, um, there are still a lot of positives. This entire side still managed to remain competitive. They won the Coppa Italia, the Super Coppa, beat Liverpool at Anfield, which few which hadn't been done in many, many games, um, and actually performed very well. At points, they were looking like they might be the ones to go through that round of 16 time. Um, also, just breaking out of the group stage was was a major positive. So I think when we started the season this year, there was a lot of a lot of a lot of positives to look forward to, um, especially moving on to to the transfer season and the main transfer the transfer strategy that we had uh, during the summer. So amidst more financial troubles and more issues going on in the with the president of the club, uh, implications that and the rumors that he's been trying to, to sell the club, looking for buyers, um, the fact that they have to take out financing from American American hedge funds and, and companies uh, put us still in a bit more of a precarious position, made it very difficult to continue to reinforce. But I think we had a very strong base of a team and Marotta still managed to work his magic uh, to help bring in Zaghi the depth that he was looking for. And I think, um, if we look at the signings that we brought in, we managed to remove a lot of what we'd call maybe some dead weight or people who are on very high contracts. Uh, I think people like Vidal, Vecino, Alexis Sanchez, and Andrea Nokia, who were eating up a, up a lot of the wage budget um, while manning, managing to, uh, over the, the rest of the season, still retain some of the top players. Um, maybe the only person who we regret, regret letting go of was Ivan Perisic, but that's another matter. Um, obviously, as always with Inter, there are a lot of rumors coming into the season. Uh, Dybala, uh, many, 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 many other signings. But in the end, I think that at the beginning, when we we're taking the base of the team we had that still performed very well last year, we managed, we signed Joaquim Correa on a, uh, to offer death in, in the attack. Uh, we signed him on a permanent deal and alongside Robin Gossens was meant to come in to replace Ivan Perisic. Brought in Andre Onana to, on a free to help um, slowly ease out Andanovic out of his role and you know, to bring something different at the back. You know, a goalkeeper who is much more comfortable playing with his feet. Uh, Mkhitaryan, Christian Aslan in the middle, uh, Raul Belanova to offer more depth and the fullback places. And obviously the marquee signing in this case was the resigning on, on a loan deal, a very hefty, hefty fee, um, Romelu Lukaku, who, as we mentioned before, had two very fantastic seasons, but obviously fell out of favor with the Chelsea fans with Thomas Tuchel after his infamous interview uh, last winter. And he was coming back was like a very big redemption story. So at the beginning of the season, we thought that although there wasn't the money to be splurged around as some people might have liked. I would say that the team was actually stronger than it was last year. 
And given the last year's performance, everyone expected us to continue to build and continue to improve um, on that and be serious title, title contenders. So Inter have just played their last game for 2022 before we move into the World Cup and the winter break. And obviously it's time to take stock of how the season has gone vis-a-vis where we thought it would be from the start of the season. So whereas um, I think most people's expectations were that Inter would be, say, at the moment, would be at least challenging for the title. And they have a very, and that most fans have very high hopes that they'd be able to win the 20th Scudetto this year. It's been completely different. I mean, albeit no one, no one really seeing Napoli as being able to run away with the league as it's been. Uh, Inter's form at the beginning of the season was completely off the throw during the preseason form, especially. Uh, very, I would say, pedestrian football that was being played by the team. There seemed to be a lack of hunger. Players seemed to be unfit, which is something a bit unheard of for the last few seasons after the, the Conte era. And also players seemed to be a bit bit more lost and a bit more not, not, not communicating as well, especially the defence, which has been, I think, one of the key strengths of Inter over the past few years, has definitely been uh, lacking at times. Uh, and this, this, is, this is easily shown through the number of goals conceded, especially during away fixtures. Um, also players being frustrated at each other and being frustrated at the referee. I mean, players like Nicola Barella, for example, uh, was seen and uh, very clearly waving his hands at referees, at officials, at other teammates. Uh, players seem to be looking at each other in frustration instead of trying to push each other to do better. So despite these lofty expectations, both for interseason and the return of Romelu Lukaku, um, following this, this acquisition of, of more squad depth that was meant to help with the shortcomings that we had last season in terms of fatigue and not being able to rotate players enough, um, we can easily say that the season so far has been underwhelming, uh, both in terms of performances in general. I think one of the clear weaknesses that we've had so far has been, uh, and, and areas in which we've moved back has been at the back uh, in the defense. So whereas um, we've retained the three main defenders in Bastogne, Iskriniar and De Vrij, you can, you can clearly see that they're not the same solid defensive unit they've been for the past three years, um, shipping uh, many, many more goals than they would usually. Also, Inter's performances against all sides, so they've struggled, they've struggled against weaker teams, made it more difficult for themselves to win, leaving it till late in some of the games, um, especially at the beginning of the season. And they've yet to, and until the last game against Atalanta, where they finally broke the duck, they had not performed against any of the other top-tier sides, or which, which we can consider their main opponents. So losses to Roma, Lazio, Milan, uh, Juventus more recently. So these are all clear indicators that the team has kind of taken a step back. Uh, besides that, however, the team seems to be the team managed to get out of the group stage. So one clear improvement, at least from the Antonio Conte era, is that now. We seem to struck, seem to be struggling less in Europe. Seem to be more confident, so we easily dispatched uh, Victoria Pilsen at the double header um, in the group stage. So this is something which we used to clearly lack um, and struggle against these weaker teams. Think of Shakhtar Donetsk, um, 
uh, when we're playing against also other pot four, pot four teams and pot three teams in the past. But in this case, we managed to overcome Barcelona, currently leading the La Liga uh, table, Victoria Pilsen, but obviously they still performed, I think, as expected with two comfortable losses to, to, to Bayern Munich. I mean, Inter didn't really show up or show that they had any chance of, of overcoming Bayern Munich in that case. Other key highlights, obviously, are the renewal of Brozovic. Hopefully, over the coming few months, we'll see the renewal of Skriniar. Um, De Vrij seems to still be a question mark. Um, but then in terms of the actual players themselves and their performances of this season, I think a few minutes ago I mentioned that Romelu Lukaku and maybe even Robin Gorsens uh, people had high expectations that Gossens was going to come in and replace Perisic and go back to his playing days when he used to tear down the left flank at Atalanta. But those days have yet to be seen. Uh, he seems to still be unfit. I think most of it comes down to confidence and hopefully over the next few matches with some more match experience and him able to build up some more confidence over the next few months, he might eventually see a return back to that form. Romelu Lukaku came into the squad strong, you know, came in with a, with a goal early in the season, but then suffered a muscle injury. Uh, and since coming back as a substitute in two substitute appearances where he managed to get another goal uh, in the Champions League, he's had a relapse. So obviously, the person we thought was the signing of the season and Amarotta masterclasses so far turned out to be, some would say, a flop. However, a flop might be a bit too harsh because hasn't even got much game time so far. He seems to be in a race um, for fitness before the World Cup. Um, trying to get fit. Martinez still is seeming to is, is hoping that he will be fit for the World Cup. So that remains to be seen whether in the second half of the season he'll be able to perform and try to recapture some of that uh, former glory that he had playing at Inter. Um, another key transition in the team has definitely been moving from Handanovic to Anana. So now Inzaghi seems quite set on playing Anana at the back and it's changed the dynamic quite a bit. Uh, whereas I would say he's still been a bit shaky at times and plays a lot of risky passes. It can clearly be seen the difference it has in playing it out from the back. Um, although he's, he's been a, maybe a little bit less safe in terms of uh, having a pair of safe hands uh, in between the posts. Lastly, I'd say that Nicola Barella has been clearly the outstanding player so far this season, although he started acting very frustrated with other players, um, getting yellow cards needlessly and not performing to the highest level at the beginning. He's really picked up in his form. He's already outscored um, and broken his own scoring records uh, at this stage of the season than he's had for full seasons in the past. So it's, he's shown a lot of improvement and a lot of growth and he can really lead the team forward and be a central player um, for many years to come. However, it also comes with the worry that his, this form starts to be picked up by some of the big spenders around in Europe and because money seems to dictate football at the moment, I definitely could see him easily being uh, moving, moving abroad to, to the Premier League or to another big club. So the last point I'd like to make is just that for the rest of the season, it seems very clear that Inter, who were two to those, uh potential 
title title contenders or they were meant to be the strong as the strongest team in in this area um it seems that now the strategy might shift to trying to make sure that and ensure a top four finish and continue to find some consistency and some form bringing through a lot of these players that were brought in, in summer and haven't had much chance to gel with the team uh people like Aslani Bellanova and also looking to making good deep runs in the boat the Coppa Italia uh and hopefully managing to move past the round of 16 uh in the Champions League so I'd personally like to thank Luke Grima for stepping out of his washing machine halfway through <laughs> that analysis <laughs> it's nice to see that PwC have a crematorium that they can <laughs> They allow Grima to to use, basically. (laughs) Grima, I'm super happy you landed safely and you got off your flight (laughs) in a safe manner. We can go all day, bro. No, but super analysis from Grima. Great analysis straight from the vacuum. That is (laughs) the void. No, no, but amazing. uh, Honestly, some great points that he he made. I've been taking notes, but I locked my phone, so give me a second. (laughs) So the first thing he pointed out was the Lukaku and Hakimi loss. Um, I feel like, of course, Lukaku has been replaced more adequately um, and he's since been brought back, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, Hakimi has yet to be replaced. Of course, he mentioned Gossens not finding form. Um, Uh It's true, his Atalanta days seem to be behind him, bro. Uh, Yeah, Gossens Gossens never really got going after that second long-term injury and... Inter did buy him while he was going through that injury. Mm. So this was always going to be a risk for Inter. It, it didn't turn out to be a risk worth taking mm. for the time being because he's being absolutely outplayed by a gentleman named DeMarco. By yes, the way. DeMarco, DeMarco has, has been, been amazing. Oh my God, drinks. <laughs> he's been excellent. He's been, so far, I, I have reason to believe he's been the best left back in the league so far. Honestly, yes, um, he doesn't breathe the same air that Theo Hernandez breathes. But yes, he's he's been. He has great. he has different qualities, and I think those qualities are very well suited for Inter. The fact that he's good with the ball at his feet, um, not that Theo isn't, but Theo is good at charging forward. Whereas Demarco's distribution is fantastic. Yeah, yeah his crosses, dead his set pieces, like, yeah. and he's got a rocket in his pocket as well, mm-hmm. man. So. To me, DeMarco's been outstanding. It's true, Hakimi on the right-hand side has yet to be yet to be replaced. That's yes. true. Dumfries has been kind of off form lately. Yeah, Especially that, in the right. final third. Mm-hmm. I still think he can be a, a great asset to winter over mm-hmm. the next couple of years, Dumfries. He definitely has it in his locker. He mm-hmm. just needs to find a bit of form and a bit of consistency. Inter remain competitive, um, Marotta doing uh, very well despite Inter's financial woes bro, yeah, over here. Yeah. Um, he brought in Onana who has displaced Handanovic for example. Um, Mikitarian has Mikita- been really good yeah, as well. Aslani was a nice little Aslani, group as well. Even bringing Lukaku. back Lukaku is a, is a positive thing. It brought back a lot of hope for Inter but he does need to gain some momentum and let's hope that, um, well Inter fans would hope that he does not get injured with Belgium. Yeah. That they don't aggravate his injury by overusing him. So in my top and flop debate, not to jump to that, but I genuinely have a good point that that fits in well over here, is that it's tough to say that Lukaku's been a flop, as Grima said, because he's been injured. So he hasn't had the game time. He's been very unfortunate with his injuries. But just looking at him, 
I have reason to believe that the man came back to winter overweight. Yes, it's true. I don't think, I think, I think his injuries are kind of maybe a little bit his fault. Maybe he contributed to his injuries ever so slightly. A little bit too much late night cheese. <laughs> probably it has to yeah. be something like that. I think I think he's got a sweet tooth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like he feels, he feels a bit naughty, a little bit <laughs> too often. Like you know, it's like mm, should I be a bit naughty? Here? A bit cake left? I'm gonna be a bit naughty. <laughs> the players are frustrated when things don't go their way. Of mm-hmm. course, um, Grima pointed out Barella. Um, they went from those barbecues where they were all seen smiling. To uh-huh. these flailing arms and Italian hand gestures, uh-huh. uh, particularly as Barella. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, to be honest, when you see what happens around Barella sometimes, <laughs> and you feel for the guy yeah. because he's been outstanding. He's been for his best season so far. Yeah, for sure, he's on another level this year, mm-hmm. bro. He was always he always had good seasons. You know, his numbers would be good, but then there'll be a period mm-hmm. where he doesn't contribute much. Uh, when it comes to assists and goals, he always contributes from being box to box. But sometimes what happens around him is frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's very sure. frustrating seeing the you know the defenders play the ball out and they're easily intercepted by the forwards. That's something yeah. we've seen a lot from Inter, and Barella has every reason to be upset with. And that. come to think of it, it's true. Inter's defense has definitely regressed. Devry seems to be getting worse and worse every season. Uh-huh. Bastoni has looked a bit shaky, and even Skriniar has been. He's been alright, he's been the best one of the lot, but he's not been as good as his levels in the past. I have to say, man, I have to say, Skriniar to me has been really disappointing this year. It's true that he's probably the most solid out of the lot. Not not that that's anything to gloat about this year so far. They do have, on paper, one of the best defences in the league. And I'm sure they could get back to being that. But at the moment, I believe even Skriniar is going through a bad spell. I think since the PSG talks, since the Bayern talks, since all of those talks came about, you know, maybe it went to his head. His clubs are being offered 70 million euros for him. Maybe it went to his head a little bit or, you know, Inter are just having a frustrating season and he's reaping the, what's the opposite of benefits? Uh, The opposite of reaping. Uh, he's suffering the consequences. Ah, suffering. <laughs> so simple. Strung <laughs> that one together. Yeah. Um, so yes, the defense has definitely regressed. Um, there's a contrast between their league performances and their Champions League performance. Of course, they have been superb in the Champions League, bro. Mm, that <laughs> that victory and draw against Barca is something to gloat about. Yeah, for it's sure. It's not easy. I know Barca have been a bit rough, but they've been great under Xavi. Now they're first in La Liga. So yeah. Inter- I don't know if they're first in La Liga. Grima said they're first in La Liga, but I thought Real were first. So okay, Google. <laughs> La Liga table. Barcelona are first. With 37 points. Real points, second with 35. And then Sociedad on 26. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. And then Athletic Club. And then Atletico Madrid. Holy Il fuck. Atletico, they yeah. drop. La Liga spotlight. <laughs> Tune in. Could have been. Yeah. Um... Yes, bro. Um, money dictates football is what Grima said towards the end over there. Do you think um, that Barella would be hot, the hottest property right now at Inter? It, it's either him or Lautaro. Mm. Him or Lautaro are the hot property at the moment and obviously Skriniar as well. Yeah, they best be careful. Yeah, yeah. My top bro has been Barella. Uh-huh. So my top two, initially I was even considering Lautaro. And DiMarco for me. And DiMarco. Um, 
But Barella, when you think he's contributed to five goals and five assists so far this season and he's played every single match for them, is ridiculous. Yeah. And then you look at Lautaro as well, who has seven goals and four fucking assists, bro. And he's, he's a machine. strike partner for three different strikers throughout the entire season. Yes. For me, Perot, Barella takes Perot. it. His, <laughs> sorry, his work rate, <laughs> his ethic, vision, forward passing. His forward passing yeah. is some of the best we've seen in Serie A. And he even scored a free kick this yeah, year. Bro, and five, he scored some worldies as well. Who five knows? goals and five assists for Barella as well, bro. The numbers don't lie. Um, amazing season. His best numerically so far. Yeah. So, yeah, top top Barella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Flop for me, it was between Gossens and Devry, bro. Um, how did Pablo tell us to pronounce Devry? Devry? Devry. Devry. Yes. Yeah, De Vrij for me, bro, um, has continued to regress, and he's two seasons ago he was the best defender at Inter. He was better than Skriniar. Who, sorry, De Vrij. De Vrij. I initially he was. Yes, but nowadays he's he's regressed into the worst player by far, almost a liability at times. Uh-huh. But for me, the flop has to be Gossens. Uh, you can't come into a team. You were you you the key, you were the man of Atalanta. He's fit, no, no. Like, yeah, he's meant fit. to be fit. That's the thing. He's meant to be at least challenging first, but he should be earning more minutes. Now, granted, maybe Simone Enzaghi is stingy with the time he gives his players, mm. but but Gossens, bro, should be doing more right now, I think. Yeah, especially when you look at Unless what he's, he's done in the past. done completely unjustly, yeah. Mm. But but then as well, if DeMarco keeps playing the way he is, I don't see any reason they'd introduce Gossens. I know Gossens on his day for Atalanta was un- unplayable, mm. unbelievable, like mm. Theo level kind of thing. And DeMarco can slot in as a third centre-back. He can slot in as a third centre-back. However, I like him high up yes. the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. really like him high up the pitch. But yeah, I think uh, when it comes to a flop for Inter, it simply has to be someone out of that back three. Uh, because of the serious amount of goals they've been conceding this year. I believe they conceded around 22 goals so far this season yeah. in 15 matches. Uh, I'm going to give it to Devry because he's been the weakest link. Yes, although Skriniar is actually a close second, although he's been the best one. Simply because he's the one that carries the most expectations. Exactly. Yes. So I'll say Devry nonetheless. But yeah, Skriniar, we won't forget you. <laughs> Shall we move on to Atalanta? Atalanta. So for this one, we don't have a voice recording, guys, because I don't think we know a single Atalanta fan. If you guys know any Atalanta fans, feel free to at them in yes. the comments. And if you are an Atalanta fan listening, going, me, pick me, <laughs> um, DM us, bros. We, we're happy exactly. to fucking hear from you. I will come put you on the National Geographic segment, along with Mintoff for Sassuolo, <laughs> yeah. for, for the rare fans exactly. around the globe. But anyway, Atalanta started off really strong. They, however, did show us that they are a team made of humans recently. Um, They are now sixth on 27 points. They've played 15 matches. They won eight of them. They drew three and they've now lost four. Some noteworthy results of theirs was their 1-0 away victory at the Olympico against Roma. And then there was also their devastating loss recently against Lecce, 2-1, that completely fucked us. Yes. And a very disappointing draw of theirs was at home against Cremonese. They also have home losses to the likes of Lazio, Napoli and Inter. So they haven't really performed at their height against the top seven, so to say. 
What's your reaction been on Atalanta thus far? I feel like they started off really well. Of course, our listeners can roll their eyes as I say this again. Um, they changed, right? They became more pragmatic, more structured, yes. more defensive. What the fuck, Atalanta? <laughs> yes. Um, but I feel like they were doing better when the schedule was more was more structured, when it was one game a week. Yeah. The fa- when the schedule started to get tight, Atalanta started to, to lose it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably it's, you know, the, the fact that they don't have as much depth as they had in the past. You know what I mean? I mean, the players are there, granted, um, depth-wise, but it seems to be a problem with form for most of them as well. Like, even the fullbacks. Like, you look at the fullbacks. I think Hatteber is the fullback currently on the best form for them. Um, no, no, no. It has to be Soppy, actually. Soppy, Soppy. yeah, Soppy, I would say. But it, yeah, it's no secret But, you that... know, Mele isn't uh-huh. doing great. You They've know gotten I mean? significantly worse in the wing-back department. Before, it, they were known for their wing-backs and their work rates mm. and their pace back when Gorsons was in the team and when Mele was having better performances. I think... The point that you made, struggling for form. Their players, there's certain players that normally are the plug-and-play kind of players, mm-hmm. like bringing on Malinowski and he scores a worldie. We're not really seeing that this year. It's also the change of system. He's, he's not outside the area as often as he used to be before. Yeah, that's true. Um, a lack of opportunities seems to be a thing, which is mm-hmm. weird for Atalanta, considering that they're formed one of the most formidable attacks in Italian football, mm-hmm. really. But uh-huh, they started off really well. Their new system was showing. Maybe they're a little bit figured out at this point, man. Um, They might be a bit. I mean, you know, they're not going to score. They're not going to put three past you on most days. No. You know what I mean? I mean, their biggest victory was a 3-1 victory, granted, but it doesn't happen often at all. Um, So in reality, these guys, you know, if, if you go there and you score a goal, you put them in danger. Yeah, it's no secret that they're not that free-flowing team that they were. And it's funny because they did it on purpose, but sometimes it mm-hmm. can simply bite them in the ass. There's obviously pros and cons with every system. Um, I think a fair point to make about Atalanta as well is that they're still playing fantastically against these teams. For example, the game against Napoli, where Atalanta opened the scoring, they looked very, very convincing in that game, as they do look convincing in most of their games. So they're not getting absolutely demolished the way that they were last season, where they rightly so finished 7th, 8th. You know what I mean? They're still still going to end up in a better position than they did last year. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, the only way is up right now, right? Labour... Um, yes, they, they've recovered By the way, I don't know if you've noticed But Palomino's back I did, I did yeah, He scored, yeah. he scored an own goal and a goal on his mm-hmm. return um, It turns out he won his appeal after testing positive for doping um, Performance enhancing drugs, of course um, Yeah, but he kept denying it Apparently they offered him like A shorter sentence if he admitted or something And he uh-huh. didn't admit that he took performance enhancing drugs And uh, kept saying it was an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out he was he was right, and he won mm-hmm. he won the appeal. So it's good to see Palomino back, a fantastic defender, a great tackler. Uh-huh. I think um, last season, probably or the season before, he was probably their best one along with Demiral. Ah, for for sure, for sure. Him and and the season before there was Romero. Who yeah, was Romero, I love Romero, them. bro. Romero is about to win the World Cup. Uh huh. He will win the World <laughs> Cup. Um. But yes, their their attack has to be addressed. Um, Lookman is is clearly their best striker mm-hmm. at the moment. Muriel, not who he used to be, but we're seeing glimpses nonetheless. Mm-hmm. 
Duvan. A shadow of his former self. A shadow of his former self. I, I almost don't even count him when I think of strikers because mm-hmm. we see him so little. Um, they've got Hoyland. Hoyland is finding Young. his feet. Yeah. He's finding his feet. He needs more time. Um, tops, bro. Who's your top for Atalanta? My top for Atalanta so far has been Lukman. Yes, without easy, a shadow easy, of a doubt, easy. he's had seven goals and three assists. Duvan is going to need to earn his spot back because of Lukman. Um, there was also Coop who had a fantastic start to the season, yeah. but like that level of performance. It was clearly a run of form. He's a fantastic player, but him scoring hat-tricks and then assisting a bunch and then scoring a bunch again was clearly a, a run of form. These yeah. things tend to come in spell. Mm-hmm. Like Pasalic, you know? Same thing. Yeah. Um, yes, bro. So top Lookman for sure uncontested right now in this Atalanta side. Um, flop for me. We're going to agree on this probably. Jeremy Bogart. Uh, this has been really good content. I had Bogart as well. Too bad, bro. It's crazy because you look at Boga and he's essentially in the same situation as Lukman. Two wingers entering a system that doesn't utilize wingers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Boga hasn't adapted to the system playing as a striker or behind the attack at all. And Lukman has adapted to all of them. No matter where you put him, he's performing well. Oh, I hope you didn't hear that. That was a dog. Boga, bro, it was a stupid signing in my opinion by Atalanta. Uh-huh. It seemed impulsive, like he wasn't the player to go for. They even no. when they played their fucking, you know, their three-five-two, whatever. They, they they don't use left wingers. They no. use wing backs. Like it's like when know, we get a draft and we're playing a draft, we get a three-five-two. We're not choosing left wingers and right wingers because you can't <laughs> slot them in yeah. anyway. You know exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. What <laughs> it's That's like. it. That, uh, bang on. <laughs> Bang on, this Matt guy from Serie A Spotlight is a genius. The, the insight he gives. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a draft, man. A draft <laughs> thing, you know, you have to play with 90 pace. Like, <laughs> anything less than 85 and you're shit. Like, really <laughs> dumbing it down, though, man. But Boga, bro, honestly, like, it would have been nice to see him at Napoli, at Milan, even staying at Sassuolo, a team that uses wingers, man. Yeah. Not not Atalanta. It doesn't make any sense. And you see him trying to play centrally. Like he gets the ball. He tries to play like a winger, but more centrally. It doesn't make any sense. No, and he's not good centrally. Mm-hmm. He, his decision making, he has that Rafaleo thing mm-hmm. that that's still his decision making is a little bit off. Now Leao has mastered this thing where he takes it to the byline, cuts it back, and he's he's been utilizing that for ages and he's doing it well. But Boga seems lost, bro. When he gets to that final third, he seems lost, man. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, and it's not only that he seems lost. It's almost that he overcomplicates things for himself. Yes. Um, he has a point to prove and him trying to make his point is actually jeopardizing his performances because he's he's tripping in his own feet. He's trying to get the assist and fucking up the ball, going for yeah. the shot and fumbling it. You know, he's he's barely getting minutes right now. It just goes to show, man. He's not doing well at all. He's struggling. No, he's not. He's not. Um, Atalanta, bro, where do you think they will finish, bro? Do you think that they will get a Champions League spot, an Europa League spot, a Conference League spot? What's your what's your take? I they'll they'll fight for top four, but I think their spots in Europa for this year. <coughs> although they did have a very strong start, and they could easily kind of jump back onto that and keep performing well. I really see teams with the likes of. Inter moving back into that top four kind of spot after the World mm. Cup. And I see Juve, Napoli and Milan going nowhere. 
at the moment. Mm. Why and then there's also great competition in Lazio and Roma. Mm. So it's incredibly tight. But I think Atalanta have what it takes to get to the Europa League. Yes, I think Europa League will be um what they will probably get. Um Champions League would be a massive success for them. And um, a drunk a drunk alcoholic buffon thinks that they'll win the league. Ah, there you go, you see? You think they still have a chance to win the league? No, absolutely not. I don't think Atalanta have what it takes now, at least. Yeah, I mean, they're 14 points behind it. It takes many, many mistakes by the teams in front of them for them to win the league. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's crazy how a goalkeeper who's still active, you know, like Buffon's in his 40s, right? He's mm. been playing football at the highest level for so long. How reactionary he can be, eh? Mm. Like, doesn't he know that like he can start off well and dip? Did he really believe in Atalanta that much this season to the point that he said that they're going to win the league? I don't know, man. It's it's weird because literally, like you're saying, when you've been around for that long, it, it literally has the longest career, one of the longest careers in football history before, and he's still yeah. fucking going. And yeah, to be that sensationalist and to hop on the bandwagon so quick is quite strange for him. For sure, bro. Shall we jump to Roma? We will jump to Roma. And Seven. for this one, we have a voice note. We do have a voice note, but we'll get to that very shortly. Seventh, 27 points, even though some people thought that they'd be first. <laughs> Can you pass me a beer? Sure, dog. Thank you. Whoa, real smooth, dog. Yeah, I bodged that one. <laughs> Roma, much like everyone else, have played 15 matches. I keep saying that, like people are going to forget that they played 15 matches. They played 15 matches, they won 8, they drew 3, and they've now lost 4. The most noteworthy results, at least in my opinion, is their 2-1 away victory against Inter. Their 4-0 away loss to Udinese, and obviously losing the derby at home isn't something that they planned and they did. So, yeah. Roma and Lazio one is also a noteworthy result. Before we get into our talking points, essentially, our very good friend Cesco is here to say a word or two. He's one of the most devoted Roma fans I've ever met. And he this certainly guy, has a point or two to make. This guy does, he makes content on social media. He gets paid to make content on social media. And he's always in a Roma kit when he does it, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, the people in the comments get really mad. They're like, dress properly, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. Wear, wear your Roma kit, bro. Rock, rock that Roma kit. It's, uh, it's his brand as fuck at mm. this point. Like, he is the Roma fan. He's the Roma guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking right, brother. And he's live from Rome as well. He's living there. Yep. As I'm sure his, his, he'll mention. He's named, he's named Francesco after Totti. His dad named him Francesco after Totti. Really? He's not named after the Pope. <laughs> Take it away, Tresk. Buongiorno, raga. My two favorite Milan brothers. So stay all the way from Rome. Ah, where do I begin? So, where do I begin? I'm so relieved that there is the World Cup right now. I'm so relieved. You have no idea how relieved I am. Madonna, Madonna. Uh, and like living in Rome makes it even worse because you feel the tension of like when you and your team's playing really bad, you feel like the piazza, like the tension of it. Uh, it's, it's not nice. It's not something nice. Anyways, my thoughts on this season. To be honest, Roma is like a specific team. We're always, like, we're always having high expectations and our fans like show it in the good way 
because we don't deserve to have 65,000 fans in the stadium just to watch Roma scrape a 1-0 victory. Unlike the last five games where we've only won one game and we barely won it against Verona away. Christian Volpato, my baby, by the way. But no, 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 this season, it's really been terrible, to be honest. Super terrible. Like, without the ball, huh, we have nothing. That tells you a lot. That tells you a lot. Um, uh, We've been unable to finish our chances. We only scored 18 goals this season. 18 goals. 18 goals. That's We're saying like we're scoring a goal a game, nearly. A goal a game. That's horrible, man. Horrible. But let's check back before like the ball got injured. We had this... Uh, this statistic where we had the most expected goals in the league but we didn't score them tammy's been underperforming zanio has been underperforming pellegrini's been underperforming every single player has been underperforming in this team every single player except for smalling except for smalling and before the derby ibanez which is another episode i don't want to go into detail please please have mercy but anyways the only direct encounter we won this year was against inter with the Bala playing the game. Now, we lost against Napoli 1-0, Lazio 1-0, Atalanta 1-0. Those three games, the Bala did not play. And we all lost because of a singular. So it's like, we've been, we've been horrible. Well, not that horrible, but we've been horrible. It's more like offensively, we've been horrible. And the main problem here is our midfield. We can't play with excuse me swearing about fucking Matic and Cristante two ninja turtles without the ninja okay uh, we bought Wijnaldum for this sole reason but I don't think Wijnaldum would have been enough at some point would have got injured and ended up with this midfield and he's the guy's 32 now correct me if I'm wrong he's like 32 uh, no 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 come can't be like this I expect in January we get Fratesi if obviously the Fritkins feel like giving us a small late Christmas present because we need them really, really, really badly. It's this year it's like a weird season. We're still four points under under third place. Is it theoretically that bad? No. But the way we're playing, I don't see ourselves even deserving top four. And I won't even be mad if we like no, I'll be pissed off if we miss out on top four. But the way we're playing what can I say we missed out on top four? That we deserved it? No, no, no. <sighs> it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And I've seen the games, most games at the stadium. The only game I did not see is against Atalanta. Um, no, it's, it's terrible. I like, <sighs> you pay like that money to see your team. At least we don't have expensive tickets. But for example, I paid 180 euros to see the Derby. And you see an underwhelming performance like this. Not that I'm complaining, I'll support my team no matter what. But seeing it even live, it's even more frustrating. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you. So yeah, hopefully we start the world, like after the World Cup decently, whether it's with 1-0 wins or not. But we need to get back to winning because this is this is not, not the way to go. This is not the way to go. More you just told Carsdor publicly to fuck off 
so we're, we're a mess we're a mess guys we're a mess now we'll see now we'll see now we'll see but anyways the five minutes are up i could go on for 30 minutes if you guys wanted me to but that's that's not fair is it so i'm gonna leave it here guys forza roma sempre hopefully i see you guys soon ciao ciao thank you chesco just to be clear we told everyone five minutes yeah some people just you know have more of a rebellious nature than you do chesco exactly you're a, you're a good man chesco and you bring up some good points as well the insight that i like the most is probably spending 180 euro to watch the derby with 65,000 other fans to see the shit show that you see at the moment when you watch roma play it's not fair on the fans and, and there's some back-end stuff that needs to be figured out by Mourinho and his men. I mean, Mourinho's always been the type of manager to win ugly, no? Um, it can be very frustrating to watch, but it's it's the type of football that's result-focused, not performance-focused, no? It, it It is, and if those 1-0 if, if they keep getting 1-0 victories then i guess mm-hmm. it can't be criticized because that's what you're signing up for mm-hmm. when you sign a Mourinho but three draws and four losses is seven matches where out of 15 where Roma haven't gotten the full three mm-hmm. points so as result oriented as this style of play is it hasn't been working out yes. for them clearly now Chesco said it was a, a terrible, a super terrible season. I'm going to say relax, um, breathe. Uh-huh. Because because in reality, if you look at the table right now, Roma have 27 points, Lazio have 30, and Lazio are in fourth. Uh-huh. So Roma are three points off of the top four, uh-huh. which is their target. Let's be, people were talking about winning the Scudetto, whatever, that just... That's this natural talk that will come when you have a good Mercato. It yeah. always happens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they're three points off. They had Wijnaldum's injury. They had um, Pellegrini's, Pellegrini's injury. injury. They had Dybala's injury. injury. They, they have their strikers completely misfiring. I don't think they'll continue to misfire for the rest of the season. I think this break will do them wonders, to be honest with you. They need it. They need the clarity. They need the time to think uh-huh. about it. As you mentioned, the XG was the highest in the league at a point. Tammy Abraham's XG was seven and he had scored two. Would have made yeah. him the highest top scorer in the league if he scored his goals, his chances, if he hadn't been so wasteful. Bellotti as well, man. Bellotti had the... They gave him the penalty in the last game to try to build his confidence up and he fucking, he fucking missed it. <laughs> plummeting his confidence even further. It's it's not gone well. It's super terrible season for the strikers, granted. But for the team, I wouldn't say it's that bad. You even have a few youngsters playing well. You have Smalling in the form of his life. Too bad Garrett Southgate's fucking blind or some shit. I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with him or... Or he's extremely xenophobic when it comes to Italy because Italy. not calling up Tomori and Smalling, who it's honestly stupid. could be your starting partnership. Like literally, it's it's dumb, it's dumb. Yeah, but call up Harry Maguire, bro. Um, the guy with the memes. You know, if you literally. go Google Harry Maguire or write Harry Maguire on TikTok, see what comes up, bro. Uh-huh. Enjoy. Um, really good. Yeah, Harry Maguire. Um, uh-huh. I I would I would agree with you in the sense that it hasn't been a super terrible season. However, and then you need to take into account the expectations that come with kind of such signings like Belotti, Debala, Wijnaldum. You sign those players, and and obviously Mourinho at the helm. Everyone was kind of talking about Roma fighting to go all the way. Now that's a bit of Buffon syndrome over there, where people get a little bit too yes, carried yes, away. Yes. 
Um, I never thought they were going to be anywhere close to winning. No, the winning the year. league was always a stretch, you know, uh-huh. like as if they're going to win. But the they league. need the season. To, your job this season is for the season to go exactly the way it goes yeah. because you added the extra pieces. However, the season goes this season. It's a learning point. I would and say top four, bro. They want top four. They have to make top four, no? With the signings they made, people were saying they're going to win the league. Okay, it's a stretch, granted. Mm-hmm. But it's because they they solidified a lot. It's Mourinho's second, se- third season, second season, second season, I believe. Yeah. It's a second it's a season. It's second season, yes. yeah. And, and you know, we, we've seen what Mourinho can do with, with teams, man, in general. He's with underdogs, especially. Mm-hmm. So I think top four is the objective, and I think that they're they're on track, quite frankly. On track, but uh, as a position, they're on track. When it comes to their performances, it's obviously the manner in which they win the 1-0s. They aren't incredibly convincing. Mm. It always seems like they go to hell and back to win a game. Um, so I don't think it's that sustainable. But they are in the position to to do it. And with mm. their coach and with the squad they have, they're definitely one of the ones that should be more capable of doing it. Uh, a well-needed break, definitely, bro. Um, mm. They get to recover quite a few players. Um, Rick Karsdorp, RIP Rick Karsdorp. Yeah, he can't, um, he can't fuck off. Like, if I were a Roma fan, I, I'd fucking hate no, having him. But, but it's weird because, to me, he looked like a key player on the, in, in Mourinho's system, especially when they won the Conference League and coming into the season. He looked good, mm, man. Last year. Even this year, the beginning. Granted, he, there was a game where but he walked out of the stadium. There's a mistake. He has yes. a terrible attitude, an awful attitude. And Apparently so. Compare him to someone like Chalik. You just see a player that's playing for the shirt and then a player that's playing for his ego. You know what I mean? Hmm. Perhaps a lot of what happened with cars though, was behind the scenes, apart from the walking off and the error and the bad mentality mm. coming on, whatever. But I feel like there's a lot going on behind the scenes. From Mourinho has come out and publicly roast him like he did i feel like he roasts everyone (laughs) but when you do it in such a manner i feel like it deserves more of a follow-up an explanation why why Mm. have you decided to publicly call out this player why have you decided to put the blame on this player Mm. in particular why have you asked him to find a new club in january you're asking him to leave halfway Uh, through the season i initially when i saw because at first the comments were made to an anonymous player Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember, I thought it was Mancini in the beginning because he was racking up many so many yellow cards. Thought it was Mancini, but Mancini, you know, starts every game. Doesn't seem to have a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The work he doesn't have a problem with mistakes. Mourinho said he has a problem with attitude. Fair yeah. enough. That that, that has been yeah. consistent in Mourinho's career, to be honest. Cesco, you made me laugh when you said Cristante and Matic are two ninja turtles without the ninja. That's <laughs> excellent. Excellent. That's excellent. He joke. could have just that called was... them turtles. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but two fucking it's, turtles. It's all about the fucking twist, bro, at the end. I love That's it. Great. I love it. Bravo. They Bravo. don't deserve to have 65,000 fans witnessing these performances. Um, what do you think? I mean, when, when he said that he paid 180 euros to go watch the derby with 65,000 other motherfuckers playing the, paying the same amount of money or similar amount of money to watch that and you get subpar performances. Now, th- th- there are two points I want to make. One is totally agreeing with Chesco and saying like, fuck paying that money to watch a shit show. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a diehard supporter in me that no matter what the system is, no matter how the team is playing, I would willingly pay the money to go and watch. But at the same time, you'd always be left disappointed. Yes. It's true, bro. I mean, again, man, you get Mourinho not for the amazing football. You know, if you want amazing football, you get Sarri. If you want amazing mm. football, you get 
you get Deserbi, you go for those types of coaches. You get Mourinho to to re, to win trophies. That's and it. they won a and trophy. They won a trophy already. last year. It was the already. first time in ages for Roma. Uh-huh. Um, but just go with the, with those 160 euros. You could have gone to the cinema 16 times. Like so, that's true. You could have watched all the Avengers. Actually, movies. 180 euros. So you could have run 18 times. times. Uh-huh. What else could he have done with 180 euro? The 180 euro. He could have gotten checked for three STIs at Saint James. <laughs> Matthew would know. Moving on to our tops and flops. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. You're right. Um, my top for Roma right now has been the Englishman Chris Smalling. Man, mm. he's been an absolute rock at the back, an absolute titan. Granted, 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 the Bala has been the main offensive outlet, but I feel like sometimes I don't value, you know, the work of. The, or not me only, like the work of defenders in general isn't valued as much. And I feel like what Smalling is doing this season, actually finding consistency, getting over his injury woes and playing to this level, deserves him to be uh, a candidate for top, in my opinion. And he deserves to get it. Really key in set plays as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen him get at the end of some shit, man. Mm-hmm. I'm really pissed off that Joe Portelli kept outbidding me for him. <laughs> in fact, I was dying for him or Ibanez. I had both of them last year. People listening who don't know who Joe Portelli is might think we have a, a Fanta culture uh, with the contract. No, 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 definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> it's the really nice Joe Portelli. Yeah, Malta's small. And people yeah. have the same yeah, names. The, the nationalist Joe Portelli. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Uh, and the Milanista as well, of the most devoted Milanista that I know. Um, my top, as much as I agree with you, that Smalling has been great, is Dybala because it's a, because of the breath of fresh air that he brings to the team. How much more fluid he made Roma. When he's in the team, the play is much more exciting. That static play that we normally see Roma playing gets depleted because he gets the ball, doesn't just charge forward like Zaniolo. Zaniolo's a bit of a horse. Dybala's got 360 fucking vision. It's inverted, he knows where, right? Inverted exactly. Linear. So I would give it to Dybala for that reason and he's really racking up goals and he's showing when he's not in the team, like Cesco said. They're not playing well. Yes, and Maltese they say which means they feel him. They feel his loss. <laughs> exactly. Is there any doubt about the flop? Three, two, two one. Tammy, Tammy Abraham. Yes. <laughs> Tammy who? Tammy Abraham. 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 Shopping at the Abraham. Shopping at the Abraham. <laughs> No, no, by a country mile. He's the most disappointing player in Serie A this season. Four goals in all competitions, XG of seven, scoring only two in the league. Um, Embarrassing misses, misses the World Cup as well. Which, to be honest, isn't that big of a deal because Tomori's having a good season and he missed the World Cup as well, but whatever. Um, Yes, but it's Abraham. And when you take into account his debut season, Mm -hmm. it's even more disappointing, Mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. Could we say that the flop is Bellotti for not being able to displace a striker so fun? Uh, that's, that's a fair shout. Mm-hmm. However, since Bellotti is coming off a season where he was mainly out with injury with Torino, and we've seen his, his decline over the past two seasons, maybe my expectations for him weren't as high as literally their main goal scorer, who was like third top scorer. The highest scoring Englishman, I believe. Mm-hmm. No, the highest scoring debutant in, yeah. in Serie A. So, yeah, then second season, nothing. A disaster. True, bro. Moving on to Udinese. Udinese, eighth on 24 points. They're just three points behind Roma. They had a fantastic start after that loss against Milan. They just went on a hectic, hectic streak. Pardon me. So they played 15 matches. They won six, probably all of them in a row. 
They drew six and they lost three. The most noteworthy results, and there are some impressive ones over here, was their 4 0 dismantling of Roma. Chesco would have been fucking screaming. <laughs> their 3 1 victory over Inter at home. However, and then they also lost at home against Tur- Torino, two goals to one. They drew away to Cremona as a 0 0. They drew to Lecce at home 1 1, and they drew away to Spezia 1 1. Now, these come in recent history, all on the trot. They yes. seem to have really, Dip. really slowed down recently. What do you think? Why? Like, why? So, as discussed maybe three or four episodes ago, bro. Um, Udinese, it seems to have gone to their head, man. When it comes mm. to, for example, as well, the final third, playing the final third, there's an element of selfishness. There's an element of frustration, players flailing their arms at each other. I feel like before they wanted to get it done. They Now they feel like they deserve it to be done. Uh. You know, It's complacency, literally. And it's sad to see complacency with a team that's overachieving, to be honest with you. It, it sucks because, you know, they, they're not going to continue to achieve the results that they did when they were playing as a united unit. Because that's, that's what they had. Udinese were united. They were selfless. They were playing, you know, they were passing the ball. They were fucking, you know, they were playing as a unit, literally. Yeah. And nowadays, that's not the case anymore. They're letting in goals. They're, not, they're finding it difficult to score, to link up. Like, it's quite, it's quite bad for Udinese at the moment, in my yeah. opinion. They had no pressure coming into the season. Mm-hmm. They are literally the mid-table teams, I would say, are the ones that feel least pressure. Yeah. They had they didn't have pressure coming in. Therefore, they started off really well. They got that confidence about them. After six wins on the trot, like you said, it went to their head. They started to feel that pressure. Now we're expected to win these games. We beat Inter, we beat Roma. Now we have to beat Cremonese, we have to beat Lecce, we have to beat Spezia, we have to get mm. something against Torino. Yes, yes, well and because they feel that maybe they all want to be the hero as well, we saw on certain occasions a little bit of greed sets in particularly with their two biggest mm. players in Delafoe and Pereira. Pereira yes. Sometimes you see, and, and Delafoe especially is often very frustrated with his teammates, mm-hmm. very frustrated with his teammates, and Pereira as well. It's... The players like Samardzic coming in that are making the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The players who have a lot to prove. Exactly. It's, the players who, have, who are established are kind of, it's getting to their head, quite frankly. They feel like they're bigger than the team at times. That, that's, yeah. what I, that's my observation as a spectator. Yeah. Still a very organized unit. You could tell that they have a good manager by watching them play. Mm-hmm. Um, there haven't been any horrific, massive margin losses that goes to show that this team is... Mm-hmm. Dipping significantly It's a bit of a a, It's a situation with the players I don't think it's an identity crisis for the club Mm -hmm. Or anything of the sort Um, It's something that Now Sotil has shown us that he can Dictate play very well He can get his team ticking Is he a good man manager? Now that is the the main thing that we'll have to see We'll see, good good point Um, Udinese are currently Three points off of the Conference League spot And eighth no, six points, sorry, from the Europa League, bro. Still a great um, situation They're, they're to be. all right. They're all right. They, they can still do it. They're still doing better than most people expected them to do. So hopefully they can use this break to to regroup, to to get their shit together and to, you know, go on a push on the return. <coughs> Agreed. So who's your top for Udinese been this season? My top is the player we have criticized, um, Devil of Yeah, same. Yes, I mean, he's, he's incredible, no? Uh-huh. Uh, he's the main offensive outlet. All the goals come through him. He can score, he can assist, mostly assisting this season. Mm. Beto has had a good season as well as a target man as well, coming off mm. the bench. Sometimes it doesn't matter, he still scores. 
Pereira has been very good as well, but for me, the Oliver was the top. Yeah, and it's funny because he's a striker that's only on two goals yes. thus far. Um, but he has six assists, so he's essential when it comes to the link-up play. He's the most intelligent player on the pitch. He's very flashy, he's very quick, he's got a good shot on him. His finishing can be criticised because over the past few matches we've seen him miss a couple miss a of couple, chances. And he could have changed the game. And he could have really changed the game, particularly there was a last-minute chance oh when we had with bet, bet on Udinese to win. Yeah. A, a terrible miss it was, man. But yeah, he's, he's definitely been their, their best player. Um, Pereira is on one goal and five assists So he's he's up mm-hmm. there as well But again, his role hasn't been as significant as yeah. De La Feu's. My flop is Mazina I found it difficult to pick a flop, to be honest Because everyone's kind of played their part for this team Mazina has had four starts He's found it difficult to establish himself in this team Yeah, Mazina's a great one I didn't really think of, of that one um, I was going to say, they don't really have many flops And I guess that Success hasn't been given as many chances as probably he would have liked and that we were expecting to to see of him. Um, and even he's... Well, he's been given chances because he's been rotating with Beto and he still hasn't scored a single goal this season. Mm-hmm. So to be blessed with being given chances over a prolific goal scorer like Beto and still not finding the net once... Is disappointing to me, Fair so enough. I'll give him. I'll I give him I like his link-up play. I like the, that he flicks the ball off to his teammates. He's a good player. He's, he's, a good, he's player. good. Yeah, I, I'm kind of um, enjoying watching him, so I wouldn't pick him as my flop personally. Fair enough. Torino. Shall we move on to Torino? No, we don't know any Torino fans either. Ah, we need to yeah, branch out a bit more. Huh? Yes, please. If you support Torino, please contact us. Yes. Torino currently sit in ninth, brother. Take it away. Yep, twenty-one points. Not too bad for Torino, considering that they literally lost Bremer and Bellotti coming into the season. Uh, they played fifteen matches. They won six, drew three, and lost six. So the most even season I've ever seen. Win six, lost six, lose six, um, and draw three. Not bad at all. Um, Torino beat Milan 2-1 at home, which is crazy. They beat Udinese 2-1 away, which is also crazy. They then, however, lost away to Bologna, two goals to one. And they lost at home against Sassuolo 1-0. So they haven't really established themselves as the best of the rest just yet. They mm. seem to have no problem beating the teams that are better than them in Milan and Udinese. And then Bologna and Sassuolo were kind of on their level and a little bit worse and they don't manage to get past them mm. at all. What are your takes on Torino thus far, Ivan Juric's side? So there's six points off of the Conference League. I feel like they're still playing without a striker. Of course, Pellegri um, hasn't really stepped up to the, to the task. Um, they often play with a false nine, quite frankly, as a striker. Yeah. I feel like um, with what Juric has at his disposal, this has been a pretty good season for Torino, um, particularly against the top sides. They need to do better in games where they um, they should win, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think, again, quite similar to Udinese in the sense that they play good football. Mm-hmm. They're an Ivan Juric side. It's good to see in the beginning of the season, before the season even started, Juric was literally throwing hands with the owners of yeah. the club for not fucking investing shit in Torino. And they promised him... Well, no matter where Juric goes, he finds a bunch of, like, Scrooges, a bunch of misers. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah. People not willing to invest. And the fact that they're sat in ninth place and they've beaten the likes of Milan and Udinese this season, they're overperforming. Mm-hmm. They're overperforming. They've brought in... Miranchuk, 
who's looking good. They've brought in uh, Vlasic. Vlasic was brought in, no? Yes, yes, he was and he's, he's been, been amazing. He's been really good for them as well. So they really managed to turn things around nicely. They struggled a bit in the beginning, and they're showing that they're still Torino, yes. to be quite frank. Yes. Um, Torino are a team, of course, with great pedigree. They've won say uh, seven times before. Um, yeah. Uh, the grande il grande Torino of the past um, until you know yes the plane crash unfortunately the tragic um, my top Vanya Milinkovic mm. Savic um, oh, good choice Vlasic and Shures were the candidates mm-hmm. um, but I chose Vanya because he's had a stellar season so far to me yes the, Vanya has been fantastic for them to me it has to be Vlasic it's his debut season um, and it's been going really well for him since arriving on loan from West Ham he's got four goals and two assists I then have written here a shout out to Vanya Milinkovic-Savic who's been a wall and Richie and Miranchuk who when fit are, are crucial yeah. but I would give it to Vlasic because it's fair not enough, easy enough, to perform like that on your debut season my flop is Pietro Pellegri, another rough season for him. Even when he was the only fit striker, he wasn't starting. Bravo. And that's that's tragic, to yeah. be honest. When you're the only fit number nine available and the coach doesn't pick you, then things are not going your way. Yep, agreed 100%. You couldn't have said it better, my friend. Thank you, brother. So next up in 10th place, we have Fiorentina, who started off kind of slow, but they started to get the rhythm about mm-hmm. them now. Um, there are 21 points, they've played 15 matches, they won 5, drew 4 and lost 6, so still not obviously great in comparison to their season last season. Um, some noteworthy results was them being one of the only teams to hold Napoli this year in a nil-nil draw at home. Um, an embarrassing loss against Lazio at home, 4 goals to nil, that was when Lazio went on their streak of 4 nil victories, <laughs> and their away loss to Bologna. Two goals to one. So we still haven't really seen any noteworthy victories yes. for Fiorentina. Their last four games have been particularly impressive. Three wins on the trot and then almost causing an upset against Milan. Almost scoring the winner at the end, seeing Fikayo Tomori clearing the ball of the line. And that yeah. action led to the own goal eventually at the end of the game. So they did kind of get their shit going, um, but were interrupted by the break. Probably at an inopportune time for Fiorentina. Probably. You know how I watched that, that point you just spoke about mm. of Tomori? I was in the bathroom of an airport hiding there because I was vaping because they, <laughs> they had no smoke areas. <laughs> so wow. I sat on the toilet watching Milan on my laptop, phone on hotspot, vaping. Like. Do you feel like that was a new low in your life or do you feel like that was a G moment? None of them. I think it was just me living. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I had to come up with a solution for my terrible nicotine addiction and I found one so there you go there you go okay bro Um, Fiorentina in my opinion are a team that seem to overcomplicate simple things they seem to be as I mentioned earlier the opposite of Milan at the moment in the sense that Milan are too direct and they panic and they try to make things happen all the time while these guys try complex patterns and movements for every Mm. single attack um, we've seen recently Jovic and Dekona finding form Barak getting his first goal and Saponara even waking up um, the one downside to their attack is their key man last season, uh, Nico Gonzalez, who apparently is mentally unavailable. Um, Italiano said it's like he's an injured player. It's like having an injured player, a player who can't even be selected, who can't even yeah. play. He's um, actually now been withdrawn from yes, the Argentine national has, team. He actually has an injury apparently yeah. as well. Um, I think with Fiorentina, one massive kind of struggle we've seen for them is their lack of creativity in getting the ball to the striker, which is funny Mm. considering they have five wingers that can start. Um, They signed Barak 
in order for them to improve that situation. Barak hasn't really hit the ground running yet. We saw him have a good performance against Milan. But he always has a good performance against <laughs> Milan. That's in his DNA to have a good performance against Milan. But over the last four games, and even the game before that where they lost 4-3 against Inter, Inter had to get them at the death and Fiorentina were putting up a significant fight. So I think we're seeing Italiano's men starting to get their groove on. Um, and their goal, I think, would be is to maintain a top 10 spot and get as close to that Conference League spot as much as they possibly can. Well said, brother. Um, I think they, you know, their their owner recently came out and said that their ambition this season is to make the Champions League. Um, I think it's quite a stretch. They're on 19 points. Champions League qualification is currently at 30 points. So they're 11 points they're 11 behind. points behind. It's not impossible um, if the teams ahead of them slip up and they pretty much go flawless. But I think right now they realistically can get an Europa League spot at most or a Conference League spot, quite frankly, to be honest. Yeah, I think one high for them as well was actually reali- realizing that the guy they brought in to be their starting goalkeeper in Gollini let's just say he's not he's not a great goalkeeper in my opinion mm-hmm. of course he's above average because he plays in Serie A but I think that's as good as it gets um, they have a gem in Terracciano as a goalkeeper and I think the fact that they're utilizing him more and more now is a good sign for them as well this shows that he's open to change yes I do like Terracciano a lot bro. Yeah. who did you put for your top for this team? that was the, one of the easiest ones I put Amrabat oh my god same um, no debate whatsoever he's strong hard working he reads the game well He's fluid, he's dynamic with his passing and always makes the perfect decisions. If there's a loose ball in the midfield, it's not a loose ball, it's Amrabat's ball. Yes, (laughs) that's true. He's also a metronome, that's the thing. So out of possession, you want Amrabat on your team. In possession, you want Amrabat on the ball. He's a very strong Ben Nasser. That's like he's a very strong Ben Nasser. He's like a hybrid between like Ben Nasser and Kessie almost, you know what I mean? He's so good, man. He's such a good He doesn't stop, he's an engine, he doesn't slow down down at any point during the game he can get knocks he can get yellow cards anything can happen to him and he'll keep going at that yes. same pace consistently throughout the game so yeah. shout out Amrabat fantastic season he's this are, if, if Fiorentina kind of stay at this level being a mid-table team Amrabat will deserve better yes. next year <laughs> flop Nico Gonzalez he's mm. the most technically gifted player one, one of the most technically gifted players in the league he's fast skillful and has an eye for a goal but he's made himself unavailable this season. A lot of it is due to injury. A lot of it is as well because of unprofessionalism, mm. as was pointed out in the past. Like he got, whilst he wasn't playing for Fiorentina due to injury, he got called up for Argentina, which made him the least popular man in Florence yeah. at, at that point. But now a bit of clarity because he's actually out of the Argentina team. Look, um, I agree that Gonzalez is the main flop. However, I want to point out that there are quite a few on the Fiorentina side. Um, uh-huh. Gollini in particular. Gollini was brought in to be a starter and was benched by Terracciano and we haven't seen him in a while. Like So yeah. Gollini is also a candidate, but it has to be Nico Gonzalez. You're right. Yeah, I think so as well. I think so as well. There, there was, if this happened, if this episode happened five matches ago, it would have been easy to say Jovic as well uh-huh. because of the ceiling that he has. But yeah, I think Nico Gonzalez is probably the obvious option. I wanted to give a shout out to the improvement of Kwame, by yes. the way. He has improved significantly this season. 
and he's really turning out to be one of their best attacking options. He's back to his Genoa days. Yeah. Next up, yes! Bologna. We have Luca oh, for yes. this one. Fucking right. Love that guy, man. Love him. Bologna, they're 11th with 19 points. Who would have thought after the last time we had Luca on that we'd be sat here talking about Bologna in 11th mm-hmm. place when they were fighting relegation? I know it's still mm-hmm. early and they weren't technically fighting relegation, but they were in those positions. Yeah. And yeah, they looked shit. Luca <laughs> said that in Bologna there were whispers of relegation by whispers people were talking about it all the time, you know, and, and Bologna are a team who have been relegated in the recent past. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see that they've improved. Um, shall we hear what Luca has to say? One second. Uh, they've played 15 matches. They won five, drew four, and lost six. Luca, my man, take it away. Hey guys, here we are again. Last time we talked, uh, Bologna was in a really bad situation. Uh, but from that moment on, uh, we won five games and lost one, so against Inter. So I guess the, all the view about this team uh, changed, and I think it's also good to change opinion uh, ongoing about players and about staff because they changed their performance. For example, Tiago Motta, at the beginning, uh, we were talking and it was obvious that he was switching players uh, with uh, like actual no sense it looked like but after that after five win and one loss uh, i need to i need to say that he was right he was trying a player probably in different position he found uh, a, a way for bologna to play that is maybe not the best football we saw in the last years but it's a really effective football in the meaning that Bologna now doesn't need a lot of touches to get to the to the end uh, part of the field to score we just need like a few vertical passes and we are already there so we are always dangerous if you see also uh, yeah we lost the game uh, against Naples i remember but it was 3-2 for them at Naples and probably one of the most difficult uh, uh, game for them at home this year. And then uh, against Inter, we lost uh, 6-1. Yeah, that's right. But go check it out. The first 25 minutes, Bologna was playing uh, at the same level, if not better than Inter. Then we lost it completely, but it's, it's understandable against a great team like Inter. And so now, of course, we are, we are very happy because uh, the team is playing well and uh, we have an idea of playing. And uh, also the last game, Sassuolo is, uh, is not a bad team. It has some interesting players like Laurentier up front. Uh, I really like the midfield. Traore and Fratesi for me are very good players. And so it's always a tough game. And then it was a derby because they are one hour away from us in the same region and uh, always not easy to play. And I think uh, we played very well. Uh, at the beginning, they played a bit better, maybe. But then with uh, with our gameplay, we we were able to to control the game and uh, score three goals. And then also, let's talk about Lewis Ferguson. Like what a discover for Thiago Motta with Adam Mialovic. He wasn't playing at all, and now he looks like a great player. Already three goals. So yeah, now now two month break and it's gonna be weird for sure. I don't know what's gonna happen after the break because uh, it's something that 
it's the first time it's happening. And so we see how players are going to react. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that we don't have a lot of players in the World Cup because maybe they have the hype, uh, maybe they are down because they didn't get called up or they are just watching from home. But uh, a bit of rest is good and then uh, hopefully we will uh, start again as we uh, left uh, this first part of the of the Serie A because uh, uh, in Bologna, as I already said, the, the air or uh, changed uh, a lot from the last time we talked. So thank you guys and uh, hope next time we talk Bologna is... Uh, even uh, above uh, in the in the league so have a good one thank you very much luca um, for your update always accurate as always of course you're a big bologna fan you attend games at the stadium you follow the team very closely it's honestly a pleasure to get your insight on these things honestly your english is amazing um i have taught many an italian to try to speak english mm. Um, and particularly, it's I like once, speaking to a four-year-old. Yes, I, I once had a, a group, bro. I had many groups, from, but there was one of these guys, particularly terrible, a nautical school in Messina. They sent their students over for a week in Malta to, to study English, and I was their teacher. Lucky me. <laughs> and there was this one guy. I still remember his name, but I won't say it. This big guy, bro. This guy was like fifteen years old. He was double my size in height and width. <laughs> He has a thicker, <laughs> a thicker beard than me, this guy, but like he shaves it, you know, it's like coming out like a gray mm. shadow, like the fuckboy fringe, you know, then you can imagine this guy like, and we were, t- <laughs> they were taking it in turns to introduce themselves and he was like the seventh guy to introduce himself. And he said, my name, and he said his name, um, no is, by give the way, him, no, give no, him, no give him a, give him a I'm just going to say his name as if it's going to matter, like, just, okay, fuck it. Okay, no, actually, no, you're right. Uh, my name Antonio Rambo, whatever, it's very similar to that. It's oddly similar to that. Okay. And he said, and I like to fuck friends, mom. <laughs> oh, that was in class, in class, in class, bro. And everyone laughing. I'm there like, I, I had just started teaching. I was like maybe 21 years old. And I was so shocked. I wanted to burst out laughing. I was like, what do I do right now? I just went, ha ha, none of that. Moving on. <laughs> but yeah. Um, now you're wearing a hat, you take a, it off and bow. Yes, in them. my, in my well professional life, I can't stand in my personal life. Massive respect. <laughs> okay, Antonio, I'll never forget Don't you. We bro. all, Antonio Rambo. <laughs> no, but I think Luca was bang on. There was that kind of period where we were... Speaking with Luca, and we said that well, we're addressing Luca rather and, and saying, Yes, Motta hasn't really made the right decisions yet, but he didn't have a preseason with the team. He needs to try shit out and he needs to see what works and what doesn't. And now he's kind of found this anecdote and it seems to be working. Not the most attractive football they play. But this is a guy that learned from Mourinho in his yeah. heyday. So there it's you go. It's a great point that he said that they're playing more offensively, you know, less passes to get to the final third. And it's true, it has been much better. He mentioned the great victory against Aswalo and their derby 3-0 over there. Good performance against Napoli, um, causing them a big hassle, to be honest, to get through. Yeah. Um, and then a promising start against Center before it all collapsed. 6-1, of course. Plus those three wins on the trot. 
Mota's rotation has also proven to be a success. Granted, they dropped a few points early on, but he has discovered, for example, the likes of Lewis Ferguson, who mm-hmm. has scored three goals in five appearances and has quite frankly been a revelation. Um, I also like the way he's been utilizing Orsolini coming on off the bench and proving to Definitely. be an important player. The second we had just criticized Orsolini, bro, saying, like, when's this guy going to cement himself? You know, yeah. he's, he's due um, a breakout season. You know, mm-hmm. he's been he's been kind of still young, man. Yeah, I mean, young in Italy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But yeah, um, the air changed in Bologna. Of course, it has. Um, there's a good feeling. Do you think that it can get better for Bologna? I think it can. I think this is the start of something more positive for Bologna. You see the victories that they got. They're convincing victories. Um, oh my God, we didn't read the noteworthy results. Oh, go for it, bro. Read it now. No so, obviously, they lost 6-1 to Inter and 3-0 to Juve. Um, however, they beat Fiorentina 2-1. They beat Sassuolo 3-0. And I also wrote down their loss against Napoli 3-2 because of the fight that they that they put up. Wow. We're clearly having a few too many Stella Artois. Yes, bro. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think Bologna have what it takes to push for Europe, of course, but a mid-table no, finish would suffice. Uh-huh, but, but it's a good start. They have a young, progressive manager mm-hmm. and then Motta, as we always say. So this could really be the start of something special for them. A very attractive team with lots of different nationalities as well together. It's fun to watch, nice to mm-hmm. see. Um, let's hope that they actually have a future with Motta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. So, so far, far, so good. good. Top. Top for me, Arnautovic. Difficult to debate with that. Yeah, I mean, eight goals this season. And he had six when the team was struggling. Mm. So that really goes to show what he's all about. Um, He's a bit of a leader for the team as well. His physicality, eye for goal, understanding of the game and his fighter mentality is very key to this team. And Bologna struggled a lot in that position for years. Back when they were utilizing Palacio up there, back when they were utilizing Musa Barrow up there. So, yeah, I've been to screaming for a striker for so long. Mm. Yes, but um, Arnautovic's standards are as high as his shorts, bro. <laughs> um, honestly, he makes everyone play better around him. But like. his dreams are as big as his quadriceps. That's true. That's true. Um, flop, for me, Sansone, bro. Where is Sansone? Oh. Uh-huh, like, where? Probably being selfish somewhere. <laughs> Because the man we haven't the seen him. Board. He's 32 years old now. He's barely playing. Like for me, another flop, another flop. Failing to assert himself under both managers. I think Musa Barrow on paper should be a very important player for Bologna. But the fact that he hasn't really shown us that this season when we know that he's got it in his locker makes him my flop of the season. So fair far. enough. That's a fair shot too. Um, I kind of like what he's been doing lately. Um, but it's true. Judging from what we've seen from Musa Barrow in the past, he should be a key player for Bologna this season. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. No na 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 Salernitana Na Martina Salernitana One of my favorite teams this year Salernitana in 12th Who the fuck? Would have ever thought that Salernitana would be 12th in Serie A They're fucking super bro Compared They are insane I the- love them their start, and I don't use this word often, and I don't use this word lightly either, 
has been gargantuan. Oh bro. my God. There we go, right? Mm-hmm. So they're a team that has come an extremely long way from last season's god-awful start. They were destined for relegation last season. Everyone had them out. Everyone was saying, ah, oh, who's going to get relegated apart from Salernitana? That was the discussion. Who are the other Our guys? Our weekly bye-bye to Salernitana. Exactly. Bye-bye. We actually had that whole thing. It's our weekly bye-bye to Salernitana, another loss for them. But then Dove and Nicola came in and turned everything around. And... Differently to to the the Nicola curse, mm. you know Nicola quite often fucks up after after he saves the team. He uh-huh, pulls off the uh-huh. miracle and he dips. He has managed to maintain consistency, David and Nicola. Okay, they're twelfth right now. They've caused upsets. They've beaten teams they should have beaten. They've lost a few, granted, which is only natural. People thought I'm sure coming into the season, Salernitana's goal was to survive. Mm-hmm. Here they are in twelfth. Looking good, Salernitan. Yeah, they've had more positive results than negative ones. Before I get to those, I'll say um, uh, their wins, draws, and losses. They've played 15, won four, drew five, lost six. Um, their most impressive victory to date has been their 3-1 away victory against an impressive Lazio team. The fact that they managed to do that when Lazio were on such a streak is incredibly impressive. Without their curva as well. Their 4-0 dismantling of Sampdoria. Holding Juve away from home with the score of 2-2. However, and then they had their 5-0 loss against Sassuolo, which, <laughs> it was I mean, weird. Sassuolo were 1970s Brazil on that day. And Salernitana were like Salernitana last season. That was the literal matchup. Like They also lost to Monza three goals to nil away from home. And they also lost to Lecce at home 2-1. So, yeah, when things turn into a scrap... Salernitana get a bit carried yeah, away. They're there for it. Yeah. Um, they're comfortably outside the relegation zone. I feel like that will be their team for the rest of the season. They'll probably sit in mid-table, maybe, maybe dip a bit. But I don't think that they'll get relegated next season. What do you think, bro? No, I think... I think So, technically, no one's safe right now because mathematically anyone can get relegated and, and, and things can always take a turn. But from how they've looked, I definitely think that they're safe. Yeah. They're definitely better than the bottom five teams so far. Definitely, bro. And they play with attitude. They play with style. They're very, very good. Who has been your top this season, bro? 100% Dia. Yes, same. It was between Dia and Matsoki for me. Matsoki has Matsoki's been, been very good. Matsoki's mm-hmm. been very good. Sepe has been very good. Sepe has, I believe, fourth. I think the fourth or fifth. Most saves this season mm-hmm. Something like that I don't know the stat exactly But yes bro um, Sepe Matsoki Dia Have been the, the tops Kandreva Kandreva has been alright uh, He's been very good uh, He has the most sprints in the league <laughs> I swear to god That's an actual stat He has the most sprints in the league That's crazy Um, Yes Dia, it has to be Dia. He's scoring amazing goals. He's making the difference up front They brought in Piontek But it's all about Dia mm. He's He's um. He gives them a super attacking outlet with flair and an eye for goal. And he's crucial into making them dangerous. For sure. Very crucial. And especially with the cross system they play, Dia, having Dia to cross to is very nice. Mm, mm. Who is your flop? It's harsh because he's been riddled with injury, uh, but I literally couldn't think of another one, man. Lovato, Lovato yes. for sure. He's a centre-back that was going to bring a lot of Serie A experience to that back line this year. Yes. And he was going to be crucial for them. Probably their best centre-back had he been fit. Nicknamed the anti-Zapata when he was in, in his prime and when Zapata was in his prime at uh, Atalanta. 
Uh, Lovato was playing at the back for Hellas Verona and he fucking neutralized him on two occasions. He was amazing, Lovato, back then. Um, it's a shame these injuries have progressed. You know, he's had an ankle injury. He's had a head injury as well. Um, but even when he has been available, he's not really been chosen. He's only had two appearances so far this season. For me, that's a flop. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to Empoli. Empoli are in 13th on 17 points. They've played 15, won four, drew five and lost six. They have some very impressive victories. They have a 1-0 away victory against Bologna. They have a 1-0 home victory against Monza. They have another 1-0 home victory against Sassuolo. However, then they also lost 4-0 away from home against Juve. For this one, we have Matthias, a Roma fan. But he also follows Empoli very, very closely and he's very passionate about the club. He's going to be giving us some insight on Empoli as someone that obviously follows them very closely. Okay, so good evening, guys. I hope you're doing fine. I hope you're treating yourself with something nice to drink for this podcast recording after match day 15. The last time I was featured was after match day 5 uh, when Empoli had lost. One game and drawn four. And I tried to make the case that this is still an intriguing team and interesting to follow, but perhaps a bit uneven, even though they have not been able to win games. Now we have seen another 10 matches, and I will actually try to argue against myself a little bit and said that Empoli has become better results-wise and looked more stable, but <clears throat> they feel a bit tedious. And I have actually occasionally during this time struggled to keep up with my fascination for this team. I am not an Empoli supporter in that sense. I support Roma, but I have found Empoli quite interesting to sort of uh, follow and uh, look into. So looking at the results, Empoli has won four of their last 10 matches, drawn one and lost five, which puts them in 13th place with a 4-5-6 record. And looking at their wins, I would say that they were fairly lucky to get their first win against Bologna. Uh, Vicario rescued them at that game and they were got a late goal in a strangely, strange manner. Uh, and then they put on pretty good performances against Monza and Sassuolo before beating Cremonese, which almost everyone has done except for Milan. And Cremonese hasn't won any match, so that was quite an easy win. So results-wise, I would say Empoli has done pretty good. They've only been blown out. Once, and that was when Juventus beat them 4-0. And otherwise, they have actually managed to keep it close with better sides, such as Roma and Milan. But I think they played a bit boring. They haven't really been able to get the dynamics of their midfield going. And they have a couple of like big questions lingering over this team. Even though they are uh, in 13th place and they are not really close to the relegation battle at least at this point. But they still have two very big problems which I would like to address and also hear your thoughts about. So the first question concerns their goal scoring. And I wonder whether we will actually ever see Empoli score more than two goals in one match this season. Because they are very low on scoring. They are in 17th place in Serie A when looked at goals scored. 17th in expected goals and actually last when you look at big chances created, at least according to football. And they have three players who have scored two goals each. Baldanzi, we all really like. Parisi, who everyone really likes. And uh, Bandinelli, who is a good, versatile midfield player of theirs. All of their four attackers 
have one goal each, so that is uh, Lammers, Cambiaghi, Destro and Satriani. But none of them has actually looked close to get going uh, with sort of any sort of uh, offensive progress. And I wonder a little bit about the squad structures of the squad structure of their forwards because they have they have four attackers, and three of them are on loan, and one of them is a journeyman. So the three loan players are Cambiaghi, Lammers, and Satriano, and Destro is obviously obviously a journeyman. And I wonder whether you think this is a good way to sort of build a squad because it seems like they have no really no really like stable points to. We say no, no permanent position to build the attack around. All of the, these four players are new acquisitions, so none of them have none of them have played in Empoli before, and none of them have played under Sanetti before. And I've been wondering whether they would actually would have been a better side if he had if he had brought with him Okereke or uh, Henri from from Venezia, players who have actually sort of played in his system before, because now they seem to be. They just seem to throw out their attackers and see if anyone is capable of doing something. We'll see. Uh, I suspect that we could see Lammers leave in January because he has failed to establish himself as a regular in the squad. And I think that his value would drop if he just continues to, to play and not score. And perhaps Atalanta would rather loan him out to a Dutch side or a Swiss side to sort of get him going. And perhaps they could get some new attacker in by then as well. I think the problem lies mainly at their forward group because I think that that a little further back within the offensive midfielders with Baldanzi and Beirami, they actually have sort of good ideas in that sense. The other question concerns their defense. And if we look at their conceded goals, they are 10th in the league. So that's mid-table. But if you look at expected goals conceded, they are in third place, which is bad, meaning that they only have two two teams ahead of them who have conceded more chances in that sense. And I am not that impressed with their defensive structure. I think they they tend to employ like a low block, but they don't really have a control in their own in their own penalty area because they, it seems to be fairly chaotic every time the the opposite squad sends the ball in and they actually just seem to rely on the fact that they have one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A, in Vicario. They are fully dependent on him keeping them in the games. And the question is whether he can actually keep this up, because this has been really, really good, these first 15 games. And there has been some rumors that perhaps Juventus would buy him as a replacement for Chesney. I'm not sure. What happens if they need to sell him in January, or if they sort of sell him but with with the condition that he leaves in the summer that could sort of rupture the squad a little bit or what happens if he falls into a bad spell and actually starts letting in some goals um, that will also sort of decrement them quite a bit perhaps their defense could be a little bit better because now Ismaili is back and I believe that he's their best center back so if they could get him playing regularly perhaps they could get sort of the structure back again on the positive note, I mean, they are keep playing. They keep playing their young players. Uh, Baldanzi has become uh, at least a rotational player, and they've also let uh, Fassini get some starts, the 19-year-old from their academy, and they have also let a couple of other young players actually 
get some time, namely Duccio Delian Innocenti, who's been getting a couple of minutes off the bench, as well as their uh, Swedish-Nigerian striker, Emmanuel Kong, who's been playing like 15 minutes. So they tend, they, they seem to sort of keep building on their academy, which is, of course, always interesting. But it's it's hard to rely on these players uh, to get the play going and, and become better. So that's my thoughts and questions on Empoli. I also have a third question for you guys unrelated to this. Uh, I'm not going to watch the World Cup too much. I'm not too fond of this year's tournament, but I noticed that there is a Serie B player in the World Cup squads. The leading scorer, Walid Shadira from Bari, who I believe has scored nine goals in 12 games, and he's 24 years old. I think he turns 25 next year. Next year. So I was wondering, I've only seen the highlights. He looks like a pretty good player. Perhaps he will get some playing time for Morocco, which he represents. But do you think this is a player which could be picked up by one of the other sides in the January window? He plays for Bari. And on the one hand, it would be reasonable for Bari to keep him over the entire season. season because if he keeps scoring, his, his market value will surely increase. But on the other hand, Bari is owned by De Laurentiis which also owns Napoli, and we know that he doesn't really want Bari to get promoted to Serie A because then he would need to sort of sell one of their teams, Ala Lazio and Salernitana, last year. So perhaps perhaps this is a pretty good time to actually uh, let go of Jadira in this sense. What do you guys think about that? Thank you and have a, have a nice end to the year. Thank you very much, Matthias. You are clearly a man of culture. I love knows the ball. Fact, yeah, he knows, knows ball. ball. He does know ball. Um, I love someone who's passionate about um, Serie A and Serie B and Italian football in general. And you watch it with cl- close detail. So respect to you, brother. Um, thank you very much. It's an honor to have you listening, of course. We're drinking. So yesterday we were drinking Limoncello. And today Jake had to pick up Moretti, but he asked for Moretti and they gave him Stella and he didn't realize because he had a long day. Bless yes, him. exactly. I didn't even look. I mean, I saw the green <laughs> bottles. I'm like, ah, Moretti. We got home and Matthew's like, nice one with the Moretti, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with it? And it's Stella. I'm like, shit. We ah, went, from, great, we went from Italian to... Belgian. Yeah, Belgian, but it's what the English drink. Let's be real. No, but Stella's great. Stella's my number two behind yes. Moretti. Oh, really? Okay. No, number three. Hop House is second. Oh, really? My my number one is Trisk and Trisk only, brother. All right. Now, I like the fact that you said the Hempoli are an intriguing team, but definitely feel a bit tedious at times. Um, they're a team, as you mentioned, that cannot score more than two goals, right? We will never yeah. see them score more than two goals. They brought in... Or they have rather in the roster four strikers. They've got Lammers, Kambiagi, Destran, Satriano, who have scored one goal each. None of them have hit the ground running, similar to what Roma have, but like spread across four players, not two. Yeah, and, and particularly very disappointing from the last two that you mentioned from Destro. He called him a journeyman. So he is a journeyman. Definitely, he's a man. He's the definition. However, that has seen great success on a lot of stints that he's had with other clubs. Like his last in that Genoa was was 
pretty good as well and he was with a team that was struggling so I think he goes into a team like Empoli who play good football but struggle to score goals and, and you think he'd you think he'd do a better job than he is but he's really really struggled although his the one goal that he scored was fucking it was fire bro what a goal he's magnificent Satriano I'm still waiting to see why this guy is highly rated I haven't quite seen why there's so much hype around him um, hopefully we'll, we'll get to see that soon But definitely all four strikers Have really, really been underperforming man. Yeah, I mean They definitely have Satriano And the thing is They brought in a good balance of strikers as well They brought a striker Who is uh, who has a lot of say uh, Experience who can bring in the goals They brought a striker who's young in Satriano With a lot to prove They also brought on Just in case Satriano flops They brought in Lammers from Atalanta Another young striker with a lot to prove But it seems like none of them Have really hit the ground running which mm. is good for each individual because uh-huh. they still have a chance, but it's terrible for everyone as a whole because Empoli yeah. um, aren't scoring that much. Um, yeah, he also highlighted the fact that their defensive structure has looked a little bit shaky. They opt for the low block, especially after getting a goal, bro. Empoli just sit back. And yeah. it's, it's very frustrating to see. Yeah. Luperto hasn't looked as good as he looked last season. And as you mentioned, uh, Matias Ismaili was out, but he's back. And mm. he's probably their he's best centre-back. I, I agree that he's their best centre-back. very good. And they're playing with uh, our, our boy Kakache. <laughs> Libby. Libby. or Li- What was his first name? Liber- 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 was it Liberatore? Liberatore Kakache. No. Some shit like that, man. But yes, he, he wasn't particularly great. Quite shaky um, over mm. there. Obviously, they've had Parisi, who has stole the headlines because he's a defender that scores yes he joins similarly to Theo Hernandez he joins the midfield quite often um, those have been the main offensive threats Baldanzi Parisi and Bandinelli three goals each um, mm. coming through the midfield not even through the attack it goes to show Zanetti's system is not too flawed at least they can get goals from other departments mm-hmm. um, he highlighted Vicario's importance he called him one of the best goalkeepers in the league of course you've been, you've been saying this for a while bro Vicario mm-hmm. is a great goalkeeper he's brilliant great, great, great he's brilliant keeper. you know I have a girl in our office whose surname is Vicario really mm-hmm. you asked her for sure of course I asked her and what did she say First no I don't know who that is <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much pretty much yeah uh, Chedira, bro, you mentioned Chedira playing in Seyab, oh, nine goals and 12 for Bari. There are three players who are going to the World Cup from Seyab. Those are Chedira, Glick from, uh, of course, Benevento, and Karacic, who plays with Brescia, the Australian. So yeah. we have Glick going to Poland, of course, Kar- Glick joining the Polish national team, rather, not going to Poland, he's going to Qatar, unfortunately for him. Uh, <laughs> Karacic Poland, joining. Poland isn't. Uh... Alright <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the video of, right the, of the two fighter jets Escorting the Polish national team As they're I crossing did, the border I did, crazy, I did. crazy crazy times uh-huh. Crazy world we live in guys uh-huh. uh, But yes Shadira is definitely The most promising player From the Serie Going to the World Cup And that's a fantastic point You make about De Laurentiis Probably not wanting Bari uh-huh. in Serie Because of being forced to sell We saw yeah. how hard it was For Latito to yeah. let go Right He'll, 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 he'll nick Shadira well, yeah. he can't really because he already has three top strikers at Napoli. However, mm. the World Cup comes at... So normally, it comes before the summer transfer window. So people would have three months to sign these guys. Mm. But this time, it's coming in January. So they have one month halfway through a season. But for unknown talent, it's very mm. opportune for them to all of a sudden. They're halfway through a season you know, in a totally, totally new environment. So this is a great opportunity for someone like Chedira 
especially since he knows the Italian way in inverted commas, mm-hmm. he can really start working up the ranks over mm-hmm. here. He's going to be playing the World Cup with Morocco. He's going to be linking up with Sabiri over there. Mm. Uh, it's, going to, it's a nice team. They have a little fucking gem of a team. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I used right to, now. When I was in the desert the, in Morocco. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Medi Benatia, for sure. I, I told the, the Bear Bears, I told them, you know, Medi Benatia. They're like, no. I'm like, you know football? They told me, brother, we know desert. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so you only know sand and sun <laughs> Pretty sure I saw one of you smoking a cigarette You know cigarette man Yeah they only know yellow things C- <laughs> Cigarettes with the yellow butt Sand yellow sun yellow That's it that's it Only yellow bro And the only fucking thing they watch is the Simpsons no. <laughs> Chadira bro if I Were Bari right now I would loan Chadira out Or try to get a loan to Chadira To one of those fucking say teams that need a striker Torino, bro. Why not send Why him would you to loan the... him out? You need because he him to get promotion. Yes, sure, but the thing is, as he mentioned, like maybe you know, there's a political thing. He doesn't want them to get promoted. In that case, send him off to Torino. You know, but send him Bari off to would... Torino. They'll probably start him because of the fact that there's no other alternative. And um, and yeah, he might fucking explode, and he might get a, an injection cash into Bari. I think Bari should hold on to their best players, person. I think nonetheless, yes, yeah. nonetheless. Bari are going to give their 100% to get promoted and then leave the troubles up to the man himself. Yeah. And he would be keen to flip them as well. It'd be hard to let go, but he bought a Serie B team and he's flipping them because That's they're now a Serie A team. That's a good point. Yeah, flip them for a profit. But yeah. it's always hard to let go of your baby. Of course, of yeah. course. So fuck Napoli's his fucking baby as well. He has all the movies. Don't be greedy, dog. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Um, I kind of ah yes, we have to do our tops and our flops, bro. Yes. Um, top for me, of course, boring choice. It's very obvious, Parisi, man. I mean, he's been left back. He's their left back. No. He's been key to their offensive movements. He's been very good defensively. He's grown a lot. I thought I was having a heart attack there. He's <laughs> playing really well, bro, Parisi. I have special shout outs to Parisi and Marin, but I definitely think that Vicario has been a their best shot. player by yes. a landslide. I think that. Um, Matthias brought up a point that when it comes to XG, Empoli should have conceded way more goals than they did. Mm. And their defense has been very shaky. That leaves one man being the culprit for the reason as to why they didn't concede more. Vicario, and we've seen him do it. We've tangibly seen him in front of us pulling off miracle saves time after time. I'll give it to Vicario. I think he's clear. Fair enough. I accept that. I'm not going to debate you. Uh, <laughs> All right. Oh uh, no, because Vicario has been outstanding. It's difficult mm-hmm. to say he doesn't deserve it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I would have probably not debated if you picked Bandinelli, for example, true. as well, because Bandinelli has been amazing. If we had a section for most promising player over here, Baldanzi would take the cake. Yeah. Of course, he's been yeah. super. And also, a kiss to Vicario, obviously. Yeah. There we go. Now, flop. Um, obviously, I think not. not I'm torn between two, but aha, uh-huh, it's between Destro and Satriano to me. Two For of the strikers. Okay, I would choose Destro. For me, yes, I have Destro as my main one. One goal it was super sexy, but that's it. Uh-huh. And um, then I have Piaka, bro. Piaka is a guy who has you okay, on his interesting, CV, brought in over here. You know what I mean? Like mm. flopped at Torino as well. Now he's flopping at Empoli. Like this guy, man, is just on a downward trend. That's it. That's true. 
That's true, you know. But I yes, I, I would go for Deathstroke because the expectations were higher. Right? They got a prolific goal scorer and Zig Journeyman who scored everywhere he's gone. He knows the league well and he's struggling to score. So yes, flop. Exactly. Shall we move on, bro? Because this episode is going to be fucking five hours long. We might as well. Whoever has made it this far already, shout out to you, brother. We could say what we want right now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's test the waters. You want to test the waters? No, brother. No, no, no. no. We still have Mintoff's fucking three-hour voice note, man. <laughs> yes, this dude. is, we, this is longer. Uh, this episode is gonna be longer than the Irishman. This, it's a, you're right. It is. You're right. It's longer, it's than, longer the than the Irishman. This episode. Oh my god, bro. That's a good description. We should include that in the description. This yeah. episode's longer than the Let's Irishman. Let's continue Monza. because Madonna. Like next team we're gonna be covering is Monza in fourteenth. They're on 16 points. They've played 15 matches. They won five, drew one, and lost nine. Some noteworthy results for them was a 1-0 victory over Juve. Their 3-0 away victory against Sampdoria. Their 2-0 victory over Verona. Their 3-0 victory over Salernitana. They then lost 4-1 against Milan and 1-0 against Empoli. I think more positive than negative thus far, especially after their super shitty start. They made some changes and they... Turned to the better. Essentially, what do you make of Monza so far? Yes, um, Berlusconi's pride. No, um, he struck. He sacked Stroppa, saying that Stroppa was not that good tactically. You frankly. sound like a drunk mess. Right? <laughs> I mean, I am what I am. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, he sacked Stroppa, claiming that you know. Stroppa is not great tactically, he doesn't listen to my advice, whatever. So he sacked him and brought mm-hmm. in Paladino. He's like, I have to make the offensive formula myself. I've come up with the tactics myself because of the mess Stroppa left. Whatever. Suddenly, he was right, man. He was mm-hmm. right. Monza under Paladino have been very, very solid, bro, to say the least. They have climbed tables since, looked much better. You know, their players are looking good. Um, Petania is getting into shape. You know, Carlos Augusto has been very good. Sensi has been top. Di Gregorio. Di Gregorio, Di Gregorio has been like very good, very very good, very good. Um, it's an entire battle for for tops. Yes, in the in in Bologna, you could make in so Monza. many. Sorry, Madonna. Who is Aha, uh-huh, I think they're here to stay as well. They're okay. much better than the bottom five. There we go. Okay, so that we agree on. So they're kind of a mid-table team, probably just below mid-table. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're going to go to tops and flops. Top. So, can I just give an explanation? Because there's so many. Yes, you, you okay. tend to give a... A bit of a brief. Composition every time you have uh-huh. to mention your top. While I do this, maybe you can find the lighter for me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking around. I don't have it, dude. So... Caprari, Sensi and Pessina have all been great But my top three are Di Gregorio, Rovella and Carlos Augusto Now Di Gregorio is consistently keeping Cranio on the bench By pulling off some mad saves on the pitch Carlos Augusto is a left back and he's the club's top scorer with three goals And has an assist too And Rovella is becoming the metronome for this side Gluing all the newbies together as one of the newbies I personally feel that the most important player on the pitch at the moment for Monza is Ravella. Wow. 
Interesting. Okay. Yes. Uh, a fair shout. Ravel has been very good. Thank However, you. However, I would not include him in my top three. Oh, not in your top not three. Not in my top three, bro. My top wow. three are Di Gregorio, who's the top. Mm-hmm. Carlos Augusto mm-hmm. and Sensi, man. Sensi has been good. Sensi well. has been super, man. I, I, I don't know. I think he's been better than Ravella, personally. I mean, you can't compare those two players, or they play two completely different roles, I think. But, like, the thing is, would Monza struggle more if they lost Ravella or if they lost Sensi? I think Sensi. Oh, I th- sorry. Ah! <laughs> ah, ah, ah what did you say first count? <laughs> <laughs> I think Ravella. Okay, fair enough. I think for Sensi, they have, like, Pessina. That's very different, very, very cover. different. You have Sensi, who's the metronome, who, who wins possession back, plays the ball like a mini Ben Nasser kind of thing. Pessina's more of an offensive outlet. I think Ravella's more of a Ben Nasser. Ravella, Ravella's a, a kind of box-to-box midfielder. Sensi's kind of the register. He has been pivotal for them in turning defence into attack. He has some of the most forward passes in the league thus exactly, far. Exactly, forward passes though. Like when it comes to the like retaining possession, controlling the tempo, it's all in Sensi's but hands. Ravella has been retaining possession as well. Fair enough, bro. I mean, these are two midfielders who are pivotal to the way that Monza play. They both do their fair share of defensive work and offensive work. Um, two different opinions. Fair enough, no? Uh huh. I think Ravella's. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. You yeah. know what Ravella has that Sensi doesn't? He's always healthy. That's true. That's true. And bro, what a partnership! Yes, by the way. it's great, great midfield they have over there, and and they have a few key players who are never talked about. Like Machine mm. is a really, really Machine. good player. Barely him plays. Non-convocato, like yeah, <laughs> he plays every now and then. Barely, <laughs> yeah, but he's barely good. ever. He's really good though. Yeah, you have him on Fanta. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why you know. That's why I know that he's non-convocato. He's picking up now, but Petania. Fair enough, yes, okay. Um, but he did have his injury. Yes, as yes, well. yes, as well. Um, it's hard I wouldn't, to I wouldn't even call team. him a flop. For me, it's Andrea Renocchio, who they signed from Inter. They wanted to get a defender with experience. They have, they have as well, uh, what's his name, bro? Paletta. You remember Paletta? Ah, I mean, course, they have him there in their squads. They have Paletta and Ranocchio there with the experience in the dressing room. But Andrea Ranocchio proved to be quite useless and his contract was terminated. He is not... To be confused with Filippo Rannocchia, who plays in midfield for Monza, who scored the crazy free kick against Milan. Not to be confused by him. Second flop for me, Pessina. I expected yeah. more from Pessina. So far, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Shall we yes. move on to Sassuolo? Moving on to Sassuolo, bro, the team that currently sits in 15th place. We have our final voice recording of the episode over here from our boy, Luke Mintoff. Um, Sassuolo, of course, are always fun to watch, but they kind of are ineffective at times. They've improved defensively when it comes to clean sheets, but the blunders and the lapses in concentration um, are still a big problem. They're in 15th on 16 points. They've played 15 matches. They won four of them. They drew four of them and they lost seven. Some note where the results mainly negative over here are their 3-0 loss to Bologna. They're one nil lost to Empoli. They're four nil lost to Napoli. They're three nil lost to Juve. They have, however, had a great five nil victory against Salernitana and held Milan to a nil nil draw. And they also beat Torino away from home with the score of one nil. Mintoff, the floor is yours. It dooms, bro. Don't take long, bro. Good morning, gents. Um, keep up the good work as usual, of course, as uh, as I always like to say. Um, <clears throat> A couple of points about Sassuola from my side, of course, from 
the few observations I have made. Um, the main takeaway for me is that, of course, in the big games, Inter, Atalanta, Napoli, um, Sassuolo hasn't shown up as per previously that um, Juventus as well, they lost 3 zero. They, they, they tended to be the, um, the Robin Hood of Serie A, at least last year, um, where they stole a couple of points against big teams. This year doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, although there's another point I'd like to mention to, to, to follow up with that. But yeah, this year doesn't seem to be the case where they're able to beat these teams. Um, one main obvious point is that their strike force has decreased. It has it has gotten worse. There's no other there's no way of sugarcoating it um, without not being honest. It has gotten worse. Berardi has been injured for the most part of the of the opening stage of the campaign. Um, Triara has been been injured for the opening stage of the campaign, albeit Lauriente has come in and done a superb job. I believe he's the most promising talent up front um, for Sassuolo at the moment. Whenever he gets the ball, there's always this possibility um, of a chance or a goal. He's actually the, the most involved attacker in the in Sassuolo's team so far, followed by, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's Fratesi or Lopez, but I could be wrong. Um, <clears throat> There were a couple of games recently where I feel that some decisions really didn't go Sassuolo's way. Um, really terrible refereeing. I mean, there's no other way for me to be honest, but say it like this. Against the Empoli game where um, Sassuolo weren't given two penalties. Um, one was in the 30th minute where the game was still 0-0 and I'm pretty sure um, the game will have changed drastically since then where Ismaili basically rugby grabs the ball and VAR doesn't VAR it. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. There have been many this season alone, many of the decisions, not just with Sassuolo. There was the Juventus game where um, it was absolutely ludicrous. Um, for them to have given the the goal for Salernitana, um, I I don't know what's going on with VAR this season. It feels like people are having their legs up in the um, in the TV room and they're just um, sipping their coffee and just um, you know looking at the camera and they'll be like, "What do you think, chaps? Do you think this is a goal? No? Okay. Referee, it's all a goal. Okay, uh, no goal. Uh, so it, it just looks." I don't know. It just doesn't look professional. Like, how can the broadcasting agency have better footage than supposedly a room filled with TVs, filled with different angles of actions in a game? It doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, for me, it was it was it was a shocker at all. Um, in, in, in all ways, in all angles, you can see it's just an absolute shocker. Um, but I've, I've really gone off a tangent on that one. Um, there were some other games where Sassuolo just didn't show up. The Napoli game was just absolutely, um, absolutely terrible. Um, in, the, in the Roma game, um, Sassuolo played all right. Um, but again, they, they, the defense has, has, <laughs> I think this is like a 
common theme in this world. Defense has always been an issue, and you know, giving away sloppy. So most of the time, the goals that Sassuolo concede aren't even very good. Um, they're just sloppy, or defenders get really nervous under pressure. Like Sassuolo really suffer when their backline is pressed really hard um, by the by the opponents attacking and midfielder players, and this really. It just causes so much turmoil, so much, um, so many mistakes that it's just it's unforgivable, really, when you keep watching it over and over and over again. Uh, luckily, in that game, Penamonte scored a very good goal, and it was, of course, thanks to um, Lauriente's incredible run down the left flank, and then a driven pass to him, and he, he finished well, in all, fa- in all fairness, but he's another point of contention where he needs to um, eat some humble pie, uh, not just eat. Um, I think he needs to bake a couple of pies and eat them and really come to terms with this is not Pinamonti who scored um, over 10 goals with, with Empoli. This is Pinamonti who scored three goals and two have only been in uh, out of out of play, um, in, 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 in action, and one has been a penalty. Um, so he needs, to, he needs to come to terms that things aren't going too well for him. I think in the long run, he will adapt to Sassuolo. I think it's a very different team. Empoli is much slower. They're more methodical. They're more um, building up the play and then eventually getting to the right angle or right pass, which Penamonte is very good at, that one-time finishing. Um, There was a glimpse of that in the Bologna game where he received a pass on the right-hand side of of the box, inside inside, inside the box, inside the... I don't know whether it was don't know whether it was the six meter thing. It was it was like nine or ten meters out, and he had a relatively good shot, but it was pretty central, and Skorupski saved it. Um, but yeah, they 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 um, he needs to eat some humble pie, and he needs to understand that you know he needs to work harder. I I I can't think of, he, I think rather than work harder, perhaps he needs to adapt a bit better because he it feels like Pinamonti wants people to play his game and so Spolo play a very particular game, very fast, very intense, um, very direct as soon as they get into the final thirds and he needs to be more snappy, he needs to make those decisions, he needs to make a better run, he needs to he needs to find better space and then when he holds up the ball, it just slows the whole game down for Sassuolo and it just... Sassuolo don't have those physical players to then, you know, beat a man not that rather than beat a man, shrug a man off the ball, or 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 keep keep the keep position. You know they have players like Lopez, who's not physical at all, but he's incredibly te- incredibly technical. Fratesi, for his stature, is not unphysical, but again, he's not going to outmuscle uh, players like Matic, players like uh, Ashishabar, and um, and 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 the likes of Saumaro. I mean, you know, clearly people get. People in this team get overpowered, and um, it's sometimes hard to watch because it's not that the team plays bad. It's just that the team doesn't play to their strengths at the moment. Um, and and one final thing, I think that Denise is actually a good coach um, for all intents and purposes. He does well. His strategy pre-game usually, to me, always makes sense. Um, Sassuolo never start a match. There were only a couple of games this season, and compared to last season, which I saw that more often, where I said, okay, this is really isn't working at all. 
like the tactics are not working compared to this team. Um, the one game I can say where it, did, it definitely did not work was the Napoli game. Um, I don't know whether the team was tired, whether the plan wasn't right, but Tassuolo just got overrun from the get-go. Um, but 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 Dionisi has to has to play Alvarez more. I mean, this guy's barely played, and when he plays and when he comes on, he's always looking hungry. He's always trying to get the ball. He's always trying to shoot. He's always trying to make something happen. Compared to Pinamonti, who's static and a bit lethargic and a bit um, a bit less affair. And I think this is something Denise has to admit that okay, you've paid twenty million for your star signing of the summer, but if it's not working, you have to change it up as well because you know you need results. You can't keep losing to to all these teams. You can't keep losing. You can't lose three zero to Bologna. You can't lose to Empoli, even though Sassuolo lost two twice last season to to Empoli. But, um, you know, these are games that you need to win. You know, Sassuolo are now 15th. Okay, I don't think they're going to get relegated, especially with Berardi on the brink of returning. But this team should not be 15th as well. I, it's good that there's this break now for the team to come back and, and reassess. It's good for this break because that means Berardi can probably and hopefully fully recover. Traore can get some more match fitness, which he probably perhaps needs. Um, maybe perhaps playing some friendlies against other clubs. Um, and I hope to see Pinamonti and Alvarez um, fight for that position rather than this did be given to Pinamonti. Um, but I've, I've <laughs> I planned for this for this to be four minutes, but I realized they went on to speak ten minutes. Uh, this goes to show the passion that football creates in men. Oh, that was very sexist in in people. Um, sorry for all the women who just listened and uh, think I'm an absolute sexist. I'm I'm not, but I am sexy. Anyway, I'm going to leave with that. Great show. Keep it up as always. Um, love your stuff. And uh, peace, peace, gents. Thank you very much, Mintoff. You almost managed to come across as a man who doesn't absolutely detest women. Mintoff, not only does he have a great football mind, but he's also a very talented actor playing the role of a sexy feminist over here. I think you did a great <laughs> job, brother. Well done. But genuinely, thank you. Great points over here. Let's start to break it down. Of course, the first thing he said is that um, Sassuolo are no longer Robin Hood. Of course, what he means by that is that um, in previous seasons, Sassuolo would beat the top teams and lose to the teams that, are, yeah. that they should be beating. Exactly. Hence the nickname Robin Hood, of course, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, what do you think, bro? So, as to the reason why they are no yeah, longer like, Robin Hood. He stressed their weaker offense, for example. Do you agree? Yeah, the, the, the weaker offense is... So, Sassuolo have a very strong midfield. That's the area that I mm. like about Sassuolo. Yes. They're very fluid in their midfield, particularly with Maxi Lopez. Torsvet has come in and shown mm. some good signs. Fratesi has been very good as well this season. The defense is something that didn't seem to improve too much from last season. Although in the beginning of the season, they weren't conceding too many goals and they were looking really solid in that department. But maybe it was just a distraction from the, the, the midfield was distracting how bad the defense is. They managed to control the game, keep it in the midfield rather than get pressed. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's the attack that has gotten significantly weaker. Um, Skamaka's gone, Raspadori's gone, and Berardi's been out injured the entire time. So or two. Too. So I think it's literally being a weakened side from last season and not mm -hmm. being able to really put a pin on what's going on with the defenders. You look mm -hmm. at Ihan and his colleagues in the centre-back department and none of them look up to the task mm -hmm. of being in Serie A. 
And their philosophy, you know, is to buy young and develop these players. So, of course, when they have players like Skamaka and Raspadori, who they developed into these players who can actually score and mm-hmm. then get rid of them, they bring in, for example, Alvarez and Pinamonti, who yeah. they have to start like, developing again, quite frankly. Exactly. Um, his Pinamonti point was very interesting. Um, I think what they thought they were getting was a hybrid, a player who can develop, who still has mm. potential to to improve, of course, but a player who can hit the ground running, a player exactly. who has scored in Serie A. Exactly. Um, why do you think he hasn't been successful? Do you agree with Mintov that he needs to eat humble pie? So I think I think Mintov got it right in the sense that he needs to adapt better to the team and not expect the team just to adapt to him. I think obviously there needs to be a point where you meet in the middle because you need to support the man up front always and you need to kind of play around him a little mm. bit because that's the guy that's going to get you goals at the end of the day. Um, eating humble pie, look, you always want your striker to be confident and, and uh, feeling himself, but there's an element of because of where he came from, he might feel that he's slightly bigger than the club. So he cruises around the pitch a little bit without that grinta, so mm-hmm. to say, and he expects shit to go to him. Um, I think over time, as he grows to love the club more and as he gets more minutes within the team, I think that can change. But the addition of Alvarez and getting him to compete with Alvarez for the starting spot rather than just giving it to him week in, week out, as Mintov said, is key in getting mm-hmm. the best out of Pinamonti. When you compare Pinamonti and Alvarez, you see Alvarez with his mentality. It, it's it's the right mentality. Like exactly. He's hungry, he works, he, he's constantly pressing, he's constantly calling for the ball. Um, he can be a bit selfish at times. That's natural with strikers, right? We're so used to seeing strikers being selfish. Yeah, they want to hit the ground yeah, running exactly. as well. That's the thing. They want to get their first Pinamonti goal. Pinamonti needs to adapt to Sassuolo. I agree. But I do think that with time, naturally, the Sassuolo players will begin to adapt to him. They'll understand his runs better than understand exactly. how he wants the ball it's only natural right exactly. so for now I do think that he needs to um, kind of you know link up mm. a little bit better uh-huh. maybe and I, stop complaining yeah <laughs> I, I think a, a large part of Pinamonte not playing that well uh, for the time being as well is so Sassuolo don't really have someone to make that final pass mm-hmm. right in the in the midfield you have Torres Vetan Fratesi and then you have um, Maxi, Maxi Lopez, Lopez. They're all kind of deep-lying Playmakers But none of them get really between the attack And the midfield and play that final ball um, That's, that's where they're missing Berardi mm. Because Berardi used to come in a lot from the right-hand side And provide these last balls So it's true, the service isn't quite there And there's not much he can do about mm. that When it comes to involving himself in the game even more His strengths are Inside the area, you know? I, I know what you mean. I wouldn't call Fratesi and Tordsfet um, deep-lying playmakers, but, uh, you know, like Maxim Lopez is literally the deep-lying playmaker. Yeah, he's, the he's others, just in front of the defence. Exactly. And he's a different extreme. Exactly. And then the others, you have Fratesi, for example, who's kind of a mezzala, no? Mm. That kind of half-winger is the direct translation. Um, he inserts himself into offensive positions. He scores goals. He he tries to play the passes. final pass. Hey, it's it's more. He's either going to get the goal himself or or maybe drag mm-hmm. a defender along with him. He That's never true. seems to give that final pass. You know. That's the the style and the name. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, Some more you... good points that he that he mentioned in my opinion is he, he pointed out that Dionisi is a is a good coach. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree as well to a certain extent that he's a good coach. Obviously, you'd think that he'd improve from last season, but how can you improve from last season when you've literally lost your main assets? That's it, yeah. 
So, so it's not exactly his fault that he's not performing well. But, but the shitty thing is, is that he's in 15th. And I really hope that the club continues to show him the support that he needs because they've invested in, in, in three new guys that, that have come in and none of them have really, really, apart from Lauriente, obviously hit the ground running. And just like the players need time, the coach is going to need time mm-hmm. as well. It would be unfair for them to take away his key players and then sack him after 15 games, quite yeah, frankly. that's true. That's true. Uh, Mintoff also stressed a lot about VAR um, and the VAR, VAR's uh-huh. consistency. I do agree that VAR needs to improve, but I think it will get better, of course, with time. This is still new. We're in the new age of VAR. You know, it's something that we'll be telling our kids and our grandkids in the future. I remember the start of VAR. They used to make so many mistakes, like yeah. the players grabbing the ball in the box, like the Ample game. Exactly. Of course, it not being called. One day, this will be alien. You know, uh-huh. I believe that the errors will be thinned out with time. I, th- I think so as well. I think it, at, at the end of the day, we are moving into an area where there, all the refereeing decisions are going to be judged by a computer. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, if we want the most fair game possible, we have to take the human element out of those mm-hmm. decision making. In order to have full consistency, you need to take personality out of it mm-hmm. and just keep it strictly via computer. So that's the harsh reality of it, I think. Yeah. Um, I also like the fact that he said that Sassuolo's weakness is the high press, which happens to be Napoli's strength, um, hence why they absolutely destroyed them. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's, it's obvious. I mean, you look at the personnel they have at the back, you put a bit of pressure on them and they and they crumble. Yeah, Ferrari um, and Daihan. Exactly. And they're, they're a team that they want to insert the kind of game play style where they hang on to the ball and they dictate the tempo of the game. So then you put pressure on them. This is a good point that Pablo brought up for Napoli, mm-hmm. saying it's going to be interesting to see when teams are pressing Napoli, like the Man City is controlling the game against Napoli. How are they going to react to that? How do they shift and transition? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want. Ah, yes, we have to talk, talk our about tops our tops and flops. And flops. Yeah. Uh, my top is Lauriente. So it's down to Lauriente and Fratesi to me. Um, mm-hmm. Lauriente is like numbing the loss of Berardi by keeping Sassuolo's fans on their toes when in possession. And he's contributed to two goals and three assists in his debut season, which is massive. Fratesi, however, has been an absolute engine for Sassuolo this season. And he started every single game thus far. He has four goals from midfield and he's contributed in other areas too. To me, he's my top um, he's getting back to where he was as that goal-scoring midfielder that we knew before. And I think there are big te- th- big things coming up for Fratesi. Mm, that's actually a better answer than, than mine. Um, it's a shame that Fratesi already has one foot out the door, basically. Um, yeah. The Roma talk has kind of cooled off lately, but apparently there's interest from the Premier League as well. So we'll see what happens to Fratesi. Sassuolo, man, needs to, st- need to stop selling yeah. these guys. If I lose Luis Alberto and Fratesi, on fantasy, on fantasy football in January, I'm going to hurt myself. So the flop for me, brother, has to be... Um, so at first I was thinking Ferrari, but then my uh, expectations of Ferrari weren't that high coming into it. So it has to be Pinamonti mm. for me. I know there's an adaptation phase to play through, but, um, you know, how many has he scored? Two goals? Is he on? He's on, he's on three goals. Mm. Um, I think he said and two, two of them were from open play and one of them was from a penalty. Mm. Um, so I kind of agree with you in the sense that their centre-backs obviously aren't the greatest. Ferrari and Ihan in particular, like, they struggle quite a bit to keep a straight line in fast transitions and they find themselves playing catch-up, most likely, to, to catch up to the strikers. I expected a stronger start from Pinamonti. Um, Askamaka's replacement, obviously losing Skamaka and Raspadori, it's already tough enough. You need someone 
like Pinamonte with experience to step up to the plate. Um, it's a toss of a coin between the centre-backs and Pinamonte, but I'm going to give it to Pinamonte just because the void that he is attempting to fill in has been made significantly larger with his presence for the time being. Yes, bro. Um, and the player who scored goals with Ampoli, you know, you'd bring him in, you'd think he'd do a little bit better, basically. That's it. Yeah. So, great. I think we can move on to Lecce. Lecce, yes. Lecce 16th place this season on 15 points. They have three wins, six draws, six losses. Some noteworthy results, obviously, where it was there. Well, we gave them this result by betting against them. Lecce 2, Atalanta 1. You're welcome. They beat Salernitana away from home as well, two goals to one. They beat Sampdoria away from home, two goals to nil. They held Napoli away, 1-1. And those have the disappointing results, so to say, would be draws to Cremonese and Monza. Because when a team like Lecce loses against... The, they, they never lost by by large margins. Mm-hmm. It, it was never embarrassing. It was losses. a 2-0 defeat. Like, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Um, for me, Lecce, bro, are an organized unit that have risen from the depths of Serie B. Um, they have an amazing defense, quite frankly. I'm not even saying that in hyperbole. He, they, they do have an amazing defense. Like um, Umtiti, Baschirotto, Pongracic, Gallo. They have um, the Juventus Loney out wide. So he's not even playing nowadays, but they actually yeah. have quite a few options in defense and they do look like a unit. They have options going forward as well. Of course, we've seen Strefezza, Cisse, Banda, all quite all dynamic players. Fluid. Colombo coming in Colombo, in place of Cisse at times. And he's on two goals now. Yeah. Well, you know. Capable of scoring wonder goals, eh, Colombo? Yeah. Yeah, no, they have they have a very good versatile team, like you're saying. What is most impressive again is just their structure and their defense, the way they can keep their shape and the individuals they have as well at the back. We think that Baskerotto is naturally a right back, mm-hmm. and they play. They start. It's like the the Kalulu effect. They started playing him at centre back because of a lack of personnel, and he's just flourishing over there. He's really found his position, mm-hmm. and his physicality is great. He's a workhorse. We see him going forward as well. I'm a big fan of him, man. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch mm. for sure. And even just watching a player who's so much bigger than everyone else yeah. is like a little yeah. side thing to and keep the, an eye on. For yeah. sure. And alongside him, Titi, man. Yeah. That's two big motherfuckers there. Like. And, and Strefezza as well. You mentioned Strefezza. He's been incredible. He's been so good. Um, when you compare it, for example, the season Di Francesco is having the different effects those two have on the opposing mm-hmm. flanks is massive. Uh, no disrespect to Di Francesco. Obviously, he's... he's uh, He's trying and he's going to get there. Um, but Streffetza, for a guy that's only played in Bur so far, coming coming into Serie A and, and imposing himself the way he is, beating his man, whipping the ball in, scoring some goals too. He's been great, man. For sure. And the this great defence and fluid attack is linked together by Moren, Morten Hulmund, who mm. has been pretty, pretty solid in midfield. Yeah, he has um, been. Not to mention their goalkeeper, bro, the great Falcone. I have, yeah, I have a very strong point to make about him. Go for it. If, as in, it, it jumps into the tops and flops. Okay. So if you want to have that conversation, you want to have that conversation now. This, this is basically my breakdown on the individuals of Lecce. So they've had great performers. Like we mentioned, Baschirotto, Hulman, they have Gallo as well, who's been really good. Um, but to me, their top two have to be Falcone and Streffezza. Okay. When you consider the fact that they've only conceded 17 goals, which is less than Inter and Fiorentina, and the same as Odinese and Torino, it's easy to say that their goalkeeper has had a massive part to play and that he's had 51 saves, which puts him fourth in the amount of top saves out of the goalkeepers in Serie A, behind Montepo, Dragovski and Sepe. 
And then when you look at Monte Dragovski and Sepe, although they're so high up, they would have conceded some of the most goals. On the other hand, Falcone hasn't. So he really has imposed himself. He really is a massive, massive reason as to why they haven't conceded that amount of goals. Yes. On the other hand, Strefetsa is their main attacking outlet. He scored four goals from the right wing position and he showcases great dribbling, technical abilities and strength for his size. However, I'll have to give it to Falcone. Again, really, really, really close, but I have to give it to Falcone. Fair enough, that's a good shout. For me, the top player is Baschirotto. Mr. Reliable has played every single game, has played at right back, has played at centre back, has been consistent throughout and even got a goal in his last game. Um, very fun to watch. A leader yeah. at the back over there for me, he's been their top player. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's also one point that I forgot to make that I'm actually seeing on your laptop is Falcone also has two man of the matches. You see Martin Hulman there with three yeah. man of the matches. That's Super. crazy. Very, very good. Let's scroll down. You have one for Banda, yeah. one for Cisse, one for Juan Gonzalez. I wonder which game Cisse got man of the match for. The Inter one, maybe? Maybe. That, that was the first game of the season uh, and he scored yeah. for my Vanta, so that's cool. <laughs> um, shall we jump to the flops? Yes, the flop for me has been Giuseppe Pezzella, okay. who was brought in. You know, this guy has played for Atalanta. He, play, he used to play for Parma as well. Um, he was brought in to start, but has not managed to displace Gallo. The, my flops are always like this. Players that were brought yeah. in to start and didn't manage for me. That's, that's an easy flop. Only five starts for this guy. Um, yes. Mine's the same situation, but a different player. Who is Mine it? would be Chetin. Ah. Um, <laughs> he was brought in because he has Serie experience and, and he came to bring them some stability at the back. But he's been benched by a natural right back in Bascarotto. Um So yeah, to me it would be Chetin. He's, he has had some injuries. Five matches out injured, but then he played, you know, he had the capability of playing 10 matches and he started one in their most recent defeat to winter. So to me, Chetan would be their flop. Fair enough. Uh, do you think Lecce stay up? I think they have what it takes to stay up. I think where they'll struggle is as Spezia start to get going towards the end of the campaign, showcasing their Serie A experience. <clears throat> Um, but they definitely, they're in a good position. And if they keep doing what they're doing, they can definitely mm -hmm. do it. I can't guarantee. Yes. I can't guarantee. I predict that they will stay up. I'll go out on a limb here and say that they'll stay up. Um, it does, however, depend on Sampdoria and Hellas Verona and how much they invest, quite frankly. I think Sampdoria uh, in, in are the gone Yes, but, I, I don't but want you to be naive. Know, I don't want to be naive. Yeah, but these I think guys can make three, three decent Hail Mary signings in January. And their season can change completely. I don't like, have faith in them doing it at all. That's, I mean, their transfer record lately hasn't been mm. great. You know what I mean? They haven't been investing. So that's what um, kind of makes me doubt it. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day, you know, the owner of Sampdoria, seeing them sit so low, might cause some panic and maybe he will invest. But whatever, mm. we'll see. Uh, we'll get to them later on. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Next up, we've got Spezia, bro. Yes, Spezia in 17th on 13 points. They have three wins, four losses, and sorry, they've got three wins, four draws, you ruined the and podcast. eight losses. I ruined the four-hour podcast. <laughs> Some noteworthy results for Spezia is their 1-0 victory against Empoli, their 2-2 draw to Sassuolo, their 2-2 draw to Bologna, their 1-1 draw to Udinese. Then they also lost 4-0 uh, against Lazio, and they also drew to Cremonese, two goals to two. What is your take on Spezia so far this season? 
Spezia are those guys, bro, who are capable of causing an upset. Um, however, 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 I do believe that they have um, declined. I think this season they are strong relegation candidates. They don't seem to have enough individual ability to influence games. Now, this isn't the case on paper because they have players like Agudelo, Bastoni, uh, Reca, and Zola, Jazzy. These guys have been playing in Serie A for a while and they can affect mm-hmm. games. But it seems to be a problem of form overall. Like when they lost Simone Bastoni, the team looked lost. Mm-hmm. Bastoni really is the, the best player in this team for me and he's a leader over there. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're they're in trouble this season. They, they definitely are. Out of the three seasons that they've spent in Serie A, this is definitely their worst. Um, when you look at it, I mean, they had Italiano in their first season. In their second season, they had Thiago Motta. And those were great managers who had a singular season mm-hmm. as a spell for that team. So this season, they're going through a bit of an identity crisis. It seems like they haven't really quite clicked with Gatti. Mm-hmm. Um, time will tell. Maybe after the World Cup and the pressures on, they can kind of pick it up again. But like you're saying, with the way that they're individual players are performing and the way they haven't really adapted to the system. I can't really see it happening that much. But we've seen Spezia pull it out of the bag before. They mm. they are a pain in the ass to play they against. Are, man. That's the perfect way to put it. Spezia are a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true, they, they are. Yeah. And we've seen them improve a bit towards the end here, right before the break, causing yeah. Milan a world of yes, problems. Man, well, yes, man, yes, yes. And, and Spezia, from, uh, from a Milan fan perspective, when Milan are up there kind of fighting for the league and for battling with Napoli, for example, and Napoli play Spezia, I say maybe there's something in the air against mm-hmm. Spezia because Spezia often do that shit. They beat Napoli last season. You know yeah. what I mean? They're capable of doing this shit randomly. They brought. They started Daniel Maldini who scored his first goal for them against, against Milan. Madonna. It has to be highlighted that Dragovski has been injured, a horrible injury for those who are watching on TV. I'm sorry. I hope you're um, attending therapy. Because <laughs> it was fucked. You saw it. Did you see his, no, his bro. foot? No, bro. Oh, no. He, he broke his foot quite... Uh, or dislocated. Correct. It was fucked, though. Okay. It looked really bad. No, how long he's out for? A while. He's missing the World Cup, for sure. Um, poor guy. He was in tears. Even his teammates were in tears. Poland? Uh, Poland? Yeah, he's Polish, yeah. no? He's Polish. But apparently, he doesn't start for the Polish national team. But it would have still been a great experience. And you never... Of no, course, man, definitely. of course. And if, if, if his teammate got injured, obviously not hoping for that, um, he would have had a... You, you know, you play Dragovski. If you watch Dragovski play, you might want to start him at some point. I'm really interested to see who... I mean, they have Szczesny. Oh, Szczesny is the other keeper, yeah. of course. No, there's no way he starts over there. <laughs> there's no way. Um, in Zola, bro, has, has been going through a positive spell this season. A very positive spell. When you take into consideration where the team stands and the amount of goals he's contributed this season, it's great. Seven goals for a struggling Spezia. It's fantastic. He's on par with Lautaro and Lukman, who are with Atalanta mm. and Inter. He's one behind Mirko and he's two behind Osimen. Yeah. So a very good situation for Enzola to be in. It's good to see him get some goals again. It has to be said. He is by far not their best player on the pitch. No, like, no, he doesn't no, no, look no, good, but he's in he's in the right situation. He's good to at get scoring goals. goals, and that's what you need. Exactly. exactly. Um, top. It's down to it's it's between Enzola and Dragovski. I think they've both been massive for them. Massive, massive, massive. You heard me say before, Dragovski is up there with the most saves. 
Um, however, with the point that I made before, if you get seven goals for a struggling Spezia who are down in 17th, you're their top, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Menzola um, has been Mr. Reliable, 15 games out of 15 played for them. However, I cannot give him my top simply because of how he plays besides scoring goals, uh, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I can't I can't call that guy their, their top player mm-hmm. at all. Their top performer for me, of course, is Simona Bastoni, man. He's played... Um, he he's was Mr. Injured. Reliable. Yeah, he's Mr. Reliable, mm-hmm. exactly. He's missed four games uh, to injury, fair enough. But he's got two goals and two assists, and his um, performances have been amazing. You know, he features at left-back, he features in midfield, he features mm-hmm. everywhere. Like, And he's when he glue, plays, man. yeah, when he plays, the team seems to gel more. The transition from defense to attack is much smoother. The players around him play better. Mm. He's the, the top for me. Yeah. Okay, and that's fair enough. Um, who's your flop? Verde. Okay, interesting. Verde was one of their best players last season. Um, that's a good point. That's a good. He's point. only had two starts this season. You know, he he said that if uh, Spezia survive, I'll dye my beard white. He dyed his beard white and just he hasn't recovered know, since. Hasn't recovered since. Yeah. Apparently, he's been shit, man. He's he's, he's, he's a, he's a to make cursed an player, man. He's he's one of those cursed players. His his ability is all in his left foot. It's true. His ability is all there, and there are certain times where it just doesn't come off for him. He goes through those spells, and he hasn't. He's always fought for his place. He, he was never a guaranteed like starter for Spezia. It's true. It was you know like a, I mean? an impact sub, though. He'd come on and he'd change the game. This, this uh-huh. season, he started two games. He did nothing. Mm-hmm. He came on six times, failed to influence the game. Hasn't scored a single goal. Hasn't got a single assist. Mm-hmm. And his performances are looking quite lackluster. Um, yes, for me, he is the flop. Fair enough. I have Giassi as my flop. Um, he started every single match apart from the two that he was injured for. And in 1,042 minutes, he hasn't contributed to a single goal. So no goals, no assists. You could say he's the silent partner of Inzola, but he hasn't assisted him once. You know what yeah, I mean? Um, I think that's a bit harsh on Jazzy, who uh, naturally prefers to play out wide. He's kind of a makeshift forward right now. Um, the stats aren't flattering at all, of course, over a thousand minutes without a single goal contribution. But in play, he's decent. You know, he has his bad games, of course. He tends to be a bit of a streaky player. But I, I wouldn't call him the worst player on this on this uh, side, for sure. Not the flop, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think he is. <laughs> um, no, I mean, he's he's definitely... by, And this is why I'm disappointed in him, because by nature, he's definitely not a bad player. But mm-hmm. when you lack contributions like that in the position that you play, I can't help but be incredibly underwhelmed by it now. You could look good dribbling past players and stuff, but at the end of the day, we have to see some tangible yeah. results from it, you know? Yeah, and sometimes when, when he looks terrible, he looks fucking yes, terrible. Yes, yes, right? yes. And to be honest, even in Zala, bro. Yeah. In, in Zala, <laughs> when he looks shit, he looks, he looks even worse. God Much awful, worse, like. Yes, God awful. On the ball, like. Mm. Cremonese. 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 18th on seven points. They've gotten those seven points all from draws. They've played 15. They haven't won a single game. The only team in Serie A this season. They've drawn seven and they've lost eight. Some noteworthy results. Of course, no victories here, guys. But they did manage to hold Atalanta away from home. They held Milan at home. Um, they held Udinese at home. But then they also lost to Lazio 4-0 at home. And they've lost to Napoli 4-1 at home. Of course, those are a bit harsh because they're the two highest scoring teams. Like, <laughs> um, But yeah, those are their most significant losses. What's your take on Cremonese so far? In my opinion, they have by far not looked like the worst team in the league. Um, but obviously, struggling. 
Yes, um, I agree with you that they haven't looked like the worst team in the league when it comes to the way they play. Yeah. Um, they have improved and they have been racking up these draws. We saw towards the second half of the of the campaign last season for Genoa when they started racking up those draws. Um, it seemed to be a positive moment for them. But when Blessin had exactly, just come in, right? They didn't get wins and they ended up getting relegated. But Cremonese are still in time. They have a break now. Yes. And they can regroup. They can, you know, try to change their fucking trajectory you know get their first win of the season after the break it might be it might be good for them yeah i think i think it will be good for them um as well the team just needs to get used to their environment we haven't seen any of these guys really play in Serie A before um well we've seen players like Okareke we've seen players like Afena Gian play in the mm. league before we've seen their goalkeeper as well in Radu um but yeah a young team bro a very mm. young team um and yeah, I think I think structurally they're good. Their individuals good are manager. good as well. They have a good manager. It just it's tough for them to get over the line. Why? Okay. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's probably the lack of experience, but yeah, they do it. struggle in the goal scoring department. That's yes, they have sure. they have a solid shape about them as well. It's true. The the problem is when when someone needs to step up in big moments, they don't have those big personalities. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. don't have a prolific player over here. They brought in Okereke to be that guy. <laughs> Um, mm. Of course, Okarek uh, has never really been that guy in Serie A. You know, he was good at Venezia last season, but it was exactly the same situation uh, that he's in now. And Venezia did get relegated. Yeah, I mean, when you have a newly promoted team, I do see the appeal in Okarek because he gives you that kind of, in inverted commas, that star mm. feeling in the team. Someone that you, you can give the ball to him and he'll sprint forward mm-hmm. he'll get he'll try to get past a few players he tries to make things tick they don't really have many of those players again bro Afena John was bought in to be that guy on the left hand side but we just haven't seen him it's true it's it's gonna it's a it's been a disappointing move because he's looked better at Roma now granted he had better players around him but he looked to to make things happen now these are yeah. players that all seem to need time to adapt they took bits and pieces from teams that have been relegated in the past or lower tier mm-hmm. teams quite frankly um, I think they need to unite. The draws are a positive for them. In the table, they're not too bad. There's still hope for them. You know, they currently sit in 18. They have seven points. Uh, Spezia are above them with 13. So there's still room to kind of yeah. hop out of that relegation zone. Personally, I think this team is destined for relegation because if you look um, at, for example, Verona, Spezia, I, th- I think Spezia had those two seasons without investing. So I think that uh-huh. they're more willing right now to invest than Cremonese would be. They might have more spending power. And in January, they can bring in some reinforcements. Um, yeah. Verona, the same thing. You know, I think Verona might um, panic now. They might be like, look, we have to save this team. No, we, we've been in Serie A for a while. We might, well, let's splash a bit, bring in two, three players. Let's fucking save our season. Uh-huh. Sampdoria I- might do the same. You know, I, I don't see... Cremonese having the ability to to do that, the yeah. spending power. I, I as well. I, I think if I had to choose out of those three that you just mentioned, Cremonese, Sampdoria, Verona, I think the largest guarantee is probably Cremonese, mm-hmm. although they have the most points out of those. I see Verona capable of turning things around, mm-hmm. yes. which is hilarious mm-hmm. because they, they have by far been the most disappointing team. Well... The, the, with their st- yes, actually, with their losing streak, man, it's it's fucking crazy how bad they're doing. But then you know they're playing better. Yeah, then they're playing better. I think I think Sampdoria, like I think Sampdoria played the worst football. Uh-huh. You know what I? I, yes. I definitely think they played the worst football in the league. 
I see Cremonese getting relegated. I see Verona surviving. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, who are your three relegated? So you see Cremonese getting relegated, Verona surviving, and the other two? Um, Cremonese against Sampdoria, I would say they're relegated as well. I would give the other one as between Spezia and Lecce. I would give it to Spezia. I think Lecce managed, just managed yeah. to survive. I say the same thing. Um, Spe- oh, wow. Sampdoria, Cremonese, Spezia, I think it's relegated. Cool. That's my prediction. So we'll see. We'll see. We will see. Um, very exciting stuff. Tops and flops. My tops. I mean, it was between Iwu, Valeri, and Okereka. I went with Iwu. I think he's a really good defender. Ah, Iwu, Iwu has been good. I went for Okereka because of the flair that he adds and, mm-hmm. and he makes them a more relevant team. So to say, we've also seen him rack up a few goals. So I gave it to him. But Iwu was a very good shout mm-hmm. as well, man. Nice. Flop. Afenajan, for sure. Yes, failing for sure. to contribute, failing to play. Exactly, he was brought in for the exact same reason as Okereke. He was Mourinho's golden boy yes. at Roma. And then there was that whole thing about him injuring. Who had he injured? Who had he injured? He had injured someone and the fans turned on him. I don't know if it was... Ah, why, why not? Them, the team yes, why yes, not? yes, oh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And the, the fans kind of turned on him. Mourinho went out on a limb and defended him. And then he... Kind of has never been the same since he's been sold to Cremonese. He's sold to them, like yeah, he's there, property of them. Good signing, very good signing, very good. We'll see him pick up at some point. We will. We'll see. Sampdoria currently sit in nineteenth, brother. Yes, they're on six points. Um, they've won one game, they've drawn three, and they lost eleven. Um, their only win came against Cremonese away from home. Otherwise, they've lost to Lecce at home. They've lost to Monza at home. Um, they've lost to Verona away from home. But however, they held Juve and they held Lazio. Yeah. Strange. They, Very strange. They came into the season with Gianpaolo at the helm. Yeah. They sacked him. They brought in Stankovic. Stankovic is a manager who has European experience, who's experienced of winning the league. Um, I believe, where, where was he managing? Was it in... Um, yeah, in Serbia. Serbia. He managed Serbia. He managed yes. Red Star, exactly. Belgrade. Yeah. There we go. So it, it should have been, you know, I, I think there were high expectations with this manager that he would turn things around. However, Sampdoria's problems seem to run deeper. Um, they seem to have almost less fit players than the rest of the of the league you know their mm. players can't fucking keep up almost they're always second to the ball there's no charge there's no transition play you can attack them because these guys aren't gonna they're not gonna counter you know they're not gonna counter with pace they have fucking they've been playing Gabbiadini on the wing mm. they have Qualiel as an option up front Caputo hasn't he's scored one goal they're an season, over but... 30s team it's mm. like an over 30s 11 yeah. a, a mid-table over 30s 11 they managed to they put together here five open play goals all season that's how Madonna, terrible they Madonna, have been Madonna, Madonna. Um, they have a gem a diamond in the rough in Sabiri who mm-hmm. has um, you know been struggling <laughs> to, to play yeah. with these guys quite frankly yeah agreed um, I mean again we, we spoke about this before before the podcast, before before recording the episode, Sabiri, clearly he's he's the best player. Um, mm. However, it 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 seems like what's going on around him isn't the only issue. I think he's struggling for form as well right now himself. Like his shots have gone a little bit wayward. Um, I don't know. I don't think he's been 
their greatest player this season for sure. He could certainly perform better, but I think at the moment, like it's team confidence is so low. You know, five open play goals, you know, yeah. not not great. He's he is though their the, in my opinion best performer uh-huh, by uh-huh. far. Like I don't think another player comes close. Um, I don't Juricic give him my top. His moments. I gave Juricic my top. Really, I gave it uh-huh. to Sabiri. I gave Fair it to enough. Sabiri. Yeah, I Juricic mean, it's has, so hard to come yeah. up with one, bro. It's so <laughs> hard to team, come up man. with one. Look at the team. Look at the team. Who, bro? Who Ro- Ronaldo Vieira. No, they're, they're terrible. It's true. I mean, Gabbiadini for his oh versatility. Oh my God, dude. Andrea Conti still plays with these guys. I fucking forgot about that. There's Conti on this team. And he doesn't even play. He's played no games. This I've, I've just changed my flop. Like, <laughs> How true. hasn't fucking Conti started a game, man? Has he been injured again, man? I don't think so. I don't know, man. Um, my original flop was Caputo, but like, there's no service to be fair. To my me. flop is the worst signing in Serie A history and Harry Winks, man. Harry Winks. He's come on. They have an option to buy him. He's on loan with an option to buy for 20 million. Lord. He hasn't started a single game and they're looking to terminate his contract. He's been injured. Like There we go, man. Basically, anyone, any of these guys can be a flop. They have, they have the worst team in the league. Yes, Sampdoria. By far. For sure, they have the worst team in the league, which is funny because last season we were saying they can't get relegated because they have a good team. They yeah. have the worst team in the fucking league this season. That's true. For sure. Yeah. Um, they might be destined for the drop, meaning that we might not have a single team from Genoa in the Serie A next season, unless Genoa, of course, get promoted themselves. They have a nice team in Serie A, those guys. Yeah. They've got Koda there. They've got Aramu and a great coach in Blessin. So we'll see if they manage to, to come up. I kind of don't want them to because I love that derby and I want the derby to happen in Serie B next yeah, season. That's true. Bring There's a vibe to Serie B. Yeah. Um, good point with the flop, bro. Um, I think we can move on yeah. personally to Verona, Alas, who have Verona. similar problems, not to the same extent, in mm. my opinion. One Where's of it? my favorite teams in the league, man. It's a fucking shame to see them where they are. Um, they're in last, 20th on five points. They have one win, two draws, and 12 losses. Their only win came against Sampdoria. Two goes to one. They've held Bologna away from home. They've held Empoli away from home. Otherwise, they've virtually lost against everyone. Um, but they've ne- never really been trashed, again, unless you count the 5-2-1 match day one against Napoli, where, to mm. be honest, the fact that they scored two against Napoli on the opening match day made me think they were going to have a better season Same. than what we thought on paper. I mean, again... The list goes on and on with the amount of players they've lost. And they brought in as well someone like Henri, who got relegated last season and they kept him. So it's almost like they accepted, okay, we're this kind of team now. Mm-hmm. You know that's, what I mean? Or point. they really rate Henri highly. I don't know which one it is. It's such a shame what happened to this Verona team, man. Here I go again, all right? Mm-hmm. They Mention them. <laughs> as the coach, man. I'm Rabat Zakani. Come on, dude. Give me a break. Rahmani at the back. They had DiMarco on the right. They had they had a great team. They had um, Simeone up front, man. These guys were, were the Caprari. shit three years ago. Caprari was there. Last season, Allah, they were the shit. Even yes. and, and the season before, fair yes, enough. Yes, bro, but... They, they just declined steadily, slow and steadily. They, they declined. Yeah, Barak, now they sold into Fiorentina. They kept no one, dude. You know? Madonna. Like, who's who's left on this on this Verona side? Tamez. Tamez is, is still is, there. Faraoni. De Pauli. Ongla is okay. Form, yeah. Kevin Lasagna. You know? Illich is still there. Yeah. I still think they have an okay team. It's fine. It, it's definitely enough to survive. I mean, but you, you're right. They... 
they have accepted their fate as a team that invests in relegation type yeah. players. I yeah. mean, any team that brings in Simone Verdi, for example, is a team that's in the relegation. For pool. sure. You bring in the top scorer of the relegation sides and Thomas Henry, again, another one. Um, How old is Miguel Veloso nowadays? Miguel Veloso nowadays must be 35, I guess. 36, 36, there he is. There he is. He must be a good player to have in the the locker locker room. room, I think so. But yeah, man, um, I think that they might get their shit together, to be honest. They're they're one of the best teams in the lower part of the league. Do you think they... (laughs) Bless you. Do you think they will get a third manager this league? Season, I, sorry. I'm not sure. Five losses on the trot is quite bad, but things have been looking better for them. But they've at never least played the way badly. They, exactly, that's the thing. And with Bocchetti, they are playing more fluid football. I think they'll hold on to him. And yes. I, I predict that things will start to improve for them and they'll start climbing out of the relegation pool and they'll keep him. Um, yeah. However, if things don't go smoothly, man, they they might be desperate. They might fucking sack him, you know? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. They, they've, they, they are that kind of team that if it's not working out, they sack and they take action. Mm-hmm. Like they did with the Francesco last season. And like they did uh, with Choffi this season as well. My top is the young Scotsman Doig. Ah, I agree. Playing out wide. You know, he's coming to the season, has a bit of a breakout season. He's one of the most positive players on this team. Yeah, two goals, two assists from left back when your team is struggling that much is great. Um, Honourable mention is Montepo. He's had the most saves this season, but he's had so many shots yeah. flying at him that, you know, it's not really surprising. But he is a good goalkeeper, Montepo. He's a very he good is. goalkeeper. He's great. He's great. Yeah. Um, and he said in an interview two years ago that he hopes to remain in Serie for as long as possible. And he's he's managing, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if his teammates can help him a bit yeah. and relieve a bit of the pressure that yeah. they have put Definitely not their defenders. Their defenders are terrible, man. Yeah. That, that's definitely an area that they have neglected. They always focused on the players moving forward because they want to replace the talent that they mm-hmm. had. But yeah. My flop, bro, is a player who has failed to maintain the form that he had last season, especially in the absence of other top players, is Tamez. Three, two, one. Oh, okay. I said Lazovic. I thought you were going to say Lazovic. No, for me, the flop is Tamez. He's nowhere near as good as he was last season. Nowhere near as good. Still quite... It's still one of their better players, in my opinion. When you look at their midfield, you know he's even slotted into defence when they needed him this year. He still hasn't been great. I get you, but I wouldn't go so far as to calling him my flop. Um, Who's your flop? Lazovic. He hasn't hit the ground running yet this season, and he's their best player on paper, technically. Um, It doesn't help that he's being utilized out of position. He's now playing an attacking midfield to make space for Doig down the left. So, uh Lazovic. So wouldn't that be harsh to call him a flop if he's playing out of position? (sighs) Maybe, maybe. But when you look at... Him in comparison to his teammates, the level of player that he is, uh, I think is disappointing none, nonetheless. And the fact that they'd rather start Doig down the left than him is also disappointing for him. So that is it. everything, man. Holy shit. My that God, that's I am fucking exhausted, yeah. <laughs> man. It took three evenings to record this, guys. Yeah. I hope people actually listen to the whole thing, man. I think this is some of our best work yet. It feels like we've just completed a really long project that we've been <laughs> planning it's true. for a while. It's true. I, I did enjoy this episode. I enjoyed the voice note submissions. Definitely. That was great that was, fun. That was the great fun. best, man. 
That was yeah. the best. I I won't do that way more often. And and th- th- doing things like this is so much more fun than than the weekly kind of roundups on each game, so on and so forth. So that forth. can get a bit monotonous. Um, yeah. Some games are obviously more fun to cover than others. Mm-hmm. But thank you very much, guys. If you've made it this far, remember to follow us on our socials at say a spotlight. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, you know where to find us. Yep. Send us your uh, voice notes, engage with us, um, rate us five stars wherever you're listening. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good night. We love you all.